Monday, December the 13th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have a late Monday into early Tuesday show for you coming out this week. We want to do get you a, a recap of episode four of Hawkeye, our deep dive with Tim Kelly before episode five comes out. Still two more episodes of this season of Hawkeye, so we uh, now have recaps of episodes one through four. On this episode, we get into that uh, scene-by-scene recap of everything that went on in episode four. We're also going to take a look at the NFL playoff picture, see where things are and uh, what the schedule looks like next week. Coming up, we head into some Wednesday racing. Best bets for Gulfstream and for Tampa. Both of those tracks have stable duel games on Wednesday. So we're going to give you, I think, three at Gulfstream, four at Tampa, horses that you can bet if we get a certain price, horses that you definitely want to throw in or try to find a way to use in your stable duel lineups. And then we'll get into the old wrestling rewatch. We go to Survivor Series 1990. This one was the uh, Survivor Series with the grand match of survival. It was the only time they ever did this where all the uh, survivors of the matches went on to a final match. And we got the uh, the main event with Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, and Tito Santana on the, uh, the babyface side. And they were uh, uh, in a three-on-five situation. So we'll get into everything that happened in uh, Survivor Series 1990 with Andrew Champagne and with Darren Zocali. On this episode of That's What G Said Podcast, that is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. Go give them a follow right now. Flip those notifications on because every day they have a public prop where they are giving away money to folks out there who just help retweet and help share those posts. We all always have live streams before every football game. Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday. This week coming up, there'll be Saturday football games now. We always preview every game for you and give you the betting lines, help you with some props, and try to get you as prepared as possible to make a few bucks there. So better than dot Vegas is the place to go. If you are into sports wagering, you can create a free account over there for yourself. And on the website, all it is is just a bunch of different people that post free content. You'll see a lot of videos over there. It's people from all around the world really sharp handicappers and gamblers presenting their wagers, giving you analysis and telling you why they've played some of the the bets that they have. Check out better than dot Vegas. Before we get into the NFL playoff picture, I wanted to uh, you know, give everybody an update. It's coming up on Christmas. We are less than two weeks away now. If you are looking for some great ideas for Christmas gifts, I've got a few for you. We were just talking about Better Than Vegas. You can head to betterthan.vegas and you can check out some of the merchandise there. Hoodies, hats, t-shirts, give them a look. Great stuff for some of your friends who are interested and involved in sports betting or who are fans of Better Than Vegas themselves. Check out the merch over there at betterthan.vegas. Sarah Candles. You've heard about Sarah Candles from the very beginning on That's What G Said. These are all natural soy wax candles. We're going to tell you more about them later in the episode. But you will get 10% off your purchase if you use the promo code GINO. They have a bunch of different scents. These are a perfect gift. You're looking for something for someone. You're not sure exactly what to get. And candles are great because you can give them to anyone. Doesn't doesn't matter what if you're not sure exactly what they like or what some of their interests are or maybe they've changed a little bit. 
give them a candle, a couple different scents there. They will really love it and let them know, hey, these are these are all natural. These are soy wax, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. StableDuel.com and then shop. Shop Stable Duel. Look at some of those funny t-shirts there. If uh, anyone that you know loves to play in those Stable Duel games, if you have a, a young friend that's a fan of horse racing, they're going to really get a kick out of some of those Stable Duel t-shirts. They're fresh. They're young. They're funny. Check out those shirts and the swag over there at StableDuel.com. Daily Racing Form, DRF.com. DRF shop, the past performances, you can buy packages or uh, some tools for some of your friends out there who may use some of those uh, and you know that they uh, they end up, you know, putting a lot of time into their handicapping, help them out, give them a, give them a little extra with DRF.com, heck, they also have shirts and, and hat and merchandise over there also, you heard about Cindy Carava and the Black Friday sale. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. That Black Friday sale continues all the way through December 31st. So if uh, you want to you know to one of your friends or family members, significant others, uh, a loved one, let them know, hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get some home improvement. We're going to look for this new home. We're going to, whatever they've been asking you to do, let them know you've got it taken care of. And Cindy is going to get you a discount on that right now up until December the 31st. A lot of different things that you can take advantage of right now. If you're looking for some holiday gift ideas, there you go. As we shift on over to the NFL playoff prick picture, not not the picture, <laughs> not the not the picture there. Um, unfortunately, before we we talk a little about that, this was a bad day. Uh, recording on Monday, there were 37 NFL COVID tests uh, that were positive on Monday. Unusually, this is reading from a Dan Graziano ESPN article. Unusually high number of COVID tests Monday has the NFL and uh, NFLPA considering further changes to the protocols as the season enters its final four weeks. 37 positive COVID tests. Higher on Mondays because most teams test the vaccinated players and personnel who have to be tested at least once a week. Unvaccinated players test daily. Monday's number... Uh, consider the league only had 72 positives in a two-week stretch from November 14th to November 27th. So there uh, has been the Omicron variant in Washington, and at least five teams, Falcons, Lions, Vikings, Texans, and Bears, have entered enhanced protocols, which require daily testing regardless of vaccination status, mandatory masking in team facilities, and other measures. So, yeah, it's be careful out there. We're seeing the numbers spike back up again because we get these new variants. You know, it just uh, went went back out and got the booster uh, the other day too. Continue to do uh, everything that you can to keep yourself, your family, and the people around you safe. It's a it's a bummer to see this happening again. So, just to I'm recording this right before the Monday Night Football game starts, and we found out that the Rams were going to be without Jalen Ramsey and Higby just a couple hours before the game. So lots to keep an eye on. And then from just like a gambling standpoint, moving forward, right? We're we always first and foremost worried about the health of everybody. But for us, handicapping these games, playing fantasy, DFS, putting some of our money in, investing our money, we want to have as much accurate information as possible. Man, if you play or a game early in the week and then they miss a couple players because of COVID and then things shift, that's a tough pill to swallow. Just four weeks left now. And everybody 
is a pass their by. So moving forward, we know that every week of the NFL, the last four weeks, everybody's going to be playing. And over on the AFC right now, we've got a tier of teams that are at nine and four with the Patriots, Titans, and Chiefs. They're the one, two, and three seeds right now, all at nine and four. We've got two teams with five losses at, at the Ravens and Chargers. So that's like the next tier. But keep in mind, Lamar Jackson with that high ankle sprain, he said they would like for him to play this week. I mean, if it was a legitimate high ankle sprain, that's at the very least a multiple week injury. Sometimes a lot longer, even in up to two months sometimes. So if we do see him, at what strength is it going to be? So that's your top five. You got that, you know, Tier of three teams right now with four losses. Then you've got the next couple with five losses, the Ravens and the Chargers. Then you've got the Colts, Bills, Browns, Bengals, Broncos, all seven and six. All of them at seven and six. They are all right there. At this moment, it's just coming down to, you know, tiebreakers and, you know, head to head to heads, conference record, division records, things like that. But there's so many games to be played that the, the tiebreaker stuff is kind of pointless to look at now. It's just all about, you know, so many of these teams just needing to keep stringing together wins. In the AFC, so those are the 1 through 10 teams with the Broncos as currently the number 10 seed. Behind them, you've got the Steelers who are 6-6-1 and and still very much in it. You've got the Raiders who are struggling a little bit right now. They're 6-7. and And then you've got the Dolphins who are 6-7 and and they're the hottest team in football. 13 legitimate teams in the AFC with the shot. On the NFC side... So as of the recording of this game, the Cardinals and Rams, you know, have not played yet. So they're both still in fine shape. The Cardinals are 10 and 2 right now. The Rams are 8 and 4 right now. Cardinals are the 1 seed. Rams are currently in the 5 spot. Even if the Rams were to lose, they would still be in the 5 spot. And the NFC spread out a little bit more. You've got the Cardinals and the Packers and the Bucks kind of in that top tier right now. Their teams that are all three losses or less, we'll see what happens with Arizona. And then you've got Green Bay, they're ten and three, and you've got Tampa, they're ten and three. Behind them, you've got the Cowboys who are nine and four. They're not really playing all that well. And the same thing with the Rams. They're just like an uninspiring four loss team at the moment, the Rams are. And then you've got behind them the 49ers who picked up a, a really big win over the Bengals. So the 49ers are in the sixth spot. Washington at six and seven, even after their loss, they are still in the seventh spot. The Vikings are at six and seven. The Eagles are at six and seven. The Falcons are at six and seven. The Saints are at six and seven. And then behind them, you've got the Panthers and the Seahawks who are at five and eight. And I think in both leagues, you could say 13 deep because I I actually expect Seattle to win at least two more games, which would put them at seven and eight. They have a game against the Rams. You know, they probably lose that game. And then they have a game against the Cardinals in the final game of the year. Which, who knows what's going to happen there if the Cardinals are in a spot where they're sitting some of their players and they, they're not worried about, you know, they're worried about health and, and maybe they've clinched a certain spot. So Seattle, I don't think, is out of it. Carolina doesn't feel like they're in the mix, but they string together four wins. They make the playoffs. Washington, Minnesota, Philly, Atlanta, Saints, Panthers, Seahawks, all in the playoff hunt, all of them right now with losing records. And Two of, so one of those teams is going to make it for sure. And maybe two, we'll see what happens with San Francisco or any, you know, those would probably be the only teams that, you know, you could see dropping out. It's getting fun now. 
Here's a little quick look into this week. Uh, coming up, week 15. Thursday night game, we got a good game. Chiefs versus the Chargers. Then we have a couple Saturday games this week. Nice. So Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Now, this week, Merry Christmas uh, to your loved ones with four days of football coming up. Four days of NFL football. More more than that with the college starting on Friday. So Saturday, we've got the Raiders at the Browns. We've got the Patriots at the Colts. Actually, two really good games with all four of those teams. So the Thursday and Saturday games, all of those teams are still vying for their playoff lives. Sunday, we've got Carolina at Buffalo. Buffalo needs to win there. Arizona at Detroit. Arizona will come back on the short week after playing the Rams. You've got the Jets and Miami. Miami seeing if they can continue to string wins together. Dallas at the Giants. Maybe Dallas can get right. Washington, Philly. They're battling to stay alive towards the bottom of the playoffs. Tennessee, Pittsburgh. Tennessee trying to play for seeding towards the top. Pittsburgh trying to make uh, you know one last playoff push with Big Ben. The bad game between the Texans and the Jags. We'll see if Urban Meyer's even around at that point. You would have figured that maybe they would have fired him early in the week. If, if so, Cincy and Denver, both still alive and in the playoff picture. That's like a, a de facto playoff, you know, play-in kind of game. Atlanta and San Francisco, both of these two teams. Atlanta's still right there in the mix, tr- trying to get in. Seattle and the Rams. Green Bay, Baltimore, who knows what's going to happen with Lamar there. Saints, Tampa, the Saints have had really good success against Tampa in the regular season over the last two years. And then you've got the Vikes, Bears on Monday Night Football. That's week 15. We will talk about all of those games coming up on the next episode of That's What G Said with Eric Itoff, 2-1 Sports. And if you need a little help handicapping some of those games, head to drf.com slash sports. That trusted source for horse racing information the daily racing form yes it has made the transition on over to sports every sport every game every matchup there is incredible information for you betting insights uh, trends a line movement and information all of the stats that you would need recent statistics for teams, their win-loss records as of late, who they've played, and then they'll have a game simulator for you. They give you what they predict the line should have been or should be. If you're not using drf.com slash sports for your handicapping, go check it out now and you will start using it. I I guarantee you it's something that you're going to check in on all the time before you make your wagers. drf.com slash sports. And then we get into DRF because we're going to start talking about horse racing. We're going to get into the handicapping part. Let's talk some DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever 
to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com drf.com for all your handicapping for me it's always formulator uh, it just makes it so much easier when you're handicapping when you can just click and the replays are right there because that's for me i'm, I'm uh, watching every replay of every horse in every single race i know it takes a lot of time but that's what's nice is when they're all right there for you quick to click then you you, you want to find out information about the trainer and some of their statistics well boom you click right there and you've got all that database of, of info and you can formulate it however you'd like you want to find out pedigree information boom you click right there you find out the pedigree information for the sire the dam all the recent uh uh, pedigree info for the direct siblings or just sort of overall numbers and statistics you can see how many horses they've had that have won first stop that have won on the turf that have won on the sprint sprint distances that have won at a route then you click on the charts you can see every race who these horses have run against i love it this is what helps me in my handicapping and then we handicap the races we head to stableduel.com we take a look at that contest schedule and we get involved in stable duel games Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Let's talk about what's coming up this week over at Stable Duel. So on Tuesday, you've got 
three tracks, four contest games at Mahoning Valley, Penn, and two games at Parks, ranging from as low as 3 bucks all the way up to $100 for some of the bigger players in that Penn National game. On Wednesday, five tracks and five contests. Charlestown, Gulfstream, Penn National, Parks, Tampa, all with games. We're going to help you out with Gulfstream and Tampa. Gulfstream has a $5 game, $1,500 in prizes. Tampa has a $100 double up. There are games starting as low as that $5 game at Gulfstream, ranging all the way up to the $100 game at Tampa. On Thursday, you've got Charlestown and Gulfstream, two tracks but five contests among those two. You've got three over at Gulfstream, including a free ride, free roll. For $75, you can play in a bigger game at Gulfstream. They have a $15 game for maybe uh, if you're kind of uh, you know looking to get involved but you don't have the $75. Maybe you want to play bigger. That's fine. They've got one for you at Charlestown. You can play for 100 bucks, or maybe you only have a few left, but you still want some action. Heck, you can play at Charlestown for three and in that Gulfstream free ride, so plenty of opportunities on Thursday. On Friday, you've got another free ride, this one over at Charlestown. Four tracks, five different contests, free games, and uh, one that's all the way up to $100 for the bigger players at Gulfstream and at Penn National. Charlestown, Gulfstream, Penn, Tampa are the contest tracks. Saturday, you've got four different tracks, six different contests. Charlestown, Gulfstream, Mahoning Valley in Tampa. Games from as low as 3 bucks all the way up to 150 bucks, and the big game at Gulfstream Park. Sunday, you've got uh, oh, that big win at Gulfstream on Saturday for... 150 bucks, $30,000 in prizes. Wow. That's one of the bigger pools I can remember. On Sunday at Gulfstream, three different games for you. So it's going to be all Gulfstream on Sunday. Maybe you're uh, you're interested in playing in a, a smaller game, five bucks with a $1,250 pool. You can play in the $100 game with a $3,000 pool or in the $200 double up. A big week with a, a lot of a focus at Gulfstream Park this week at Stable Duel. We're going to help you out. We'll give you some plays for today, for Wednesday, coming up right now. And then we'll also give you some for Friday and for Saturday. So let's go to Gulfstream. Let's look at races 3, 4, and 7. And we're looking at December the 15th. If you want to follow along with your past performances. In the third, we've got a group of maiden special weights. These are Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up. They're going to be going a mile on the turf course. I like the one ventriloquist. So she's been on the synthetic in her last two starts. She got shuffled inside last time out, back to mid-pack. She was chasing lone speed. She got stuck. She actually broke pretty well. She's got a little more speed than it looks on paper. In fact, on September the 11th, she broke really, really well. She settled inside, though, behind horses, and she got the shuffle back that day, too. So it's kind of like hidden in her running lines. She's had some sneaky trouble trips. She's got a little more speed than it seems. She draws the rail. Johnny V jumps aboard the number one ventriloquist. If you're playing in stable duel, she's only going to cost you 5000 because she's 6 to 1 and if she's anything over 7 to 2 I'm going to make a win wager on Ventriloquist. Let's move to the fourth race at Gulfstream Park. 125 non 3 claimers going a mile on the dirt here. I'm looking at the number 6 Baby Lion. Baby Lion goes into a very good claim barn and uh, this is a, a barn who has excellent numbers first start off the claim and if you dig into some of Baby Lion's races, well, she comes out of a race 
going 6250 uh in September, the horse she beat came back to win a next out at that level. Two starts back, she was just probably in a little bit too tough. And prior to that, she has a couple races that would really stack up well with these. So, give me Baby Lion here in the fourth race. She's five to one on the morning line in stable duel. That'll cost you six thousand. At seven to two, I'd make a win wager on her. Moving to the seventh race at Gulfstream Park, optional twenty five first level allowance. They're going to go a mile. On the main there. I looked at the six Hercules. Coming out of a tougher race. Legitimate trouble. That was on the synthetic. This is a horse who we've seen run well. On the dirt. And he just is really honest overall. Nobody in this race scares the heck out of you. I did think Little Demon. You know if you were looking for a big, a bigger price. Or maybe a horse to use underneath. That was another one who I could include. In some exotics. So I'd use the six on top. I'd use the four in some underneath spots there. If we can get anything around three to one. We'll make a win wager on Hercules. So that is Gulfstream for Wednesday, December the 15th. We've got a couple for you over at Tampa for Wednesday. Let's bounce over there to Tampa. We're going to take a look at races 2, 5, 7, and 9. Wednesday, December the 15th at Tampa. Second race is 8,000 non-three claimers, 7 furlongs on the main track. The six Mangrove Mama is the horse who I'm the most intrigued by on the win end. Now the four Bionic Bottle, she's probably going to end up in the exotics because she is the one to catch. There's not a lot of speed in here. She comes in from Gulfstream. But Mangrove Mama, she's lightly raced. She's got some upside. Now she's sort of at the mercy of racing luck because she's probably going to want to launch from off of the pace. But I don't think she's as like a stone cold closer. And she won for the new barn last time out. So to me, that shows that she's got a little bit of upside. And she's on the improve here. Making just her second start for this barn. Making just her second start since August. Making her second start at Tampa. Lots of things to like in here. The number six, Mangrove Mama. In, you know, she's 6-1 to one on the morning line in Stable Duel. She's only going to cost you 5000 if you're playing this race. If she's anything around 7-2... to two, I would play her to win, and I would use her in exotics along with the four. And maybe if you are playing Stable Duel, this is a race where you double up and you use them both. In the fifth race, we'll go to 16 non-two claimers traveling a mile on the turf course here. I did think there's a good amount of speed in this race with the one whiskey plank likely to be forwardly placed. The three not invented here. Should want to be close up. You've got the four, Big Polo, who's going to show some speed. Then you get to the outside, and you've got Westward Look and Roll On Dude. You'd imagine both of them going to be close up. Even Husband-in-Law has some has shown some speed here and there. I like the five rows for a saint. I think you can excuse the last couple for him. So he had an incident on July the 25th where he hit a rival and he fell over. And, he, and, he, and then in his... Race right after that, he came back and he didn't run well. And then we have, you know, he's been off for a few months. Sometimes after an incident like that, you need a little while just to to get figured. And maybe there was something wrong with him that they didn't initially see. So he's had some time. And when you dig into some of his turf form prior to that, what's wrong with either of the races back at Tampa in January? The, The maiden breaking score, the one right after that against winners was not bad at all. And then he was sent to the bench from January to July, came back, ran second after a slow start in the slop. And then when he tried the turf, he had a bad, uh, that, that bad trouble trip on July the 25th where he fell. 
The number five, Rose for a Saint for a barn who is capable of getting him ready to win off of a, a little bit of a freshening as well. Give me the five trying to mow them down late in here. And Stable Duel, great horse to use at 10 to 1, only going to cost you 1,000 in your lineup. We move to race number seven. 16 non-two claimers a mile on the turf course. I'm looking at the eight, Cochise Charlie, whose lone race on the turf was sprinting, but that was his lone victory. And when you look around the rest of this field, who do you think is going to be faster than him? It's not going to be the one or the two, or the three, or the four. I mean, the four has shown a little bit of speed. The five, the six. We've seen Rainer, we've seen Reiner show speed. So maybe, maybe it is Reiner. But I think Cochise Charlie is quicker with coming out of the, some of those sprint races and dropping in class. Right next door, Estilio Ver, uh, Vero Nil has a little bit of space. But what's funny is Co- uh, Cochise Charlie actually beat that one. When breaking his maiden. I think the 8 has an opportunity to maybe outrun this field. I think he'll probably get bet down a little bit from 8 to 1 on the morning line. So that's actually really nice in stable duel. Because he's only going to cost you 3000 If he is in the 4 to 1 or above range, I'll play a few bucks to win on the number 8, Cochise Charlie. We move to the ninth for the final Wednesday play. And I'm looking... At this maiden special weight group going a mile and 16th on the turf course. Looking at the eight, Carpenter's Call, who will get Lasix for the first time. He's shown some ability. He was uh, in his first two, he was actually favored in his last start, but he didn't race from Oct- in a year, from October of 2020 to October of 2021. And when he came back, he sort of ran like a horse who needed the race. He was involved early, he faded late. That was going six furlongs on the dirt. Now he's going to stretch out to a mile and a 16th on the turf. He ran well going a mile two back at Gulfstream Park West. Now he's going to try the turf, his damn one on the turf, and he's going to get Lasix for the first time. The number eight, Carpenter's Call, should be forwardly placed in here. He is eight to one on the morning line. If you get anything around five, I'll make a win wager on Carpenter's Call. Make sure to throw him in your stable dual lineups. He's only going to cost you 3000 bucks to include at that uh what eight thousand dollar price or at that uh, eight to one morning line price? So good luck there, and make sure to get involved in those stable duel contests on Wednesday at Gulfstream and at Tampa. Anyone out there who is looking to improve, to upgrade their home, or anything in the world of real estate, you have to check out full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. CindyCarava.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help you with home improvement and connect you with the right type of vendors. You know, if you're looking for landscapers, painters, um, all sorts of gardeners that she's used in her own homes and people that she's worked with. If you need help getting approved for a home loan, she'll connect you with the right type of lender that will make that process easy for you. Cindy has the Black Friday sale all the way till December 31st. If you connect with her now, she will give you a deal up to $1,500 off of the services and fees that she uh, that you'll end up uh, having. So, If you're interested in buying a new house, maybe selling yours or upgrading or any type of home improvement, heck, maybe you just want to find out how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. CindyCarava.com. Check out her website.
we get into Hawkeye. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It is our Hawkeye episode four deep dive. Only six episodes in this season, so we're uh, down to just two remaining. Tim Kelly joins us. It's a big week in the world of Marvel MCU. Spider-Man coming out in just a few days, so we will have a recap and a review on Spider-Man for you in the next few weeks. I'm going to have to go out and watch it a couple times, so we uh, we have everything to talk about with you. But Tim is here with us for episode four of Hawkeye scene by scene in our deep dive that you don't find anywhere else. We are four episodes down in Hawkeye now. Tim Kelly joins us again for our weekly recaps, or our recaps of anything to do with the Marvel MCU. And it's going to be a big week coming up for Marvel. Oh, yeah. The next week, TK, we've got another episode of Hawkeye and then Spider-Man, which yeah. is, that kind of feels like one of the big ones uh, coming mm-hmm. in, in the, of, the re, of the next, you know, Projects, um, TV shows on Disney Plus, movies that there are ahead. I mean, of the ones announced, yeah. this one feels like it's a it's a big one, massive. Yeah, I mean, this is Spider Man Endgame. This is the multiverse aspect uh, coming in here. We're, we, we've had Into the Spider Verse just with massive success with a multiverse concept, uh, and now they're bringing that into the MCU. Uh, I mean, they they're teasing it. Uh, we know for a fact that it's uh, they're bringing the villains in. We're strongly suspecting Andrew Garfield and to- Tobey Maguire. Other versions of Spider-Man are going to be in this. Uh, I'm so excited. I have my tickets. I can't wait. So, and uh, we've been hearing a, a lot as you know, some of the creators and writers. Kevin Feige's been in the news talking about a lot of these upcoming projects. And as I said, spoiler alert: we're going to go over everything that went down. In episode four of Hawkeye, we'll talk about you know how it uh, affects previous episodes, how it affects possibly future projects in this world. So, Tim, this was uh, of the four we've seen so far. This was the the shortest of the episodes, which probably makes me think they mm-hmm. set it up this way to give us kind of two longer ones left uh, of this six episode run. But the big, yeah. big, big news coming out of this one: Yelena Belova is here. Uh, the character that we were introduced to in Black Widow, the sister, quote unquote, of Natasha Romanoff and a former Black Widow. Natasha shows up in the last few minutes of this episode. So uh, that no matter what, that's a big deal. And uh, yeah. they have really started to I mean, it feels like with two episodes left, we got a lot going on here. Yeah, yeah. A lot of balls in the air. We got to figure out what's going on with Jack. And Eleanor, uh, what are they up to? Who is this big guy they keep referring to? We strongly suspect uh, Kingpin. In fact, at last last week, I pretty much bet my life on it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, we, we got a lot go, going on right now. What's going on with that watch? Uh, what's going to happen with the sword? You know, a lot of a so lot of questions to be answered about her. Then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like yes. we didn't ever really think of Laura as much more than just oh, the the wife to to Clint. Now we're starting mm-hmm. to find out. I mean, she has to have been an agent. She had definitely has some oh, Tony connection. Stark. Yeah, right. Tony yeah. Stark said yeah, that right, right away. <laughs> when, uh, <when> <laughs> that has to be an agent, agent. of some sort. <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, I thought, continued to do a really good job of towing those lines between some fun, a lot of heart, and then a lot of a- action at the end. That I think a lot of people were yeah. waiting for. We were getting those mm-hmm. like crisscross match matchups between. Uh, Kate and Yelena And we were seeing Kate mm-hmm. and Maya And then Clint and Yelena And Clint and Maya And that was a lot of fun 
I uh, again Rock just fun. You know, I, I felt I felt like we're we're moving forward so much in this show because mm-hmm. of that time clock. You just feel like, oh, nice, we're going, we're mm-hmm. going, we're going, we're going, we're going. And I I, I don't have too many negatives or really too many critiques. I thought again with this episode, always going to be a few things here or there, but a, a lot yeah. more things that I I thought felt just super genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. even from the very beginning. The 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 stuff with Jack and Eleanor, I thought was very mm-hmm. like cute. You know, they're having that little yes. dance scene, and it was like wow. And even Kate's kind of looking at them, going, "Wow, I never seen yeah. my mom quite this happy." That was just kind of like a genuine little scene there. Um, and then yeah. all the stuff between Kate and Clint. You know, the Christmas, mm-hmm. the little Christmas party they're having when he actually starts to really open up to her. Um, th- there are. A few times throughout this episode where you really kind of feel it in your belly a little bit. You're like, ah, oh, you know, that's oh, that's sweet. Or you, 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 you yeah. definitely feel that connection between them or the connection with Eleanor and Jack. And so I, I thought, yeah, I thought there were some just kind of cute moments in this episode, too. That's so good that you mentioned that and that you also mentioned, you know, a little bit of critique beforehand, because I felt kind of both ways about about those moments in particular, actually, I thought they were really sweet, a little bit, um, a little bit Corny. cringy, cute, uh, but um, right. but also, but but genuinely cute and sweet. And, and then I thought there was this subtext or under layer uh, with the uh, Jack and Eleanor part, where there was like um, maybe something sinister going on. Something just didn't seem right. Too good to be true. She seemed intoxicated in in that she, moment, and I, I'm just she, thinking, what are they up to? And the more I thought her, like the, I, I definitely got the feeling from this episode too that Jack isn't as bad of a guy or that bad of a right. Like he's he's so goofy and laughing. Maybe they're throwing us off with that, but it felt to me right. more like Eleanor that has stuff to hide. Eleanor that maybe yeah. has a little bit more of a past. Jack's doing the, you know, he keeps messing up the puns. Which is mm-hmm. just fun, which is just great. And he doesn't really yeah. get that he's messing up, like he's mincing his words and stuff. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's some fun stuff there. And um, we we get a couple flashbacks here where we get uh, some moments for Clint that are really, really powerful. In fact, there's a flashback scene mm-hmm. where we get a look at Natasha right before she fell to her death from yeah. Clint's perspective. And I think there's even a little bit of footage that we, you know, some Ronin footage that was like new stuff that we hadn't seen before him doing, you know, mm. something or uh, some sort of mission that he was on. So we're getting kind of looks into his old life, big moments or big memories that were important to him. And those start to to sort of percolate and resurface because of the relationship that he has with Kate. It's kind of it's. Reminiscent to him it's just starting to hit on some of the Starting to play on some of the same strings That that relationship with Natasha Had so much so Tim that there's Actually a moment Where he kind of thinks that he Kate's gone she goes flying Off the rooftop at one point And it and from the angle That we see it like it looks Like she's done I mean She ends up getting hooked Up on the zip line she kind of gets caught Up on it and and he's like he ends up kind of cutting her to re- to her release, and she ends up coming back. And yeah. then again, she almost falls. She's battling with Maya, and she almost goes like in the middle of a gap on the roof. So he's like looking at her a mm. couple times, where it almost looks like she falls. 
And so this is starting to bring up some serious emotions for him because as much as we think this, as much as we've seen Kate, she's got some mad skills. She's good. This is a girl who's really young and she is nowhere near trained the way that uh, uh, Natasha Romanoff was, which is something that Eleanor even mentioned to Clint in this yeah. episode. Absolutely. Kate is is super green. She's young. And and you really feel that dynamic throughout the episode, that mentor um, and protege kind of relationship. That's uh, very father daughter. Uh, there was one point where they're hanging out alone. It's this married man, you know, in his 40s. Hanging I was thinking out alone about that, too. With young, right? and, and and I didn't think about it really until like my second watch when I was really Dude. like, cause their, their it's dynamic exactly. is just so platonic and he's protective of her and there's yeah. no me too moments. Even nothing hinted weird. at no, nothing. Right. Goofy. It doesn't even like cross. Like you said, you sort of have mm-hmm. to be forced into thinking about it and you only kind of think about it because of like the time that we're in. Right. You look at it yeah. and you go, Oh wow. Younger girl. She's good looking girl. And she's good. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the relate it's, she adores this guy so much. There's nothing sexual about it. Absolutely not. It's it's definitely like a familial. Like yeah, he's a parent. Uh, to her. He's in father mode around her. Absolutely. And he sees her, uh, as he said in like, I think the first or second episode, uh, she's she's nine. He yep. sees her as nine initially. Yep. So uh, she's barely beyond that point at, at right now. So she's she's adolescent in his mind. The. The stuff with Laura too we're finding out You know their relationship is so great um, As Clint continues to try to get home In, in time for Christmas So this is a, a Very new And with other Projects coming up in the future And a really great actress like Linda Cardellini It's kind of cool that they're Seemingly giving her more and more To do now in this world when For a while yeah. she was just you know The wife, uh, wife on the right. phone some of the times we we joked about in the early episodes, but right. now it seems like you know she's speaking German here. Mm-hmm. She obviously has some type of connections that she can find out information very quickly for Clint yeah. to help him when he's uh you know on his missions when he's investigating. So this is it's you know what it's mm-hmm. like a partnership really here. It looks like a lot of the work that Clint's done through the years and a lot of things that um. He's probably gotten figured out. Uh, must have been on the on the backs and and probably a, a, with a lot of help from Laura. Yeah, and it's an interesting uh, turn in the story. I'm all for it. Um, I'm not sure it was conceived that way. I I, I don't yeah. know. I imagine it was uh, something that they're retconning right now. But I do mm-hmm. think it fits. Uh, and I I love Linda Cardellini. I'd love to see her more. Uh, you know, involved in the main storylines there and not not the side stories. Um, and uh, I've heard uh, specifically, you know, I'm, I'm watching the, the Nerdist re- recaps of this, and they proposed that it was um, uh, possibly a Mockingbird scenario. Now, Mockingbird was uh, originally shown uh, in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. already within, you know, the MCU. If you count Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as MCU, that's kind of debatable at this point. Uh, that but Bobby maybe Morse? That was the character, right? I think they were they were referring to. Um, the, the character from the comics was named Bobby mm. Morse So that's what's what kind of cool TK about what they're doing with A lot of these episodes or a lot of these shows Or even you know the movies When they're yeah. pulling from the comics They're never really pulling directly Exactly it's not like they're using yeah. it As a 100% Source and text They pull little things here and there I mean for example like Kazi that we're seeing in this show He's way different This is a way different type of character mm. Than had been 
you know, that we've been introduced to in a lot of the comics. So yeah. that's that's a great point there. We th- are they kind of bringing in two different care? You know, we have a character that we've already seen. Are they introducing different things from them? Are they kind of like you said they do sort of like retconning things sometimes, or they go back? Um, it's what's great is we don't know and we don't want to know. If if we did, it would be really yeah. boring if we could just kind of say this is exactly what it is. Um, yeah. And uh, well, the other thing that, they, that um, on uh, that Nerdist front, that theory there, uh, is that it could be sort of a Black Widow scenario where the maybe the Mockingbird is is like a moniker that's taken up, and there was a, that Shield's answer to uh, the Black Widows could be something like that. So credit to Nerdist on that. I don't want to take uh, yeah, credit yeah. for that theory. Yeah, that makes there's a it's a good theory there. As uh, we check in once again with some of the LARPers And uh, some of these uh, group of LARPers are actually characters in the comics too It's They're not just necessarily, um, you know, random group of uh, of cops and, uh, and firemen here So we we did meet with Grills previously Now we uh, we meet up with Wendy Conrad, who is one of the cops She's actually... In the mm-hmm. goes by bombshell in the comics. Yeah. They even make reference to it later on when uh, with the nickname on her bag there. So the uh, the LARPers are back in, and you wonder if they're going to have more of a role to play uh, yeah. it, later on. Do they have to help out a little bit more? Um, we'll see. Uh, having them back in the mix adds a little bit of humor, and I thought it was just so funny throughout the episode how Kate is so proud. She's so. Yeah. Proud to be doing this Avengers mission The She's working with an Avenger With her hero how many times She tells her mom she tells whoever Yeah we're, we're best friends we're partners uh, You know I'm gonna I'm gonna Just, I'm gonna mission like you know uh, I'm, I'm here yeah. But she walks up to the LARPers And she's like uh, yep um, I'm here to uh, my, my partner <laughs> best friend Hawkeye You know uh, official official business and then even When she's in the the apartment she's like Trying on the costumes and stuff And she's yeah. so she just is so proud to when she's crossing the street and she's walking in front of cars like, hey, you know, doesn't even care. It's, it's the the confidence that he, uh, that she has and and just the uh, like how excited she is to be doing this. It, it it shines through. You can definitely feel it. Oh, yeah. She's making up nicknames for him. CB1. She's telling people on the on the <laughs> elevator, just random strangers. Oh, that, that old man with, was so. like yeah. so scared. He's like, get away from me, you crazy <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's so proud. She seems psychotic. Exactly. And she's and, you know, she's got a costume on and she's got yeah. the big she's carrying this big bow. And it's yeah. like. Where did this girl escape from? Like, what place did she yeah. just get out of? You know? Um, yeah, and that bow is not collapsible either. No, it's just just walking around with this huge, like, staff-looking thing almost <laughs> as she's just, like, walking the streets of New York late at night. We continue to... This has been sort of a um, an ongoing theme throughout these more recent Marvel movies and shows. Gotta go back to move forward. Right? So... Mm-hmm. Clint is dealing with the skeletons from Natasha. Everybody's dealing with the 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 blip and what's happened since then. We get the uh, the Thanos mug again. You know what's going on with Thanos and uh, and how things yeah. have the, the perspective has sort of sort of shifted a little bit with Thanos. So 
I think for how is that a meme in this world? I I don't even understand that. I know (laughs) doesn't make sense. How did they get out? I really want to know more about what the general public's knowledge of Thanos was, and how does everybody know about the Infinity Gauntlet? And a lot of things. It it is kind of uh, you know we we sort of forget that as much as the Avengers are just people, I I sort of get the sense that it's like any major athlete or movie star the way that they're. Covered, yeah. you know, everybody knows stuff about their personal lives for the most part. It we hear, you know, some of them, oh, you broke up with Jay, you know, you just like, you know, right. they know when things happen. So uh, I want to see the Diane Sawyer or, or, right? or the uh, sixty the, minutes the of 60 like minutes the Avengers twenty twenty Barbara Walters yeah. or whatever. Yeah, give me, give me one of those. Uh, Katie Couric, you know, um, exactly. I, I agree with you that that would be funny to see how and what. They know about everything that went down exactly, and uh, what is the what is the public perception of of Thanos? Who you know the last couple last time we saw Thanos in the What If he's being a good guy, he's all smiling and he's joking, yeah. and now every time he gets referenced here, it's it's generally for a for a laugh. So they're I don't think in a in a coincidental way sort of shifting our our uh, our thoughts on on old Thanos there and. Uh, <laughs> Whether it be subconscious or not, the yeah, I mean, just thinking about where we sort of end up uh, with at the end of this episode, we are asking, okay, what the heck's going on with Eleanor? The one question I have too yeah. throughout this episode, she goes and makes a phone call. Is it her calling mm-hmm. Yelena? Is it her calling Val? Who is she calling? Is she calling Kingpin? Who we've referenced before because we see her make the call and then we see Yelena show up a little bit after. Is she telling Yelena, hey, Hawkeye's at my house right now. Clint is here, you know, so let, let's do this. What is she right. – There's when she makes that call, she gets that – even when they're sitting at the, the desk or they're sitting at the table, you hear her phone ring and she kind of looks at it and she – and then – that's when she goes a little bit afterwards and she makes the call. So that's a question. We have the kingpin question. We have questions all about Maya Echo. Now, you know, you sort of Yelena shows up. We know that her and Yelena, Yelena and Maya aren't on the same team because they are fighting each other and they're going at it uh, a little bit there. Mm-hmm. What's up with Jack? We've kind of shifted our thoughts on Jack now. Uh, Laura yeah. is interesting because, like we said, it's it doesn't seem – I don't think they would have started to give her a little bit more and more without wanting to tell us more about her backstory, who she is, what she's done. Maybe we find that out here. Maybe we find that out in projects moving forward. But there do seem like a lot of a lot of things in a good way. Like I'm very I have a lot of questions I asked. And while I don't expect them to cover all of them completely 100 percent in the next couple episodes. We're gonna, we're definitely gonna get progression from all of these characters and stories because I think all of them are likely gonna be showing up in future movies and projects down the line. Yeah, I mean, we got uh, a lot of irons in the fire right now, and what we're enjoying at the moment is a fruition of, you know, that already happening. You know, we we got Elena in this episode, and that was a really like fun, fresh surprise. We were expecting it. I shouldn't even really say surprise because they telegraphed it uh, pretty big. But uh, but it was it was satisfying to see her on screen. And as it was unfolding, you kind of uh, figured it out, like who who that is behind the mask. And there's these two like dual fights happening at one time. Uh, and it was just a, a, a great moment for the 
for the MCU in general. And it's it's one of those things that happens when you, you just plant those seeds and then you allow them to sprout and then cross pollinate. And, and that's what we're getting here. So think about the uh, the strong female presence in this show also. You know, from oh, Kate yeah. to Maya to Yelena to even Eleanor, who obviously is gonna play a mm-hmm. role in this and, and and has a big part to play. And now Laura, yeah. someone who's being introduced as a lot more I don't want to say important, but has a much bigger role to play, you know, through through a lot of these yeah. things than we than we thought. So that's really refreshing exactly. too, and goes again. Directors to show, too, yeah. The directors Burton Birdie again, yeah. Back to and back goes to show that it's like it's on this string of uh, Wandavision, you know, a uh, strong female lead through a lot of that, and then you get into. Uh, you know, where we continued on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we're literally dealing with race. And, and some heavy mm-hmm. topics throughout a lot of that Then you get into this You know, Loki, it's about yourself And, and the self-realization What if is all over the place But we're dealing with with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these heavy Heavy topics And it's not just this Hey, Marvel superheroes Going out there shooting them up We're really getting deeper and deeper here Into humanity And I think that's a yeah. it's a direction you have to go With this world where you want to be able to have some fun, but you want to be able to hit people in the in the heart also. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't make thirty movies like this and shows and and yes. if they're all just you know, like the Fast and Furious stuff is fun, but even those will have a little bit of heart and some comedy mm-hmm. and stuff. They, they they can't just be cars going fast and crazy for two hours. You know, you have to have some soul here. I, I've been yeah. really pleased so far as we get ready to jump in to. Our scene by scene deep dive here. Only two more episodes left after this one. I'm already getting the sad feeling, you know, like ah, oh, uh, yeah, that, that, the end of show feeling, you know. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I should say this. I felt like this was the beginning of like a part two. So I, I felt like uh, episodes one through three are almost like a contained movie where they become uh, a partner. You know, Hawkeye and Kate. Uh, and then this is almost like you're picking okay. back up with them. Lethal weapon one, lethal weapon two. You know exactly. Yep, exactly. That's what this felt like. So this feels like part one of like the second movie to me. Um, I just ha- had that in my head the whole time. And we pick up exactly where we left off in episode three. We are at Kate's mom's house with Jack with the the sword, holding it up to the neck of Clint. So we open the episode with the previously on. And then we get the Marvel MCU title, and here's Jack with the Ronin sword. As Kate runs in from the other room, Jack, no! And uh, Eleanor walks in. What the hell is going on, and why is there an Avenger in my dining room? Um, so we at least kind of quickly, you know, when when we left off last week, we didn't know. Okay, what's going to happen next? Who is Jack? With as, as far as uh, the relationship with Clint Do they know each other Well it doesn't seem like they do They were definitely playing it as if they didn't Because Jack says Oh my god you're Archer <laughs> Just kind of playing on how he's always Screwing everything up And uh, yeah. Kate corrects him No uh, Hawkeye And Clint just says Clint And she kind of quickly Even in the middle of this like yeah. He had a sword at his throat. This is really serious. Could have been killed right there. She's like, 
it's the branding issue, man. I'm telling yeah. you, like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I thought that was pretty great. So, um, yeah, this is right where we left off last week. We had a major cliffhanger. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know, you know, what Jack was going to be, but this sort of begins an episode where Jack was by far the most friendly kind of funny and charming mm-hmm. Of any of the episodes and and I think of of how we've seen Jack so far, yeah, which is interesting because you know, uh, I guess not to spoil anything, but we learn later on that this you know uh, Sloan company is like a shell company in his mm-hmm. name, right? So you know, is he up to something or is he kind of like a you know a, a patsy or is he going along with it? He's some kind of double agent. He's the swordsman, some kind of vigilante that's trying to you know take it down from the inside. We really just don't know at this point. Um, you kind of mentioned earlier, maybe they're kind of just trying to draw us attention, our attention away from from him, and uh, to kind of uh, make us think, uh, let our guards down about him, and you know, because he's going to be ultimately a villain. So uh, it, it, time will tell, you know, honestly. Uh, but I get the feeling that um, they're setting him up to be at least some kind of a, a likable antihero. Yeah, 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 and and you kind of get the feel with a couple of the, the people in this series right now, mm-hmm. right? I think. I don't think Elena is going to end up being bad. I don't think right. Maya, the sense of Maya and Echo, you know, Echo, I don't mm-hmm. think she's going to be bad. She seems to have some really right. honest motivations for what she's doing. Um, you know, even Kazi, who you kind of saw having, like, he he mm-hmm. genuinely doesn't want his friend Maya to get killed, to to get into some trouble. So, you know, he, he yeah. does seem to have some good in there, too. Um and then you know we'll find out with uh, with with Eleanor is she someone who is bad is she someone who because no matter what she does seem to really love her daughter I don't think that's mm-hmm. you know like a fake or phony thing um, we've kind of we've questioned some of the maybe parenting that she's done in the first few episodes where it's been like what How, yeah. why you're just letting her walk even here again was funny because you know they have this interaction and. Then Clint leaves, and it's almost like Eleanor's telling Kate, "You're not, you're not going anywhere. Stay here." And then we just kind of see her pop back up again, uh, <laughs> not not long afterwards. So uh, we got to remember, though. I guess she is 22, so it's not mm-hmm. as if she's 16 there, and she's right. keeping she's keeping her there. She can do she can do what she wants if she wants. True, and she'll let you know all the time how Hawkeye and her are working on a case. We needed to use the bathroom. So we went by the house, we dropped in, no big deal So Kate, Clint, Eleanor And Jack, they're sitting around at the dining room Table here, and this is right after The Hawkeye title comes on With two arrows Through the A in Hawkeye Instead of this, the uh, the one Before, so uh, Eleanor questions Kate, working on a case together? And Jack says, how terrific And uh, Kate's, yeah, he's my partner And this is when they're doing the like Kate's saying something and Clint's immediately like, no, yeah. no, you know, he, he's my partner. We're not partners. Well, we're friends <laughs> slash partners. I really wouldn't describe us as friends. And <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Eleanor's phone rings, gets a little buzz, but just kind of hear the phone ring. Don't nothing more to it. She looks and says, someone tried to use my laptop to sign on to my work account 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Any thoughts, Kate, Hawkeye, Kate's. You're never going to get anything out of him See CB1 he has trouble yeah. Opening up <laughs> he looks 
CB1? It's like what Tim looks yeah. at me like every time I'm giving him the TK stuff. Like, what are you doing over <laughs> here, man? Come on, you know? And oh, no, I, I love uh, the TK. <laughs> Don't ever stop. Yeah, this is this is uh this is good, man. Their their chemistry here, their dynamic, where you know, she's so oh yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, uh, okay, I, I'm just trying it out for a second. You know, it's it's something to do yeah. with an early childhood thing. He doesn't tell me. He thinks he doesn't tell me much, but he ends up telling me all of it. <laughs> He's like, I tell her nothing, and <laughs> she's she's she right. Says, she's right. She is. She's right. By by the end of this episode, I should say, there's exactly. a few things here, like that she knows quite a bit, and she's she gets it out of him. You know, she says it before. Uh, you know, he offers it, Absolutely. and uh, and I'd say they're friends by the end of the episode. No doubt so, about. It. Uh, and yeah. even when he has to like answer, like, well, yeah, but you are partners. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, this, God, it sounds weird. <laughs> uh, my, my, one of my favorite lines that was after when, uh, you know, he says, I tell her nothing. And Kate jumps in. I mean, I think it's because I'm generally pretty chill. You know, I'm not like, <laughs> oh my God, Hawkeye. And, right. And he just is definitely not chill, you know? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, this was yeah. this was good. Eleanor and Jack, they're not really sure how to react. Uh, but Jack says, uh, by the way, thank you for saving the world. And <laughs> Clint says, don't mention it. Eleanor, <laughs> you know, has, that. right? Yeah, he's, come on, please. Yeah. I'm done. You know, I, stop, stop annoying me with this stuff. I, I just want yeah. to go back to my family. As, uh, you know, Eleanor's like, this is where you do. She does kind of act like at least how a mom would. Okay, I'd like my daughter to start telling me the truth. So Kate lets her know, okay, I logged into your account. I needed information on an actual case with actual people who are in actual danger. And Eleanor kind of perks up. So Kate is helping you with an Avengers level threat. And Clint is like, well, uh, not, not exactly, but you're, but you're working together. And he stops to think for a second. Yeah, it sounds weird. Cause it is. And th- this makes Kate smile. Like this was like, you know, Okay, yeah, yeah, we're working together, you know. This was like, she was just, she was telling everyone, but just to see her, Hawkeye say they're working together, it was like, oh, yeah, wow, I'm working with him. You look at, would you look <laughs> at me, huh? Yeah, that she was this oh, glowing here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's all about it. She's she's just in love with this moment. Oh, it's so great. It, you can just, you can feel it on her. As uh, Eleanor says, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to trust everyone at this table to do what's right. And at that moment, Clint notices the Ronin sword off to the side, kind of catches it. And as uh, Clint gets ready to go, he Eleanor says, I'll walk you out. We we don't see him on on screen take it, but you can sort of see a little blip in the background. And then when we when he's in the elevator a minute later, we notice that he's got the sword. So he takes the Ronin sword back from Jack, and before he leaves, Eleanor has a little moment with him where this is kind of like when uh, you know you're dating someone, and this is like the, what the dad says to you, or yeah. like one of their friends or a bro- older brother would say to you, like, "If you hurt her, I will, right. you know, I will kill you." You know, it's, it's like real like. And Eleanor says, "Look, she's not a superhero." And Clint does give her a compliment. He says, look, I know, but she's pretty good at all this. And Eleanor says, so is Natasha Romanoff. That's a deep cut. 
That's mm-hmm. a deep cut. And being good enough, being good isn't always enough to keep you alive. So Eleanor is doing some real good manipulating here because she she's trying to get him off the scent of this case. And I don't know how much it's 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 not wanting Kate to work with him at all. I'm sure from a mother's perspective, she's worried about her daughter and, you know, being out in in this situation. But it did seem more like so you're going to give up on this case, right? You're going to stop with this case. And he, he mm-hmm. was like, well, no, I'm not. But I will make sure that your daughter stays safe Because she even Mentions his family Right. Yeah I'm going to assume you have a family right But I'm letting you know I can't lose Kate I've lost people before I know you have too So yeah Some subtext there Yeah right It's like a low key threat maybe Yeah yeah and remember what Eleanor does she's in charge of uh, security Security yeah She's got footage all over the place I'm sure of Clint when she says something like that, I mean, she knows he's got a family, so she doesn't say it. She doesn't. It's not a question that she's asking. In fact, we. Yeah. She. I mean, how much does does she even know that he was the Ronin? Does she know? Right. Think about that. Think about the final scene or uh, the post credit scene in Black Widow when Val shows mm-hmm. Elena the picture and says, "Look, this is the guy who killed your sister," and it's Clint like, in the Ronin suit. Yeah. Is that something that? Eleanor has and thinks too. Um, right. th- this is she was, working with El- is she working with Val? Is Eleanor yeah, working with Val? Is she's the one who supplied it, that picture to Val. Why are they all what what are the levels here? Is it Val Kingpin in the mix somewhere? Eleanor here, then Kazi, the tracksuits, Maya. It's kind of fun to think of the 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 ladder of uh, uh on this side. So yeah, she. We're talking about corporations too, corporate shell companies working with these like street level mm-hmm. gangs mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and criminal organizations. So you know, it could be these very um, you know public facing uh, figures that we're dealing with. These people that uh, that are prominent media figures. You know, if you look into what's the most uh, the biggest example of like a villain. In superhero uh, comics, it's Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor is yeah. like this billionaire. It'd be like if like Elon Musk yeah. was like a legit uh, villain, you know. Well, some people would say that that <laughs> is the case. He was like literally trying to block the sun or something like that. You yeah, know? I was gonna say we uh, we may find out in ten years that he. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so Clint leaves, Kate stays. Eleanor goes in the other room and makes a call, a private call. We don't know to whom So she just says it's Eleanor uh, Could you call me back please it's urgent From one call To the next Clint calls his wife As he's walking down the street And Laura said I talked to that friend of yours he's really busy He's been learning Russian And jogging a ton Hmm (laughs) What do you think Who do you think she's talking about Good question. I, <laughs> I don't know. Who no, do you think? I don't. I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I, I thought it was a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. You know. Yeah. So, but it seems like one to kind of ponder, and then that's not just a, a random yeah. thing. Like it's no, gonna I, absolutely. Come back. But I, I don't know who that is though. No, me neither. I, and I don't. I, I this is one that I want to like start speculating and then go down to rap. I'm just kind of curious. Okay, who are they going to show up and and who is yeah. this going to be? Um. So Clint asks tracksuits Sloan is uh, Sloan's their front And this is a conversation going back and forth Between Clint and Laura she lets him know yes uh, He said his boss Jack Never gives him a day off 
So Jack's the CEO Laundering money for the big guy Laura says let me guess you're going to need another day And he says yeah look I'm helping this kid she's stuck in the middle of it I can't leave until I know she's safe Laura says I've been wondering And then she goes into German It's like whoa okay This is when you this was like the moment where it's like Okay there's definitely more with Laura here, Where she pulls out the German She's just standing in the kitchen And she doesn't want the kids who are around her On the phone to be able to understand And pick up what she's saying the kids are like, yeah. oh, it must be its dad. She's speaking German. Yeah. So this is a common occurrence in their household. They know when mom goes into different languages, she's definitely mm-hmm. got something to hide here. Um, so yeah, they just continue. They have a little bit more conversation between Laura and uh, Clint. They're talking about the Rolex now, and it seems very important to Laura also. So you know yeah. who whose Rolex is this? What is this tied back to? Right. You know, worth looking into if you can check the signal from the transmitter. This thing has a transmitter, this Rolex. Yeah. Um, she says, Oh, you know, yeah, right. So she kind of says, Yeah, you sound like you're tired. Go get a little bit of rest, put your feet up, miss you. And uh, they hang up. She tells the kids, Dad's going to be stuck at work a little longer. They're uh, they're bummed. But yeah, this this is where the watch starts to come into play. Mm hmm. Yeah, and like, oh, whose watch was that? Was it Tony Stark's watch? Uh, was it Laura's watch uh, as, a, as an agent? Is it some kind of like secret spy watch with some information on it as a transmitter? Does it also have, you know, a computer on it with a bunch of storage and sensitive data? I feel like that's what they're getting at when they need to retrieve it because they could possibly expose Laura or, so, or something to do with Hawkeye here. So uh, very interesting uh, to think about that. I also credit again uh, to Nerdist. Uh, what if it's maybe a Stark watch that could access some something within Stark Tower, and maybe Wilson Fisk is the the uh, you know the big guy who bought Stark Tower and then could have access to some you know Stark tech that's like very uh, secret you know, and shouldn't be uh, released to the public, let alone somebody who's uh, going to be a supervillain with it. And. We now get back to the apartment where it's, well, I guess it's not an apartment. It's like an unbelievable townhouse condo. Just she got an elevator in there as uh, Eleanor and Jack are talking. And they're talking about Kate as if Kate's not there. And she's just like sitting on the couch, <laughs> you know? Um, right. Eleanor's like obsessed. She's been completely obsessed with Clint Barton. Well, ever since the attack. Jack's, I should said that she's awfully composed around her idol. If I ever met Huey Lewis, I'd be a wreck. No, Kate's always been confident Never had to worry about her on that front As uh, Jack This is where Jack is like Just the most perfect guy He first he can He can sense that Eleanor is about to have a headache So he says let me get you Mm -hmm. some tea Darling And he even offers Kate Who doesn't want any Kate says mom I really need to talk to you about Jack As Eleanor She's not feeling that right now She's like hey look no, we sort of talked a little bit about this, but Jack's here to stay and give him a break. I need your help with a few decisions on the Bishop holiday party. Kate's not in the mood right now. She's got bigger things um, on her mind, but Eleanor is persistent. Come on, Kate. You're great at this sort of thing. This party's non-dominational encourages company camaraderie with a festive spirit. Kate's not, she's just not into this. That sounds like a blast. And then Jack comes back. Did somebody say parties? Just make sure there's plenty of dancing. And 
Kate's not in the mood. Uh, my mom doesn't dance. Jack says that he begs to differ. And Jack says Jack and Eleanor start to dance. He gra- he grabs her by the hand, he picks her up, and it's super corny, but it's really yeah. sweet and genuine, honestly. And you can see Kate has never seen this side of her mom. Jack is singing, Yeah. It's not roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your ear. And then he just takes a <laughs> bite at her ear. And yeah. it's been said. Just another example of getting the things wrong. Many ways. Merry Christmas. And Eleanor, they're just dancing around together and they're laughing. You know what this is? This is the scene in uh, like the very beginning of Catch Me If You Can when. When Leo's there as a kid and his family Everything's so great with his family And they're dancing around and it just looks perfect yeah. It's like it's never gonna It's never gonna stop And then you know things get But this is that like That scene yeah. I mean this even gives you the like Cap and Peggy Carter feels When they're dancing Like these two people yeah. are super into each other And they very much love each other And so at the at the time when you're like Eleanor is evil and she's doing all this, it it's weird when you see her laugh and smile because that does feel pretty real. Uh, and it Kate's does, even yeah. like, "Wow, I." It's like I've never seen my mom like that at all. Because think about it, Kate's dad died when she was young, so we think because mm-hmm. she's been gone since she was you know, ten years old. So through the last twelve, ten, twelve years. What do we imagine Kate's seen from her mom Eleanor seems like a pretty closed person Too and a pretty private person Can't imagine she's been bringing yeah. home a bunch of dudes On one night stands right Right and even her uh, her parents When her father was alive they were fighting a lot It seemed you know for the, what little we saw Of of her dad at the beginning Of this series yeah, so great point You know that, that, that this might be something Just totally new I mean she says as much Don't think I've ever seen you like that before She says uh, and um I, I still I thought it felt genuine uh, and that Eleanor really believed it. And it's just absolutely wrapped up in this moment. And and this guy uh, and Jack. Um, uh, but there was this element of like absolute like intoxication where I thought like this yeah. person might be, be willing to do anything for this person. or And I just was wondering, yes. what are they up to? That's and it seems point. also too good to be true. That's a, so, that's what so there's just that good hanging over the whole thing. Is what I yeah. absolutely got Like okay this mm-hmm. is There's way there's no way Like it's not like th- this you know This is like a, yeah. literally like how people Want it to be but it it's not And right. um, <laughs> And Jack uh, or Eleanor says a superhero House call and a serenade all in One day and Jack Jack again jumps in And he's just wrong with his puns and stuff Here he says well you know what they say life Is short you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> and they both just start laughing, you know, and it is there is this little family moment between the three of them. And it, it kind of feels yeah. like for the first time, Kate sort of lets her guard down right here. Yeah. You know, because yeah. Jack says, what? What did I say? Did I say something wrong? And she says, every time you use one of those aphorisms, they're wrong. And he said, no, that can't be right. Darling, please. And she said, you, the you other day, though? you know what, though, I got to say. This just feels more like him hiding his sword skills. Right? This is he's, the same he's guy who it up. He's trying to play. be. Yes. Yeah. Like, I think he's doing all these things on purpose to draw. But, oh, oh, I'm a harmless. I'm a harmless okay. guy. No, that's I'm his, okay. that's his okay. MO. It's not me. And 
this is all to distract from the fact that he is a dangerous guy. Uh, but I ultimately think maybe it's more on the vigilante side. Yeah. Oh, yes. he's absolutely playing aloof. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I very much agree. It's more on the anti-hero type hero than it is necessarily yeah. just a straight good guy. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I thought this was a lot of a, a, a lot this funny. Is they're laughing at him and. She says the other day you said absence makes the heart grow older And he says because that's what it does <laughs> She grabs him like like anyone one in their relationship would be When their significant other just says something that's like so dorky and cute She kind of right. just grabs him just come here honey you know I love you And she says oh you're making my heart grow older Jack says, I guess getting laughed at by family is better than being alone in the holidays, right? And, you know, they were Kate, uh, Kate's there with them, and she says, I'm, I'm glad you're both here. Eleanor is excited that, to have the family there. Jack wants to play a board game, Risk, Yahtzee, Stratejo, as we get a flash to Clint, who's now back at Kate's aunt's apartment. Sort of their home base where they've been settling in He's icing his bruises again He's getting the, the frozen stuff Out of the, the freezer He's got one on his on his uh, arm He's got one on his head He's got one taped to his knee As uh, Right as he's like Laying down Looks like he's about to close his eyes and kick back And get a little rest <clears throat> Knock knock at the door It's Kate right. she, she shows up And when she walks in though it does make you smile Because she's got yeah. Her arms are full She's got pizza She's got bags filled with a bunch of Christmas <laughs> stuff You can see pouring out yep. She's got movies And she she just wants to do anything she can To make the situation a little bit better Yeah and she brought Lucky to Pizza Dog too So that's that's always a plus uh, Coming in munching on some cheese its there And <laughs> just coming in a big ball of, of positive energy You're totally yeah. right uh, Super Super charismatic again I know we noted that about her From the jump but like you just can't help but Like her and this character here So it makes sense that Hawkeye with all of his You know guard up and everything that You know it's a, it's the holidays he's gonna Let that guard down and let this Person uh, you know into his Life uh, obviously it's her apartment He's gonna let her up but uh, he's He's opening up to her in this moment uh, and and uh, I really like this whole sequence here and how it kind of develops. Yeah, this is great, and we get a lot of heart between these two. As uh, you mentioned, the dog uh, Lucky runs in; he's munching on some Cheez Its, and she says she's here saving the holidays. I'll get you home for the big day. Figured in the meantime, we could celebrate. It's movie marathon night, right? Check this out. I've got movies. So I I, uh, I saw the Santa Claus, Polar Express, and yeah. Die Hard in the in the mix in there too. Die Hard uh, always. I think the debate. I think Christmas Vacation might have been in there. Yeah, I yeah, sure. yeah. I yeah. thought I caught I thought I caught that one. So yeah. she uh, uh, he he stops her first. But yeah, can we put that on pause for a second and talk about Sword Boy? You've got good instincts, kid. I did a little digging and it turns out Sloan's a shell company that launders money for the tracksuits and Jack Dukens is the CEO. So Kate responds, okay, well, we're just going to have to come up with a plan to take down my mom's fiance's organized crime ring while simultaneously having a heartwarming holiday celebration. <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone, right? There's no reason why we can't do both. So they, uh, they start to map out a plan. They're having some drinks. They're having some fun. 
and yeah. they uh they're just just riffing you know think about some of those avenger scenes where they're they're getting the chinese food they're planning everything yeah. out this is you know this is what's going on here they are kate starts to stand up and she's like writing things out she thinks she's using a whiteboard she's writing on one of her aunt's movie posters right. uh, clint's like um i don't think you're <laughs> i don't think this is a, a dry erase board and she's like oh yeah. oh, oh crap so and it's not uh, yeah. She she has a little checklist. Okay, we got to get the cops off my back. Um, TSM, we need to get them to leave us alone, and we need to figure out why and how Jack is connected to all of it. So uh, that's you know the the gist of what they need as they go and feed the dog, which is always important. As uh, he seems to really be liking those cheese hits. Does uh, does Lucky? But she is so just interested in everything. Imagine if you. We're getting to sit down now with someone that was your hero, and now you're sort of past that initial where they're kind of rolling their eyes at you. Like he's actually talking with her now; he's answering her questions. Like you said, he's giving her the information yeah. that she joked um, he wouldn't give her. And mm-hmm. I mean, he—he's she's asking about trick arrows. She's asking about best arrows you shot. They're just—they're really bonding. Over these next few yeah. minutes here And they're having some drinks to bond more and more um, First she asks about the trick arrows He says basically I have a few more trick arrow heads But you just, just can't put them on any shaft So again He doesn't have unlimited powers He doesn't have unlimited anything Even the tools and the 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 really cool You know weapons that he has He has to go back and, and pick them up We see we've seen him do this uh, Through a lot of the battles so He's he's starting to really in this moment over the next few he mm-hmm. teaches her the most um about the world and and then just actually teaching her how to freaking flick things <laughs> with yeah. with that incredible force um so yeah. they let us in first with the arrowheads we know that there are not many of these trick arrowheads left that's that's important obviously yeah. because that's a big deal for Clint and for Kate yeah, and it becomes this this uh, kind of new objective that, that we're added. We get another, another little side mission that we're going to have for, for Kate later here, uh, retrieving these arrows. Uh, and it, it, it keeps uh, the stakes up. You know, every arrow is, is uh, valuable and much more valuable than we realize because there's a finite amount of them. Kate and uh, Clint continue to, to talk. So she, um, she mentions a boomerang arrow. Have you ever heard of boomerang arrows? He said, why would I ever want to use a boomerang arrow? Just because they come back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if all trick arrows were boomerangs, then we'd have them all coming back at us. Yeah, I love she, the way you delivered that line. Right? Yeah. She's like, I mean, you'd, you'd have to dodge. She's, she's like trying to talk it out. And like, no, I mean, I, I, thought, yeah. I thought this out. I knew where we were going here. <laughs> it's not, yeah, you're yeah. going to dodge them. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, it's not a perfect system, See, but you come, know. On, come on. I mean, better than having to go back and pick them up, right? I mean, geez. Yeah. Uh, we so get our arrows flash. back. Yeah. <laughs> we flash to them a few minutes later, having a few more drinks, and now they're putting lights on the tree and they're really starting to bond over the uh, stories about the arrows. She's, you know, they're talking about different accomplishments that they've had. Can you split arrows? I can. No way. Any other cool tricks? Says I could knock someone unconscious with that like 20 feet away. No, you can't. And <laughs> he shows her how he can flick a quarter or a nickel 
with this incredible force as he yeah. flings it across the room and turns on the TV there. Before she even, she's like, come on, show me, show me. I'll tell every stranger that I see that Hawkeye's full of bullshit. Oh, <laughs> snap. And then she's just so impressed. You're going to show me how you did that, which um, I thought all of this was a really, it was fun. It was a good teaching point. I saw a few different places where people were like, oh my gosh, that's something that's very skilled. It should have taken Kate a lot longer to learn how to do that. Right. But the point of right. that is is them to try to tell you that she is a little bit more than just your average person. You know, she does have mm-hmm. she's not pa- she doesn't have powers, but she's got mm-hmm. heightened sense of skills from the training that she's had throughout a lot of her life and that she just is pretty gifted overall. Yeah, I think that's one thing you kind of just have to accept about this universe is that human skill um it doesn't have the same uh, what's the word? It doesn't have the same, like the, the learning curve of our world versus like in the Marvel universe there. They're, it's not a one-to-one comparison by any means. Like people can achieve much greater things in the MCU. And we just kind of have to assume that we we've seen examples of it thus far. Uh, one Shang-Chi, example that kind of threw right? me off. Um, oh yeah. I wasn't thinking Shang-Chi, but I'm, that's a great example uh, of uh, you're, you're talking about Aquafina's character yep, and the bow yep. and arrow bow skills. That's and a perfect this example right there. Bothers me less because at least mm-hmm. we've seen Kate right, be, right. be skilled, right? We've seen her that she has these like high and eye coordination and she's been trained with a bow mm-hmm. and that she at least has some of that in her backstory. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. And the example, another example of that, and, and I guess it also has some backstory too to kind of justify it, uh, would be the John Walker Captain America throwing that shield. That was a question we asked in the podcast. Yeah, it's like, good, how is he able one. to throw and catch that shield? He's not a superhuman. We were speculating at that point, maybe he already took the uh, the super serum, and we find out later, no, he takes the super serum later in the story. So that shows us that. The regular humans are capable of like quasi superhero abilities within the MCU, and that's yes. something we just kind of have to uh, accept. accept. I yeah. think the the criticism there is kind of similar to what we saw with the Star Wars sequels, um, and that Ray was so quick to pick up you know Jedi and lightsaber skills. They accused yeah. her of being a Mary Sue. I think yeah. there's an element of sexism attached to that a little bit. You don't hear it, uh, the, the criticism as much publicly and in the media and blogs and whatnot uh, for an example, for example, John Walker, for as guys. you might in, in, a, in a this character. example here. Yeah. Even right. just a male character at the, Oh, you, you feel a little bit more like, Oh, he could do that. You know, then mm-hmm. when you see it with uh, someone that's maybe a young 22 year old girl, like with, with Kate, but th- this apartment scene was great. You got to show me how you did that. And now we see some scenes of Clint teaching Kate. She's kind of failing a few different times And then she gets it And she's so pumped He's showing her, okay, ring finger, grip it tight Boom, and she nails the TV Turn it on Holy shit, I did it <laughs> I thought the the Clint smile Was pretty cool You know, it's like, yeah. this is like a proud like Teacher moment here yeah. As um, And one more thing here Another, another kind of logic point is that she's not doing it every time she tried a bunch of times and she get, got it once yeah so you could still she's argue there's an up. element of luck more there's luck more. there you, yeah she might not be able to do it again repeat repeatedly whereas you would assume clint is somebody who could on a dime do it every time that's a great differentiating point also too right she's figured it's like anything 
you sit on a basketball court and you throw up a shot from yeah. from half court enough times, you're gonna hit one, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. doesn't people, mean you're gonna hit it every time. On, people do this stuff on YouTube all the time. It doesn't mean that you know they'll sit there with a camera over and over and try to take these trick shots and they'll nail it. So it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially in a world like the MCU, for you know for her to hit the shot one time. So now they're getting a, a little deeper into conversation. She says, "Okay, what's the best shot you ever took?" He says. It's the one I didn't take. What does that mean? It means never mind. I shouldn't have said it. And you know, you, you can never do that. You can't ever, you can't ever start something without stopping it because whoever right. you do is going to say, "Come on, you can't yeah. do that, right? Don't yeah. do that to me. Don't tease me that way." So she continues on. Okay, please consider it my Christmas present. And he said, "No, it's not the right time." And this is obviously something that you know he gets a little firm with, but then. Serious and it's not like he's mad at her But you could tell that it's just something that's Okay look the vibe's about to change Because we were having fun and messing around But this this is going to make me Not want to have a lot of fun He says uh, it's just not a good story It's about the time I met someone I was sent to take her out And when I got there it was time I, I just couldn't do it I just had the feeling that she wanted out And it turns out I was right Kate says you mean Natasha Yeah she was the best there is or she was the best there was And he just You could see you know it's You're reliving uh, Some tough moments and tough memories from Your best friend who just Recently has Has passed away and you're still sort of living With a lot of the scars And um, and how that impacted You from Clint's perspective it was hey, It was it was her or me One of us was going to go and, and it ended up being her yeah. So that's something that he yeah. ends up reliving quite a bit This was yeah, this was very, uh, very real where they move from messing around, joking, having fun to a very serious tone. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it, it's an interesting turn here, too, because on one hand, what do we love about this show? It, the fun. Uh, and that's the thing that we really want out of it. Uh, and when you take this kind of turn, you really risk uh, maybe spoiling the fun for a little bit, but also it kind of richens uh, and deepens uh, those fun moments that you get later on. It enriches the stakes uh, when you have these moments for the characters. And I, I really like this one. I did feel like it dipped a hair too far into melodrama, a little bit soapy, uh, but not too much. Honestly, it was, it was ultimately earned and worthwhile, um, a worthwhile experience and moment for the characters. I thought it developed uh, Clint a lot a lot more than what we've seen so far. And it developed a relationship, more importantly, between Clint and Kate. This is where he truly opened up to her. Uh, and even though he didn't want to go into this conversation, you could tell he wanted to talk about her in some way. Uh, that's why he brought it up in the first place. He brought it up and then he kind of took it back. But he he wanted to just get this out and off his chest because, like you said, therapy. he's got that survivor's yeah. guilt yeah, and he can't talk about this stuff with anybody, and so he just he wants to let it out. So she he he says it's okay. You know when when you do what I do for a living, it's a game of managing loss. And TV's on in the background. You, you see the the TV there as uh the, there's a family uh, on on the TV, kids, Janie and Tommy, and they continue to to talk. You lost your family in the blip. She asks him. Yeah, like half the world. It must have been devastating. There are no words. Is that where you met the Ronin? 
and she figures it out. It was you, wasn't yeah. it? So Clint says, yeah, you know, everybody dealt with the blip in their own way. I continued doing what I was trained to do. And, you know, Kate's, yeah, protect people. No, hurting people. Investigating first, but in the end, my job has always been to hurt people. As he is, you know, he's had a few drinks. He's reliving what happened with Natasha. He's kind of blaming himself for that. And he starts, you know, I'm not a bad, I'm a bad dude. I'm not a good guy. I'm not, you know, he's putting yourself down what you do when you have a drink or two. And she's trying to say, no, you were a hero. It's, no, I was a weapon. I was aimed by the right people at the right targets. It's tied to me. It's tied to my family. That's why I'm here. I can't go home till I fix it. Really appreciate what you did tonight. It means a lot, but you should get some rest. You've got a big day tomorrow. And she just, yeah, yeah, you. Yes, yes, boss. Good night. And she and she walks away, and uh, Lucky goes with her. And as uh, she leaves, Clint sits down, and Clint has a couple flashbacks of memories. I think we see him with his family, um, footage of him as the Ronin, and then the moment right before Natasha dies, and we see it from Clint's perspective, and very, very sad here. So. The uh yeah this this apartment scene in particular in the middle of this episode it had a lot of uh like you said a lot the tone was a little heavier uh, a little more serious mm-hmm. and a little more dramatic than in previous episodes I don't think they I don't think they went too far it, it was getting close mm-hmm. but I think it mm-hmm. was like they still it still was okay enough for me to where I didn't get like oh this seems like a completely different show. It felt like mm-hmm. it was just the next step that they were going they needed to take in the progression of this story. Yeah, ultimately I liked it. I felt a couple of moments where it was borderline or maybe crossing over into being a little, little bit soapy like I said, but ultimately earned moments. Uh great performance from Jeremy Renner. I really loved his lo- the, the long take that they gave him. They gave him kind of an uninterrupted monologue there, unbroken shot. Uh, he really got to work. We got to see his reactions. And uh, when when Kate says um, Natasha, I believe, uh, we don't see her say we don't cut back to her. We're just hanging on her. And he just kind of nods. And that, it's, it's a moment that kind of stuck with me. So we are now at the next next morning as we see the two of them in the kitchen and it's Clinton, Kate, and they're talking. They're planning things out. Okay, so Clint lets her know I'm going to go have a talk with our friend Kazi What I want you to do is track down the trick arrows From our friends, the LARPers <laughs> They're back in the picture She's like, wait, what? He says, my tracer arrow stopped moving And it's over by the uh, NYPD facility Down by the bridge And now the LARPers, they're mostly first responders One's a cop uh, See if they can get access to that NYPD facility She says, the LARPer friends <laughs> yeah, they're colorful. You're gonna love them. As uh, and Kate says, you know, I like to think of them more as our arrows. Right. <laughs> he says, okay, go get our arrows. Yeah, uh, he doesn't even fight it. Like, no, he's, he's like, got. Whatever. Yeah. He knows with her now. Like whatever you want. She's so an energetic and annoying in a yeah. cute way that she's just gonna keep yeah. pushing it. So it's like, it's so much <laughs> yeah. less stressful for him to just agree and just. Yep. yep okay. Whatever you say, Kate. Like, <laughs> yep, that's that's what's going on in your head. Um, and uh, so, Kate goes to the park where the LARPers are doing their exercises and their drills and lightning bolt. One, two, three. Retreat. Formation. Stab. 
ice wall, superpower, doom. And she, Kate walks up. I loved the just seeing Kate every time she goes to tell someone, and she's so freaking proud right here. Uh, hey, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, Hawkeye sent me here on official Avengers business. I'm his partner slash best friend, Kate. He said you guys could help with one of uh help sure. us out. One of you is a cop, and it just kind of just goes through all of that like real quickly. The uh the woman is named Wendy Conrad. Says uh, uh so Wendy can help him uh, can help them out, and so can Grills. But they say we'll help you out if it's worth our while. They basically. Come up with a, a little bit of a barter deal <laughs> I loved what Kate says Basically all we need is a little casual Run of the mill evidence tampering <laughs> <laughs> She says officer Basically officer. all we need is some ca- <laughs> That adds a little Element of irony Some random girl in the park is asking you to tamper with some evidence You're, you know, Nothing, nothing yeah. crazy here But they're obviously big uh, Big fans of Hawkeye and the Avengers And, and they're good they, they, They're you know, first responders here, so they want to help. So they make a deal. Okay, they're gonna help. Um, and all they really say at this point is, "I can help. I can help if you make it worth my while." So Kate agrees. We don't know what that means. We just know that she is proud to be doing superhero work right here. She's a superhero. She's on behalf of the Avengers. As uh, <laughs> we we now see. Kazi walking out of I thought it was the same place that uh, we saw Maya show up last week was at the fat man auto shop it sort of looked like he was walking out of that same place we saw mm-hmm. the in the background we see the trust a bro car uh, the, the truck parked out there and as Kazi right. gets into his car Clint is already there in the back seat says surprise and Clint's got a gun back there Says I need to get out of the city before I go I have to put this Ronin situation to bed I know you have Maya's ear And it seems like you're a reasonably Not stupid guy <laughs> Kazi says if you're trying to flatter me You're way off the mark <laughs> um, Clint goes on Don't get me wrong I think you're a doormat <laughs> Look You've been working under William Lopez As a lieutenant for four years Now under Maya for a few more years you know this operation better than anyone You know what Maya's boss wants Mentions the boss again And you know what he's already done to get it Kazi asks what do you know mm. Clint says I know that he doesn't like this attention That's for sure I know Maya's obsession wanting to hunt Ronan down is dangerous It clouds her judgment Don't you think Kazi And we know this con- is true Yeah we it know does. This we've, is seen true. we've seen it yeah. And Kazi and he agrees So this is very mm-hmm. smart because Clint knows yeah. He's playing on something that He's already seen, and he, he knows that Kazi's probably on his side here. But Kazi's is like, what are you, you're concerned for the organization and my rank in it? I don't get it. Like, what's your angle here, you know? And Clint just says, look, I don't want anybody else to die, period. You know? Mm-hmm. Maya's need for vengeance is going to get her killed. And You know what? That's not a good answer, I think. I, I think that was a moment where Clint, like, he had to kind of make up uh, – yeah. uh, his real motivation there because Kazi asked the right question like what is. wait what is your motivation here why are you involved in this and if and he, he answers gets, truthfully it ruins he, the whole thing for him <laughs> you know right yeah, yeah. And, well, and, well, and he's trying to c- cover up for his for his family and his identity as exactly. Ronan and everything and if there's any if if he answers truthfully right now that that's completely spoiled and it, it's funny because uh 
If he would have just said something along the lines of Look this girl got caught up in here This young girl somehow And I, I, she's got nothing to do right. with this Which he was trying to That would have been like a better way to go about it You know True. like yeah. um, Especially when we know that Kazi and Kate Have a little something there um, You know yeah, She thinks he's hot <laughs> She thinks he's hot And in the comics I believe they were romantically involved So I, oh, I, I think shit. there was no coincidence In that they at even if they they never go back to that, I think that was at least just yeah. making you know a little bit of a, an Easter egg for yeah. the people who knew that. Probably, yeah, give them a little yeah. bit of a smile there. As uh, Clint now uh, tells Kazi, or okay, so as as Clint is you know having this conversation, Kazi goes to grab like the the vi- the sun visor in his car. It's like he's got something hidden up there, and Clint's go. Are you looking for the box? Are you looking for the knife? I got it right here. Are you looking for the box cutter? I already got it. Clint's obviously yeah. scoped out the They're car. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's he's done his his work here. He he's looked and he's found any of the weapons that were around. So Kazi's screwed. He's just sitting there, you know, just listening to Clint. And as Clint says, Maya's chasing a ghost. I think you know that, but I can't convince her. And I'm guessing you're the only one that can. This is the final warning. Just get it done. And as Clint leaves, Cosie says, "Hey, can I have my gun back?" <laughs> He's Clint's like, "What do you think?" You know, he just sons uh, him here. He sons him here, right? Dude. What like, do you? Uh, think? But, and the way he says it, I love the way Jeremy Ryder was like, "Just get it done." Like he was, he was just so matter of fact about it. I can't even do it justice. But the the, the way he just did it, it, it he he sunned him. It was so dismissive and like. Like you are gonna get it done. There's no question about it. Like, like it, it felt like a, a flashback to a, my high school football coach or something. Right? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, do it, it was, it was do just, it. He absolutely do it. Do it. Yeah. You know, my, uh, yeah, but he didn't my have to force it. He was, he was just casually like owning him. <laughs> like, my, uh, my soccer coach who was was young. He was, he's only like five years older than me. And so when when we were in, uh, when it was like senior year of high school, he he was a really fun guy, and 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 we all would joke and mess around with him a lot, and. He came up to me one time when I was on, and um, we we're winning this game really easily. And he's like, "Gino, do better." You know, it was a, <laughs> just a, he said it on the That's field, great. and we all just were laughing. And I I'll always remember that. And we we were up I like four that. or five nothing, you know. And he kind of like felt like Gino, you know. And it was like, oh, dude, what did I do? Like we're up big. I didn't mess around. Like what did I do? <laughs> Better and everyone's just kind of <laughs> laughing And it was just like oh that's great Reminded me of this here As um, Clint now goes to meet With Kate and the LARPers And Kate is just like She's just living it up with these LARPers She's trying stuff on <laughs> You look at this apartment that they're in There's gaming systems all over the place in the background <laughs> These LARPers are pumped man And uh, Grills is cooking up Snickerdoodle cookies And uh, <laughs> Um Clint's just like where the hell am I He's like looking around he's like this is a college dorm You know and right. Kate is just There's just way too much Positive goofy energy In this room for Clint yes. you know? That's the good way to put it they are goops <laughs> He's like what the hell Did I just walk myself into And Kate's yeah. just like trying different clothes on She's like look at me I look like a great Viking you know she's looking at herself <laughs> In the mirror and, and Um the one woman in there is so proud about all the the costumes that she's made. You know, I make these myself mm. by hand. And Kate's like, "Can I have you make my next one?" And mm. the, you know, they're having these conversations while Clint's just like, "Get me the hell out of here, please!" Yeah. It's like 
you could tell Clint is is wanting to just say, "Hey, where are the arrows? What's going on?" But he doesn't want to be rude because these right. people are helping him. Um, right. And he's just kind of just standing there waiting for a minute. Um, <laughs> so, so they make a deal. They are going to hire them to make the next costumes. And Grill said, "We'll get you the arrows, and you get us materials for a new costume deal. How about materials?" For your costumes plus two more I know a certain someone Who needs help with theirs And she points over to Clint Who's like no <laughs> Please no 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 And Grills is pumped He tell, Hey Orville you hear that We're getting new costumes So new costumes <laughs> for Orville Grint and others uh, Orville Grills and others uh, so this could be a super villain uh, origin story. I think like right? a low level superhero because uh, all these characters there are are villains. I believe in the in in, the in, in Marvel comics. Yeah, uh, they make the reference to Bombshell, but Orville is one that also works with Bombshell. Uh, so uh, Grills something. Uh, spoiler alert. Bad probably is going to happen to him uh, yep. in this yep. uh, series because it happened in the comics. This is based on. Uh, so. They're setting up that they're going to have these costumes and they already have these names. They're first responders who are willing to do evidence tampering. So they're already breaking the law. Mm-hmm. In fact, Grills stole uh, the, the, you know, the Ronin outfit in the first place. That was a that's a big no, no. Like you should not not do that from a, you know, a house that you're firefighting at. Um, so th- this could be planting all the seeds for some, you know, you know, villains, some C-level villains coming out of the mist here. Or or even, how about on the other way, do, does, do they help Clint right, and Kate right. against, like, the tracksuits, right? I mean, do they have to, right. like, come and run, run blocking, you know, get in their way, just do something to distract them? I don't think Clint would want to put them in danger in any way. Like, right. I don't think Clint would want them out on the battlefield actually battling, but I could see <laughs> them... I could see like the tracksuit guys having to like go through a LARP or something, you know, something like that where they're <laughs> having to dodge them or uh, you know, I, maybe because the tracksuits have been set up to be kind of comedy, low level. And, so and so have the know? LARPers. So they right. do seem like, like poised to, you know, face Interact off with one another for sure. In some way, shape you know, or form. You know what the LARPers kind of remind me of the dynamic I was kind of getting at is in the dark night, how like the Batman kind of emerge these like vigilantes yes. who are trying to be batman <laughs> yes. and they're kind of just larpers and they mean well but they're they're in a way that they're they're bad guys uh they're yeah. like low level like villains that mean well that you could kind of look at them as um you know sidekicks or or anti-heroes or you know on the good side of yeah. things but ultimately they're kind of getting in the way of, but but making the story interesting for us to watch mm-hmm as uh, it's the red mist from Kickass Turn, right? He goes from the good guy to like start to be the uh, the bad guy there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the we get a uh, yeah. Grills is pumped. Clint says, "Kate, you know, I asked you to retrieve my arrows, not stage a play." As uh, we see a text from Laura that comes in that says the Rolex wasn't destroyed at the Avengers compound. The transmitter is signaling from this location. She sends him a text. Man, I mean, Laura is getting this info quick. And this was just like boom, yeah. instantly. She gets this right back to him as uh it's, it's it's transmitter info, like it's very, very inside. It, yes. like it's got it's spy stuff. It's Absolutely. overt spy stuff. So it's like she's gotta be a spy. They they've 
hinted at it to the point where they've basically revealed it. Now, uh, as Clint says, I gotta go. Kate said, I mean, we gotta go. I mean, we're we're in this together. Uh, he looks at her and says, "You've got to change." <laughs> and so, as they get ready to go, um, Bombshell walks in, and she has collected all of the arrows for Clint and for Kate. She even has a bag with the name Bombshell on it. She says, "You can't take this bag. My wife gave me this bag. It's embroidered. It says <laughs> Bombshell." <laughs> Clint, like Clint, these are the things that are just so not important to Clint, right? Like he doesn't right. even like register that this is something that's a big deal. He said, "I, I again, it's very important to you." Uh, he's like not nearly as good of a people person, and that's why him and Kate do make a pretty good team because she is mm-hmm. just whether it's because she's young, she's cute, she's bubbly, she's confident, whatever. She's much better at. Interacting with people, talking to people You know, we see in the next uh, scene after this Where Clint's got this big plan And she just walks right in the door You know, Um, so She immediately says Look, he'll get it back to you I'll make sure of it, I promise And as they leave, uh, Clint says Beautiful bag, beautiful bag (laughs) They walk walk away and I'm uh, telling you, that's that's, that's a That's super villain uh, Origin story right there Right? Yeah, the bag. bag That she wants that bag blown, back. That is the bag gets blown <laughs> up, right? The bag gets uh, uh, thrown away, misplaced, and I, you told me, you promised me, you were going to bring me that bag. <laughs> yeah. He's a bad dude. She's bad. I hate them. Yeah. Um, and now we get set up for basically the final, I guess, like third of this uh, of this episode, and we're on the rooftop now with Kate and Clint. She's asking, "What are we doing here? There's something very important." To me pinging inside that apartment It was stolen from a black market auction I need it back No lights, no movement He's looking around in the apartment He says, uh, okay He's scoping it out, he's looking with the binoculars This is our chance And Kate, it it is really good Right away she's like "Ah, It would have been easier if we were on a higher rooftop That's what you think Yeah, that's exactly what I think Kate you want to prioritize a quick exit over a quick entrance, and so she's next to him, but he keeps looking in at the at the binoculars, and he's looking down. He's trying to make sure that the there's nobody in this apartment while he's talking to her. And he says, you, you know, you have to have a quick exit strategy. That's why I chose this spot. Good sight okay. lines for all my exit entry should be easy. I think it should take me about three and a half minutes to get in. He says so. If you see anything out here, just give me a signal, Kate. All right. <laughs> She doesn't answer and he looks over She's gone she's not even there And then he looks down She's already on the floor she's already on the ground Crossing the street She definitely didn't even She didn't even press the uh, The uh, The the walker The the street or the crosswalkers To cross the uh, (laughs) You know she didn't even um, Wait for her turn she just walks Right right in the middle of the road cars are Honking at her and (laughs) This is like right after Clint's telling her, you know, the whole point of this is to not make a scene, right? Is to right. like is to be really, you know, coy about everything. And she's just dressed up like a superhero <laughs> late at night, walking across the street in New York with a huge yeah. bow, like off the yeah. bat, like that she's walking with. She's so obvious and drawing attention to herself. Yeah, and and what does she do from there? She goes through the front door by talking to a, a stranger, you know, a witness 
right there. So like she's she's making a, a huge mark and every, like a lot of people are going to see and remember her. So this is clearly like something that uh, a spy would never, ever do. It's, it's ironic that she's uh, she's got so much to learn from from mm-hmm. Clint. And then he's teaching her this this stuff as he's about to uh, uh, go do his thing. And she's nowhere to be seen. But it's just it fits with her character. And it's a great, funny moment. He she says to him, um, you know, he said, I, I thought I told you you're supposed to be a lookout. And she says, yeah, but who do you trust up there to not get distracted? He says, that's, that's not great. fair. It's your inability to act like a grown up <laughs> that helps you get your way. And Kate uh, says, No, no, it's not, but it is what it is. As Clint's, Clint's finally, okay, look, you're over there now. Let me tell you what we're going to do. You, you have to use your grappling hook arrow, anchor yourself in, propel down the side of the building into the window. If it's locked, break in quietly. She's like, Yeah, I mean, it's a good plan. I like all of that, but just a slight tweak. Just walk straight to the door. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Can I help you with your bags? This old man is having some trouble kind of getting into the apartment. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, sure. And just she just walks right in the front door with him. It's perfect. Yeah. And she's so proud of herself, man. She's so like, look, I did it. I did it. And Clint's telling her, no, no, no. Don't engage. And, <laughs> and she's like walking in. She's looking at the guy's groceries and talking at him. Oh, look, you got a little uh, a little. Kashi, little celery, some pretzels. <laughs> she's just like, you know, it is funny how um this is that youth, right? That that youthful exuberance that she has. This is a mission, yeah. man. This is like her mission. She's on a mission with the with Hawkeye with the Avengers right now. And and she's so she hasn't been broken yet. If you think no. about it, that's that's that big difference. She's still naive and green and just fully positive. She hasn't had any moments, any formative moments that have like broken Lost. her down. Lost, and, right? And yeah, and that's what Hawkeye's experienced quite a bit of uh, here. Clint specifically, um, that uh, and uh, specifically that Natasha hit uh, that he's dealing with right now is the is the one that's really weighing on him. So they. They get in an elevator, Kate and uh, and this gentleman, and she's holding uh, his bags. And Kate, she's on an earpiece now with Hawkeye, so they're they're talking to each other. And in the elevator, she responds to Hawkeye, and the the man next to her actually thinks that Kate was talking to him, and he asks, you know, what? And she says, I'm sorry, I wasn't talking to you. But then she smiles. She says, Can I tell you a secret? It's like, it's like when you just. Kiss the, the 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 best looking girl in school And she's just like don't tell anybody Don't tell anybody this happened And you just have to go tell someone right away And it's like <laughs> you don't even care who it is You're just like screaming it I'm in love I'm in love And I don't care who knows it You know it's just, This was that moment And uh, it's so great with Clint On the other side of the earpiece And he's just like no don't do this Come on <laughs> like don't Every step of the way Don't do this and she's excited. She's like, look, I'm talking to an Avenger. <laughs> He's in my ear. I'm his partner. And she's, you know, grinning. And the old man, like, looks at her. And he grabs the bag back from her. He's like, I'll just take this back, you crazy-ass yeah. person. <laughs> Whoever you are, dressed up in a costume with a huge bow. Oh, my God. Great moment. Really funny. Uh, I love that line. The, the Kashi sold it for me. Yeah, <laughs> like that little detail from real Those life. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, and the way she said, I'm, I'm talking to an Avenger. She like scrunched her face. She was so psyched about it. She's so fangirling out. Uh, it's it's pretty perfect. Would, yeah. Would and they're setting about... up. Um, oh, they're, ahead, sorry, they're setting up like a great dramatic uh, scene here with some some tension that builds uh, and uh, some great action. But before that, like they, they just I don't know, they just have this great dynamic of have it, this comedy playing against the tension as they're going into the, uh, the scene. And it just builds from there. And uh, I really, really enjoyed the last part of this episode. I, I kept thinking about at this point, I kept thinking about. The beginning of the episode when Kate's sitting at the table And she's like yeah I mean we're partners Mainly because I'm really chill You know I mean I'm never like oh Hawkeye you know and he's like You're not chill chill. (laughs) Definitely not chill No chill right here for sure As um, No chill detected (laughs) She she says To the older man are you sure I can help you to the door He's like no it's, it's no problem I got it from here as <laughs> Kate is like And that's the funniest thing about her Is that she's so just undeterred From anything in this She's just like right on to what's next As soon as she's out of there she's like God what do you do with this giant bow problem You know she's just <laughs> asking him All these like random ass Questions that it's like Clint's just like Look you got a mission like let's just Do this like <laughs> stop, stop asking me All these stupid things and He says I have a collapsible one She's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And <laughs> so she gets to the door, and uh, she gets in. And when she gets the, it's dark, but you see a little bit of a blinking light behind her. First, you see like a little red light, and then it's sort of like a strobe. And she says, "Okay, yeah. the living room's all clear." She's looking around, and across the way, Clint is looking through the binoculars. He's kind of helping her out. This was the moment where I got a little bit of like. Nervous um, mm-hmm. It's just as far as like the stakes being heightened Because you just think about yeah. it like This is a 22 year old girl who has Very little training mm-hmm. of like Avengers training and she just went in this strange Apartment that they don't really know whose It is it's one thing yeah. if Clint's In there but now now She's in there and he's like yeah. He can't run in there and And save her at the moment because Then it'll draw more attention to them so it's Literally like oh wow her confidence And her her bravado Put her in a, a pretty sticky situation here In uh, yeah. this apartment And he can't he, he has no direct access to the apartment too That's the other thing Like like if she's inside the apartment uh, he's It's going to take a, a minute for him to get there If if, if she really does need help So th- there is that half minutes, I think is what he said Right, yeah. <laughs> three, right. so there we have the exact minutes. number Yeah Um. So she's looking around And she says Oh shit and she shoots off a couple of putty arrows because that alarm starts going off. It's like that that strobe light. And Clint's asking, like, what what's going on? She doesn't know. She said, "There's like strobe lights attached to the wall." He said, "What do you mean? I, I don't know." And she's looking around. She asks, "What am I looking for? A watch, a vintage Rolex. It belongs to someone I used to work with." And she asks, "Is that the whole story, Clint?" <laughs> she's always prying, and. He says they've been out of the game a long time, but their identity is still attached to that watch. Hmm. And yeah. uh, Kate asks if the tracksuits find out about it, it would blow their cover. Goodbye, friend. 
And then it's like, what is how he said their identity too? Their identity didn't specify any kind of gender, right? There, yeah, yeah. And and then it just seems like, oh, that was that was easy. Kate's got the watch. She looks around. She finds the watch pretty quickly. She says, "I got it." And as she's getting ready to leave, she spots something out of the corner of her eye. It's actually a list with Clint's name on it. It says Clint Barton, wife Laura. Daughter Lila, age 14 Son Cooper, age 12 Son Nate It's like, I mean, come on, you don't even want to put Nate's age down What did Nate do, you know, like, what, what, why are we Why are we being <laughs> what's, what's wrong with Nate, I think you just I guess you could sort of decipher that if uh, If Cooper was 16 Then the other son remaining would be Nate But she says that Somebody's taking notes on your family She relays that information To, to Clint and that was when he realizes, Kate, get out of there now. That light's an alarm. It's a silent alarm for people that can't hear. It's Maya's apartment. And you see the pictures on her, yeah, on her, uh, yeah. on her, on her countertop there. And we, now we know this is Maya's apartment. And as Clint gets up to go over there, we hear Kate ask, it, like, hey, what, what? And it sounds like there's some fighting on the opposite side where Clint is up on the rooftop. Yeah. And she's Clint what's going on Clint Clint and we see Maya Right behind Kate and as Kate Turns around yeah. Maya just knocks Her in the face Knocks her to the floor I thought yeah. this was kind of cool too the way They did this as Kate said oh, yeah. Maya's here and Clint's yeah. like Yeah no shit she's She just punched me you know like yeah. Clint's, Clint's on the rooftop Fighting with someone he thought that Kate could see that and he thought yeah. that Kate was talking about the fight that he's in, not the fight yeah. that she's yeah. in. And Love that moment. Yeah. He's like, wait, who am I fighting? And we don't <laughs> know at this point. We don't see who he's we see he's fighting a masked assailant. Um, someone who dressed like a ninja. And Kate, you know, is she's struggling over there with Maya. She asks for a little bit of help. She's battling Maya in the apartment while Clint battles up on the roof with, 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 well, we can spoil it because we already have. And if you're listening to this, you know, it's Yelena Belova. We don't see her face quite yet, though, for a moment. Mm -hmm. But these action scenes, oh, man, this was fun. I I had a blast here. First off, they're battling on the roof. Clint shoots an arrow across from where he is to Maya's apartment. And then he tells her to get on the zip line. So <laughs> this is great. This is home alone. Yeah. This is exactly yeah. home alone when he's sliding across the zip line there from his yep. house, his house to the treehouse in the back. Uh, Maya throws a knife at Kate. She's able to to sort of dodge it. It just misses her. Mm-hmm. And then Kate jumps on the zip line. She uses her bow and she rides yeah. across the zip line. And man, I yeah. Home alone. I'm getting it. I'm getting that feel right now. We see yep. her. She's like gets caught up in the middle because the angle that Clint had to shoot the arrow from it, it wasn't. Remember what she said? If it from higher up, right? And so yeah, it wasn't very steep. It wasn't high enough. So the arrow is sort of straight across. So she can't really use. <laughs> she can't really like use gravity to go downwards. She's just stuck in the middle. And she's kind of like yeah. hopping. 
I great moment place. too like the way they shot it that there was a lot of tension you really felt like you were up there with her for a second and the, Over the they were, the, all of a sudden the camera felt a little bit unsteady a little bit shaky in this moment and it, it just you really got this sense of uh, of imminent dread it also had a, a a little bit of a a lightness to it i never fully expected like oh they're about to kill kate here but even still it got me to kind of um, have my heart skip a little bit of a beat there she it was she just stuck right in the middle and yeah. she's like ah, i'm stuck and it's not like hawkeye can help her at the moment because he's over there battling with mm-hmm. yelena and so she what ends up happening is the zip line gets tugged and and it it bounces up and then she goes hauling ass right at yeah. clint and uh, this masked figure which is yelena and Yelena just kicks Kate right off of the yeah. as Kate's about to land, and we see a Some great few action, di- a few different Some times. Great action here, yeah. Tim, awesome. And this was the the rooftop stuff <laughs> with the four of them and going back and forth yeah. and the interacting. It was some of my favorite action of this uh, of this series. It was really good. And <laughs> the moment, I mean, we knew in this series we've been waiting for Yelena. And they've teased, and like we knew she was coming at some point. And so mm-hmm. you th- you'd imagine when this person in the mask shows up and starts fighting, it's her. But the moment I knew it was her was when she landed in that superhero pose. Yeah, she's a poser. It, she's the poser, and you could tell that they were gonna. It was like, oh, nice. That was a, a little nod to the uh, to the poser there. As um, mm-hmm. Yelena pulls out a gun and she points it right at Kate. And Clint steps in front And just at the moment where Yelena You know could have shot him Maya Comes flying in on the zip line We kind of forgot about her for a minute You sort of thought like oh yeah Kate's gone from her apartment and that's it Well the zip line's still coming from her apartment Maya jumps right on it She, She flies across She knocks out Yelena And so now we know Maya and Yelena are on the same side Yeah they they probably don't know who each other are at this at point. All. I'm wondering. No, they're just no. she's just assuming you know yeah. not not a friendly at at this point. But we at least but we can assume uh, they they're they're not not, not necessarily they're villains not or, 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 or yeah yeah and they're not going against each other necessarily. But yeah, they're definitely not hooked up or partnered. They have their they have their own motivations here. Yeah, um, we, we could see them link up down the line, just like yeah. we're kind of uh, expecting. Uh, them to do uh, with, with Clint and, and Kate. Yeah, right. These two are Hoping, bad, yeah. two badass females who yeah. are just great, and and their action sequences have been fantastic so far. Mm. As yeah, the uh, we get these different combos. It's Maya and Kate for a little bit, and then it's Yelena and Kate, and it's Maya and Clint, and Yelena and Clint, and everybody's going at it. And there's a moment where we. Uh, Yelena's using her electroshock bracelets to take down Maya. That's really cool. Yeah. And then Yelena, this is like some WWE stuff here, uh, man. She just yeah. picks up Kate over her head and just tosses her off of the yeah. roof. Like, just with no regard, just throws her off the top of the roof. And Clint sees this. No, no, no. He goes running towards yeah. the, the edge of the roof. Uh, but. From his perspective and all of us watching It's like somebody's getting thrown off a roof They're done, you're done here G- right. Gonzo, and, 
goodbye. He's immediately thinking about Natasha too. How did he lose Natasha? She fell from a, from a cliff, you know, with with him trying to hold on to her. So it was very much echoing that that moment, uh, paralleling that moment, and it uh, it probably was. Uh, activating his P- ptsd right in that moment i like how you said the word echo too you know which uh, <laughs> there you go Maya and all that stuff we don't even realize we're subconsciously you know in this world yeah. we don't even uh, these things have seeped into our brains and uh, <laughs> so true. clint realizes that she gets caught up on the zip line it's like oh my gosh there's this moment where she's just like hanging by the zip line and yeah. it's this like Clint is just like so relieved yeah. to see that she's there. And and then I think the Natasha stuff is flashing through his mind, the Eleanor stuff, the fact that he did just talk to this girl's mom and yeah. and told her, look, I will look out for your daughter. And he was not at, at, at this moment. And so yeah. he just cuts her down from the zip line. He's telling her moment look, too. Yeah, that, that, this like, is another look, one of those moments that stood out to me. Get out of here, he says. You know, and he looks right at her, and he cuts her down, and she kind of lands right on the top of a like a restaurant. She falls through these Christmas lights. She has a really soft fall, but we I know love Kate, the Christmas lights thing again too. The way the way that they they gripped her, and then she just kind of flipped around, and there's that close up shot of her like hitting the ground. She's so frustrated in that moment. She's just like, I I want to be a part of this thing, like. And Clint's at the top, just like, uh, get the fuck out of here. Like, I do not want, I do not want to be responsible for your death. I just thought you died right there. And I, I, I swore I would protect you. And I know that I failed and I know that I could probably fail again. And you're going to be toast next time. So you, you need to get away from here and out of all this mess. Uh, it's such a great moment. We don't know if Clint knows this is Yelena or hell who Yelena even is all we do know that he knows this is a widow. And so mm-hmm. for him, I think once he saw some of the things that she was using, once she uses those electroshock bracelets, he was like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. I've seen this stuff before. I, I know this stuff. This is stuff that Natasha yeah. had. So he puts two and two together that a widow has been sent after him. And that I think yeah. that was the moment when he realizes, and that's when he wants to, to cut Kate loose. Because look, these are trained assassins we're dealing with here. These aren't even the the messing around tracksuit mafia kind of goofy criminals. Like this person mm-hmm. could seriously kill both the both of us right now. Shit just got real. Exactly, That's right? Happened. That's the feeling <laughs> yeah. right here. Shit just got real. And, and he he puts a uh, an emphasis on the way he says someone has hired a black widow assassin. Like the, he there's so much seriousness to the way he says that line like like he really imbues that with a shit just got real energy uh that where you feel the like this veneration and understanding of like a black widow is no joke in this universe so kate she's never gonna just go away she's gonna come right back up of course she gets right back up on the rooftop as clint and maya and yelena are all battling at this point so she takes her arrows out. She shoots this arrow that's like a shockwave. And yeah. it it emits this like wave that sends all that knocks all four of them off their feet and mm. like stuns them for a, a moment. And think about with the hearing, Clint is already losing his hearing. Like these are the kinds of blasts that make him go deaf. 
This yeah. are, these are yeah. the things that have added up and you could tell he's kind of holding his ears there for a moment. Maya gets up and she blasts Kate and Kate almost falls off the roof again. Like in yeah. in the middle there's this like gap that she almost falls into. She kind of hits her back on the side which looks like a nasty fall but she gets back yeah. up and then Kate actually has a little bit of an advantage here because she's got her bow and arrow. So she uses the arrow and she kind of nails Maya in the upper part of the chest. Yeah. Maya pulls the arrow out, but she just runs off. So, I mean, Kate, we knew Kate was going to wasn't going to sit this one out, right? TK, yeah. she's not she's not exactly uh um why can't I think of his name right now? Uh, she's not exactly Kumail in Eternals. She's not oh, like oh, yeah. Kingo, uh, I think. Kingo, Kingo. Kingo. Yeah. yeah. She's not exactly yeah, right. She's uh, yeah. she's definitely not uh not just going to be uh just just going to be taking two steps back. She wants to be in in the battle. She she is down for all of this. Yeah. And I love how uh she gets the better of Maya with that, you know, shoulder shot. That's basically what Hawkeye was doing, taking out the Tracksuit Mafia guys with like shoulder shots to kind of disable them but not uh kill them. And then she's got enough distance where she's holding the bow where Maya knows it's like checkmate. She's got me dead to rights. Like, I can't fight. I can't close this gap and fight her hand to hand. And I guess Maya didn't have a handgun or anything like that on her where she could, you know, return fire. So Maya decides to leave. It makes kind of it makes sense at that point. Um, so it's a good resolution to, the, to that, the, that portion of this fight. Kate is. You know, so after Maya pulls this out of her chest, uh, she pulls that arrow out. She runs off. Clint is battling with Yelena and. Mm-hmm. He actually pulls off her mask And we see Elena's face But right as she yeah. Right as he pulls her mask off She nails him with that electroshock bracelet To the throat And when mm. Clint is down Kate has a dead aim shot On Elena. She's got her dead to rights With the bow mm. and arrow She could blast one right through her if she wants But Elena looks at Kate Like telling you Telling her do it I dare you Right Kate, she has a death wish, maybe a little bit of that going on, right? Yeah, she has that. I think it's the same thing that a lot of these assassins have. Mm. Hey, I've I've got a lot on my ledger, right? Look, Mm. I've done like I I know what I've done, and if you want to do this and you have to do this, like you're probably doing the the world a better a a better thing here. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that was a is a good point. It was just this. Hey, you got me. Go ahead. Kate doesn't take the shot. And Yelena can sense it pretty quickly that she's not. So then she she is able to to escape. She leaps off the freaking roof, which just looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she just it like does, that dive. What oh a great take! That, it's the, the, the it was so. Uh, it reminded me of ballet. It was it was it was just this beautiful like swan dive the way she turned. Like and she kind of faced the camera and did it backwards. Like it was just a great shot and a great choice uh, for them to make. That's another one of those moments that's just going to stand out for me. Uh, just like that moment of Kate kind of falling with the opposite kind of grace, but it still had this interesting beauty of uh, the, the chaoticness of her falling uh, into the uh, those Christmas lights. Very again on theme for this Christmas uh, setting and, and uh, that die hard and lethal weapon kind of Shane black Christmas um, call back there. So I, I just loved everything about how this all came together. And again, having moments echo other moments for the characters, that long shot that you kind of touched on 
uh, of all four of them fighting where you've got uh, Yelena kind of swooping through and doing like wrestling moves and cool, like hurricane Rana, like very cool black widow <laughs> yeah, choreography. Yeah. And you could see all the action. You could tell what's going on and it felt visceral. Uh, that shot that you mentioned of Kate kind of flying and they cut to like, they ramped to slow-mo uh, of her flying over that gap was really like impressive stood out to me. If I would say there was maybe one complaint, maybe the lighting and green screen stuff felt off. For me, a, a smidge. Maybe those are my TV settings, though. Who's who's to say? Um, but uh, that that's a very very minute uh, uh, complaint. I would say for the most part, I was just blown away by this whole ending sequence here. I felt like they really uh, gave Yelena a great introduction to this story, um, kind of a teaser for her overall introduction. I think that they're going to bring her uh, and be, have her be much more involved, much more dialogue and character interaction in the coming episodes. But this is a great way to kick off uh, her portion of the story here and uh, some great memorable action once again on this so- on the show. Clint and Kate uh, discuss what just happened. She asks him, who the hell was that? You don't want to mm-hmm. know, Kate. She said, I cannot be your partner if you don't tell me what's going on. He says, you're not my partner. Do you understand that? You never were. Someone has hired a black widow assassin This has gotten very real very quickly So I'm doing this alone She says no you're not Look I know that tonight didn't go as planned But I choose to be here I chose to be here I understand the risk I understand all of that Clint says I'm not going to do it Do you hear me? Do you hear me? And that's a very cool And a smart choice of of phrasing there Because throughout the first four episodes of this They've had a tough time communicating In in, in a right. Hey Clint is deaf and has a hearing aid Sense and in yeah. a He's older she's younger They're from different generations You know mm-hmm. they're obvious Like the way that they want to operate is way Way different Clint's got the plan She just walks up and does whatever because she's this Cute young girl that nobody's going to suspect And mm-hmm. so I thought that was a great choice of work. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Because they have had such a tough time hearing each other throughout. He wants to make sure, look, this isn't a joke anymore. Things you could really seriously die. And he tells her, go home, Kate. It's over. And the the Christmas music plays in the background. We are four down of six episodes. And Tim, man, I come out of this episode like, okay. One, we know what's going to happen, right? Kate's probably going to be sad for a little bit, and then she'll have to come back and help him in in some way, shape, or form. But uh, and that's that's fine. It's probably like a predictable story, which we see in a lot. I'm just really intrigued with all of these new characters now. Like moving forward, yeah. we've got Yelena, who's been introduced to this world. We've got Maya now. We've got the this boss who we assume is Kingpin that they've referenced a, a few different times. And what's going on with Eleanor and with Jack We didn't see a whole lot with the tracksuit mafia guys here But we'd imagine that, you know, they're going to pop back up You know, mm-hmm. wor- working for whomever they're working for I, um, yeah. man, the I'm LARPers. excited The LARPers where, where are they going? You know, Good are they bad. creating some, Are these just Easter eggs here? Or, or are we going to get some, uh Some interesting development out of there? Laura. What's going to happen with Grills? Is he going to survive the series? Laura is the big one, I think, from this episode. I mean, she's Rolex. probably got the most movement uh, yeah. for her character in this episode. Yeah. Why? Why is that Rolex so important to her and to Clint? And to yeah, and what does it do? 
And to and Maya, what does it do? What does it what does say? It do? I mean, it, it, does it just have information on there or does it access some kind of secret technology? Like I kind of mentioned, is there something within Stark Tower which has new ownership that could maybe fall into the wrong hands? Some hidden tech that, you you know, a secret code that can be accessed through something like a watch, something that transmits mm-hmm. um, a beacon. You know, maybe that that beacon uh, is a key that unlocks some sort of tech when it's in close proximity. Maybe this was Stark's watch or maybe this was like uh, uh, a uh, mockingbird, a shield assassin, uh, a yeah. watch, and it belonged to Laura directly. Um, who, who really knows? Maybe that's some some other third party thing that we haven't been introduced to yet. And these are all red herrings or unrelated uh, details that will resolve themselves separately. Uh, they got a lot of uh, irons in the fire right now. They've planted a lot of IP seeds for like future mm-hmm. stories for young oh, Avengers, yeah. uh, and uh, and yeah, uh, like so far they're they're not fumbling this thing. So far, no. it's, it's it's moving and it's cooking, and it feels like it's it's coalescing into a, a fun series. I can't wait for the last two episodes. Even uh, Kevin Feige had mentioned recently the other day that the um, Charlie Cox is going to be coming to the MCU. I can't Daredevil. wait. So yes. that when Love that it. was actually confirmed, that led mm-hmm. people to even more put two and two together with Kingpin Vincent D'Onofrio. Yep. Vincent D'Onofrio has tweeted about five times about quite the a show bit. too, quite right? a bit, tweeting about it and tweeting about Charlie Cox and the, the fan uh, appreciation for that of Deborah Wool, who was great. She was a great actress on True Blood that I really also enjoyed. I'm going to go through on, Daredevil again right now, too. On like, Daredevil. Just like, I can't wait. I, after that, I was just thinking about that the other day because I never finished um, the episodes that were up. Same. And so, I had um, the last season, I don't think I watched. No. And uh, I think I have a season of Punisher to watch, too. Like, yeah. I got to catch up and it's, finish those off that, because. Because I felt like, yeah. I think you were probably the same. Once you know that the shows are like canceled, when they didn't yep. have a finish, that bothers me. Yeah, if a show ends me. with the definitive mm-hmm. end, I'm okay with it. Like if they know the show is yep. going to be canceled and then they end the show that way. But I hate shows that get canceled in the middle. It's right. very frustrating because it's like I invest you you invest all this time and then you're like, damn it, what the hell happened? I just and I would so, rather and now it's worth start. going. You're right. You know? You're right. I think exactly how I felt about it. And now, now I think for both of us, the just the idea that these characters are going to come back, which means they're going to get some sort of a resolution, which means Absolutely. we're going to get, in a way, a finish yep. to that series. We're, we're going to tie up some of the the loose ends there. That for watching it, right? We're going right. to Easter eggs in this series and in and stuff moving forward are going to be because we watch that. It's just going to make yep. a lot more sense. So. Yep. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. So it's opened up that door now to go back and watch mm-hmm. the the great Daredevil stuff. And we've got two episodes left. And dude, I mean, we're gonna have a, a Spider Man to talk about in the next couple of weeks, sure too. You know, which will be fun. I, I mean, can't we'll, wait. we'll give a little time because I know you're on vacation out there. Um, and thanks again for helping out. You're, we, Tim and I are talking. Tim's on family vacation on the East Coast, and he. <laughs> Came on with me this morning. We're record. We started recording this morning at like eight o'clock Eastern time. So for yeah. Tim and I, normally it's five o'clock around Pacific time. So huge shout out to Tim for getting up that early and uh and helping well, me thank out. Thank you for going it. early. Thank uh, you. You're, I mean, you're the one who's really early this this week. Uh, you're, but but you're always that. helping me out. So anytime I yeah. can, you know what? <laughs> like you're doing me the favor coming on this show. So yeah. I'm always happy whenever you have a, a free minute. And uh, so yeah, we'll yeah. have 
Spider-Man in the next couple weeks We'll probably wait about a week or two after it comes out To give everybody a little time to watch it And then they can listen into mm-hmm. our uh, recap And I always like to watch those things twice usually Before we uh, yeah. we get the chance to talk Especially the stuff that we have to go to the theater to watch And we can't just kind of re-watch yeah. it home a little bit So I, we gotta get, a, gotta get a little uh, I can't real, wait Yeah, but I'm I'm excited um, Just about you have tickets a, already? Uh, less than a week away, I do not Are you Are you in? I got my tickets, front row, center, IMAX, 3.30 p.m. on Thursday. I cannot awesome. wait to go. I'm going to do that right I... after we get off here. I was just talking to Stephanie about that the other day because I said, you know what, I want to make sure I'm I'm there in one of the first couple days, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to yeah. do that right now. I'm going to go and get some because I'm <laughs> right down the street from Long Beach. I can literally walk down there myself. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Coming up really the, in one. the next few weeks, folks, we're going to finish up Hawkeye. We'll have episodes Five and six recap and deep dive for you, and then we'll have uh Spider Man coming up after that. And I think is is Armor Wars um the next one? I think that's one of them that is going to start to involve yeah. like that. That'll be more of like a ground level type. And right. apparently there might be some people from this series in there. You might think from some of the stuff that we saw Falcon and the Winter Soldier, maybe a Sharon Carter, um you right. know Power Broker. That's that's a, a place. Could it where be Rhodey's Watch? Think, yeah. think about that. Maybe they're planting the seeds for Armor Wars. Yes. Maybe it's, it's not a Tony. It's a Stark watch, but it's not Tony Stark's watch. Maybe it was Rhodey's watch that can access some Stark tech within a, Stark Tower or something kind of like that. Wow. Could I be. like that. It's great. It's a great theory. We're going to give you more of our theories. We're going to give you predictions, and then we're always going to recap. We're going to review. We're going to give you our honest thoughts, positive, negative. Haven't as you've seen with the, our last you know, four or five different things we've recapped. There were one or two episodes of what if maybe that we weren't as into, but then we liked a lot of those. We got, sure. you know, positive, very, very positive about Shang-Chi for the most part, except for, you know, maybe that last act, how they kind of tried to close things out. And then Eternals, mm-hmm. we were probably the most critical and I'd say the most negative about yeah. that, that we've been about any movie or show. And it wasn't that we disliked all of it. It's just that we thought it could have been done a little bit better. And I mean, think about the way that this. I'm so much more invested with all of these characters than I was with those eternal, almost all of those characters in Eternals. Yeah. Right, like, big time, big I'm time. So Not to more... dump on Eternals. I, oh. I'm looking forward to seeing it in January when it hits uh, Disney Plus. I believe they just announced it's January yeah. 12th coming out. So I'll give it a rewatch too. We'll and like see it if more I... and more as we yeah. go, and we'll like it more and more because we'll understand more and more where they're going and what's been happening. But just. Like I'm so much more invested with Kate Even in after this yeah. episode Like Jack and Eleanor I'm kind of you know Clinch family and on. Laura yeah. And like all of them Is uh, Hawkeye Not not one of the most popular Avengers not someone who a year or two Ago if you would have asked me I would have said oh, Yeah he's my, my favorite or the most interesting But now he's just so much He's just got so much More Fleshed out about his character He's such yeah. uh, He's just a guy that you can relate to That you can connect with with his family He's getting bumps and bruises And wounds all yeah. over the place Everything that he does impacts him He's not As much as we like to watch the superhero movies To see the people with powers and stuff that we can and can't do We always want to be able to relate With these people And and right. with Clint we are now Very much so seeing the struggles he lost a loved one in Natasha. The stuff with his family. He's not. He's missing all these 
events and because of work. I mean, those are real world stuff, TK. That's that everybody yeah. understands missing their kids a moment with their kids because they had to to work a little bit too long that day. That's right. And I mean, he's also uh, Clint. He he kind of is is a little bit self loathing, and that's something that's relatable too. Because like, who can't relate to not being that into? Hawkeye, you know, everybody. That, that was sort of the sentiment around Hawkeye before the series. Is that well, we're not, we're not big, the biggest fans of Hawkeye, and neither is Clint. Clint doesn't like being Hawkeye so much, so he's even relatable on that front. And uh, uh, I just think it's uh, it, they're they're nailing the tone so far of this series. They're keeping it fun. We've got two more episodes left, and that's really where, like like you just mentioned, Shang Chi kind of faltered. We loved the first two acts. Uh, and then the the third act is where we had more of our complaints. Uh, still liked it uh, overall as a movie. Uh, maybe even loved it. Um, will Hawkeye have the same issues? Even going back to Iron Man. Iron Man has the same issues mm-hmm. with its third act. Uh, but uh, so far, I just feel like they're doing things very smartly. Uh, there's a lot of great, memorable action so far. And I, I just have a hunch that... They're going to stick this out. It's going to be a nice Christmas for us. I do at, too. Uh, in the MCU. Yeah, I do too. And it's cool. It's perfect. It's, it's holiday season. We're right around Christmas. We're getting those Christmas music vibes feels all throughout this series. And this will be one that I will, I will, this will be like on my Christmas, my holiday yes. watches every year. Right. Like this I'll is definitely gonna, this. every year. Yeah. It's going to be on the holiday watch because this isn't a Christmas show, but it is, you know, like it's a lot right. about like that getting, Yeah. Getting home for Christmas, getting it's a it's mm-hmm. Christmas intertwined and interweaved through all of this. And uh yeah, Disney Plus does a really good job too, like we were saying with all those streaming services. They they got a little mm-hmm. holiday section where you can watch the Home Alones yeah. and Santa Claus and different episodes of, of their shows that are holiday themed. So yep. we will be back in just a few days to talk Hawkeye episode five, folks. Uh, there are some really good um Recaps, reviews out there Tim and I mentioned some of them New rock stars, uh, Nerdist was one that, that uh, Tim was mentioning earlier But like Emergency Awesome is another Emergency Awesome, uh, Heavy Spoilers those They all do good job, like really good good stuff But there are few Few, and I, I don't <laughs> know any That talk about 30 minute episodes Of TV for two hours And uh, and get, it, get quite into the weeds As we do, so um, we'll take you on a journey, uh, a little bit of a deeper dive than than most will here on That's What G Said. And I thank you, Tim. It, the, the best part is, folks, a little behind uh, inside baseball stuff, behind the scenes. Tim and I have never jumped off one of these where Tim has said, like, or oh, that went too long. Or he's never had a time where I've been like, hey, can we keep it at, like, this amount of time? We We've even had situations where... We've had to go places. We've stopped the recording and picked it back up later just because we yeah. weren't, we didn't want to cut out any of our thoughts and we didn't want to seem like it was incomplete. So it's those like when I do these shows, those are the kind of people I'm looking for to share in them with me. And I'm, it's, we've, we've been that way from day one. We have this like, uh, this energy where we just want to make sure we talk it all out. We get through all of it. We, uh, we, you know, we hammer out all of our opinions and uh, I <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. I appreciate it, buddy. There aren't a lot of people who'd sit and go, uh, two plus hours with me all the time. So thank you so much. And thank you. Looking forward to episodes five and six and Spider-Man coming up soon. Absolutely. I, I can't wait. Looking forward to chatting, uh, with you about all the upcoming MCU stuff. Uh, and Spider-Man's just around the corner, so I, I cannot wait. 
Tim Kelly, make sure to give him a follow At Tim is not funny, you could check him out On Twitter and on Instagram And then Ice Cream Fire, you can check out All of that great music there Anywhere you download your music TK, my friend, you have a great time With the family over there on the East Coast Uh, Stay safe Have a blast, and I will be talking to you again uh, Next week Thanks so much Do not go anywhere, folks We have a lot more to discuss on this episode That's what she said So you want to set the mood You're looking for something all natural Soy wax Non-toxic, baby Scents for every season Now don't be afraid, baby Just spell it out C-E-R-A Candles Dot com And don't forget Promo code Gino gets you 10% off Mmm Mmm C-E-R-A candles.com All natural soy wax candles There are probably a lot of people During the holidays that you're looking around for gifts And you're not sure exactly what to get them You're not sure uh, what are they interested in nowadays I don't know Candles are perfect Get them a couple different scents Let them know These are all natural for them They're healthier for them No toxins, no carcinogens These are soy wax So they're actually going to give you a little bit better of a burn And uh, they're going to give you better bang for your buck Because of that soy wax Candles.com. We finish up with the old wrestling rewatch. We head back to WWF for Survivor Series 1990. What a huge show. The debut of The Undertaker. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join. We go match by match. We talk about the ultimate match of survival. Talk about a lot of big things. The gobbledygooker. And uh, a really fun, super nostalgic show on this week's episode of the old wrestling rewatch. Oh yeah! Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the old wrestling rewatch is back, and it's the Survivor Series. Welcome, everyone, as we head back to 1990, and uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna take a look at the only Survivor Series that had the grand finale match of survival. I gotta say, this show. From like an in-ring quality It's not spectacular And in, in a lot of these early uh, Survivor Series shows and Royal Rumbles You weren't going to get the greatest in-ring I, I really like this show And I have a lot of fun watching Some of the early Survivor Series shows Especially around this time of the year When you're around Thanksgiving Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne Back again to talk about this one So we're not going to have any five-star matches But what we do have on this show Is the chance to get a look at some huge stars And get a a chance to look at them teaming up And some really fun matchups that occur As we have a a team led by the Ultimate Warrior With the Legion of Doom, Animal Hawk, and the Texas Tornado Where we get to see them uh, go against Mr. Perfect and Demolition So you get that Legion of Doom versus Demolition At the end of that match You have a fun little Mr. Perfect uh, Ultimate Warrior mini match You get the million dollar team there With the debut of The Undertaker Huge moment in the history of the WWF WWE now And uh, Dusty Rhodes Bret Hart kind of about to break out on his own You could see they were uh, getting ready to show you He's ready to go singles That match I thought was a lot of fun And then you know you're going to get a Hulk match A couple of the others I thought were lackluster And when we get the grand match of survival So Darren first for you And then to Andrew What did you think overall of the Survivor Series 1990 
Yeah, it's a it's a fun show. I mean, you you start off with a with a match that probably could have anchored a, a Survivor Series pay per view with the uh, with the power in terms of the name recognition that was in it. Um, but uh, of course, they have. I, I kind of like what they did here with the the match at the end where you go into the pay per view not knowing who's going to be in it. I mean, I'm sure you you know if you're smart, you have an idea of who's going to be in it. But but. I like that element to it. I kind of miss that kind of thing that WWE would do. Um, I, I thought it was a fun show. There was some stuff in the middle that you could have done without the. I could make an argument that maybe there was one too many matches in there. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, I mean, how have we got this far two minutes in and didn't mention the gobbledygooker? Well, I was going to, I, I was going to say that for the end, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not only known for the debut of the undertaker, but it is also known for the, the debut of the gobbledygooker. We could talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the Undertaker in his first match. One of the things that I made notice of were some distinct differences in some of his work, his in-ring work, and how he moved around compared to what we would see later on. And then one thing that I will mention at the very end of the show that I'm sure Andrew is going to have a lot of a lot of fun with. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to that. So Darren mentioned the word fun a lot in his recap of this show, and that's fitting. Look. If you're looking for four or five star matches, you've come to the wrong show. That's not what this show is meant for. This show is meant for a lot of fast paced things that wind up popping the crowd. And the crowd, by the way, did this show a lot of favors because this crowd was hot for this particular show pretty much right off the jump. Now, we've mentioned a lot of the Bret Hart stuff. Gee, shocker. Gino and Darren mentioning Bret Hart stuff. Let me show you my big shocked face. It's my normal (laughs) face. We're on a podcast. But on a serious note, this match was very, very good. I had it as a three and a half star match. And there's a bunch of different reasons as to why that match was good that I'm sure we will get into and dissect at length. There's some stuff on this show that we can talk about the short term booking of and how it wasn't necessarily going in in certain directions that maybe we would have thought was sensible. But One of the things that I want to make sure we talk about is it's Survivor Series. They're already booking for the next year's WrestleMania five or six months down the road. There are programs that are getting set up and you can see the wheels start turning. Now, if this was 2021 into 2022, we wouldn't know the full WrestleMania card until what, a week before the show, guys? Um, (laughs) It just goes to show how different the product was multiple decades ago. I'm not even talking good or bad. I'm just talking different different. as far as Mm -hmm. how stuff gets built. Yep. And how it gets all set up. And it was fun. You know, we've had this conversation a few times recently around the Survivor Series now. And at this point, this was still such a new idea. We didn't have as much TV. So we didn't see all these guys team up randomly over and over and over again that it actually felt still like a really big deal it felt like something that was unique and it's hard nowadays to to have to get that same feel we get some excellent matches uh usually whatever one or two survivor series elimination matches they have they're excellent they're really really good but they don't have any stakes there's nothing really up for grabs these felt like a big deal and in particular on this show with that additional Grand match of survival at the end For anyone who would survive their individual Matches so uh, again yeah we've said The word fun over and over and over again That's what you get with these shows When they were still back on Thanksgiving Night in the early Survivor Series 
A couple things to note about the time of this show. So Jesse the Body Ventura was released, fired from WWE, I think just a couple months before this. So or not maybe not even that long. Um, so he he was someone that you had heard at all of the big WWF shows at the time uh, up until this. So um, no Jesse, you do hear Rowdy Roddy Piper on the call Oy. as uh, Piper <laughs> is it, he has some moments that are wow. He'll have some some kind of like oh you know a little kind of hidden Easter eggs where you're like that actually was kind of like a good comment or that ha, sort of ha, ha. egg. You know? Egg, yeah, gobbledygooker, right? egg. There I see go. what you did there. Ha 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 ha. Kidding us, kidding aside. One thing I will say: I thought Roddy did an excellent job during Bret Hart's match, and we'll talk more about that when we get there. Yeah, yeah. He knows that's an, that's the thing. He knows Bret really well. He knows the family, so he was able to uh, mention that Bret's brother had passed away. Gosh, and when we get there too, we'll talk about what a lot of the things that that family has dealt with. They've got a lot of books and stories out, and just. They've dealt with tons of tragedy through the years. We are going to get into Survivor Series. What, they're almost like the Kennedys of wrestling. They are. Seriously. And it's like, it's this weird and, and like where they are located too. It's there. It's funny because in, in the, the world of wrestling, they're very well known. They're one of the top wrestling families that if you mention the hearts, everybody would know who you're talking about. Like them and the Von Erics. The, 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 right. It's like it's it's crazy what what befell both families. It really and, is. And for well, the while that's true, really quick with the hearts. Go ahead, yeah. When the family is that big, chances are something bizarre is gonna happen to someone. Now there's a few, the fact and it's a small there town. Were a few. Now, as far as the Von Erics go. Uh, for me personally, with the Hart family to the Von Erichs, you go from bad to worse simply yeah. because the Von Erichs are basically a public service announcement telling kids to not do drugs. And we see them both. Uh, we see both of those families on this show, uh, actually, with uh, the Texas Tornado uh, in the opening match. And uh, Brett, who, like we said, Brett, you can see they're just getting ready. And it, it's funny. I didn't, like, pick this show for Brett. I picked this show just because I like the the – I actually got always got a kick of that the idea of the grand match of survival. You know, I don't think they necessarily hit a home run with it. And did it did it feel to you okay, the show running time was just over two hours and twenty minutes. Now I know they had a little bit of an intermission on on the show live, but it did it feel to you like the last couple matches maybe were a little rushed towards the end? Because even the and I don't know if it was when they brought everybody out, the final match was short. Maybe that was you know, they didn't want to go along anyways because everybody was coming out for the second time. But it, it did sort of feel like things were a little bit rushed, I thought, from the, maybe the beginning of the uh, the second to last match and on. So, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, well, I, the gobbledygooker took about 20 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah that yeah. that definitely went a little long. So maybe that was the case. But there were a few things at the end that you felt like they would probably give a little bit more time to. Um, nonetheless, fun show. And let's get into Survivor Series 1990 This one comes from uh, the Hartford Civic Center It's 16,000 there and this one was on Thanksgiving Night November the 22nd In uh, 1990 And we got one of those great Vince intros It's the Survivor Series He voices over All the matches as they show Everybody one by one I loved these Intros as a kid for this and for the Rumble they were my favorite. Just seeing everybody up there as someone who loves no. Oh, okay, they're all. This is who this. Okay, they're against them, and that that guy's feuding with that guy, and that and that's what was cool about these early shows too. Is it all sort of made sense? 
right? It didn't make it, everybody didn't have to like each other on a team. It was more so about who they were feuding with on the opposite side. So, you know, nowadays we get every year it's oh, will they coexist? Can they coexist? You don't really get a lot of that in the old Survivor series. It was good guys against the bad guys and you had everybody sort of focused in on who who their feud was with on the opposing team. And that's kind of a simple formula where I think, you know, it's harder to do nowadays because they do the raw SmackDown stuff, but well, and there's faces there's faces and heels, but then there's quasi faces and there's quasi the tweeners. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's just it's not totally a clean different cut, Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just and example. They don't explain very much about any of the details of this final match of survival, but we all just assume that when the good guys survive, they're going to be on one side and the bad guys are going to be on the other. Well, right? took, and, and think about it this way. It took it took what? Um, seven years. No, I, I would know five, five years from now. I guess it, I think it was in 95 when they had the wild card match and it was a big deal yep. because they mixed heels with faces i mean we're still at this point we're still five years away from that happening so it goes Mm -hmm. to show you the difference and we get a look at the teams so on this show we had five survivor series elimination matches that were four on four matches and then we have the ultimate match of uh of survival at the end so there was a dark match uh on this uh seven match card overall as we get to the yeah, Vince intros first. It's the Hulk Hogan's team. Always, it's just funny because uh, you know Hulk gets the the first, even though they weren't like the opener. It didn't go in order or anything. But the Hulk of Adiacs versus the Natural Disasters, Rhodes versus the Million Dollar Team. He intros all the other teams, and uh, the winners go on to the ultimate match of survival. It's Gorilla Monsoon and Rowdy Roddy Piper, and uh, Piper. They get now. Keep in mind, this is right around the time of you know Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, Gulf War, Iraqi, uh, you know, U.S., you know, uh, really, really bad uh, uh, terms at this point. So you're getting a lot of uh, pro-U.S. stuff. I mean, Piper cuts a, a promo. Speaking of armies, first time in history that the WWF is streaming the Survivor Series to the armed forces. President Saddam Hussein, I'm charging you double. We're going to make you pay through the nose. And <laughs> we get just... A lot of references like that, uh, and and a ton of promos. They're talking about things that are happening all imagine, throughout. The- imagine something like that now. Like imagine, imagine if it was like the Survivor Series 2021, and like somebody's out there. Hey, we're going live out to Moscow, and Vladimir Putin, you're gonna be paying through the nose to watch this when you Russian snob. Like that's just not gonna happen anymore. <laughs> it's crazy to the yeah. you know, and and everybody's behind it. Everybody's into it, and. And you know Piper will get onto a few tangents like that throughout the show. Just a few, a, a few, just, just a few. I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't understand half the things he says. I'm not even kidding. He he gets so over the top loud with his accent and stuff. It's like I have to go back and what did he just say? Was I know. that was that English? I know. And it's it's another one in those string of Rick, not a uh, ma- uh, Macho Man. Dusty and Piper are the ones to me that jump out and even DiBiase guys that did a really good job cutting promos but just weren't very good on commentary. Yeah. Yeah. For some true. reason, it's like yeah. they just didn't know it's like they couldn't find their voice, you know? And you would have thought you would have thought that DiBiase would have been good. I know. And he was yeah. he had some okay 
times here and there. I think in WCW, after a little bit of experience, he actually did a little bit better here and there when he, I think he did some stuff. But yeah, for some reason, it was just none of them really connected. Like you would have figured, oh, I'm sure that, you know, if you're backstage, if you're Vince or someone backstage, you're like, oh, they'll be perfect on commentary. You put right. them in right in, but they, right. it just, yeah, for some reason, it just didn't translate over. Uh, by the way, the other thing is poor Bobby Heenan got beat up tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's oh, for man. sure. Oh. He took a really good bump at the end of the Hulkamaniacs match. That was awesome. The one thing I'll say about the commentary, though, is it possible that, A, during that time period, we got spoiled by Bobby Heenan, who could do absolutely anything you asked him to do and do it as well as anybody in any locker room anywhere. And also, right after this was when Jerry Lawler came in. He wound up sitting down at the color commentary table, and it took him a little while to find his voice but once he did, he was outstanding. And I wonder if, you know, Bobby it, it maybe would have been it just felt like he kind of needed a heel. I think especially in a Survivor series setting, the heel commentator you probably would have would it could have used more, mm-hmm. you know, it, just cuz in every match you you got that real strong dynamic of the baby faces versus the heels. And I think that that uh, the, obviously Jesse wasn't here, but a Bobby type could have been really good. On a show like this just to combat Gorilla and, and we're going to see that team you know, Together moving forward And just looking at the star power of, uh, of this show and a lot of these guys That may not have been huge stars yet But where they would go moving forward I mean you got the Legion of Doom The Texas Tornado You got the Ultimate Warrior Mr. Perfect Demolition All in the opener You got Ted DiBiase and that Greg the Hammer Valentine Honky Tonk Man all timers the un, uh, like all timers from this era the Undertaker maybe the best w pure WWF wrestler of all time you, you've got the uh, Brett Dusty you know on the other side you've got Rick the Model who's a really fun character from this era Jake the Snake Jimmy Snuka you got the Rockers you got Hogan Boss Man Hacksaw you've got the uh, the natural disasters there you've got uh, you know. Slaughter who ends up getting the title run Not long after this you got Tito Who's been a mainstay and then you've got You know this is a good Good group of all timers And the managers too I love Just seeing that that old school Group of managers Heenan Fuji you've got a slick In the mix Virgil's out There Um, brother love Brother love Jimmy Hart All of them so a fun This is just one of those shows Remember why macho King did not partake in the wrestling in this. I know he cut the promo on Warrior, but I think he had like a small injury. Okay, I think he had a small. I'm, I'm, but I'm not a thousand percent sure. I was trying right. to look that up too, and I, but I think it's like I remember hearing it somewhere, and I couldn't quite figure out where I heard it because I've heard I've listened to a few of uh, the long recaps on this. But yeah, because yeah, like if you wanted to build that feud, you would have had him in one of the matches with Warrior. But any, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Any any match or even just a separate match that he could have won, right. you know, and, and and led and won and been you know built to be the next guy there, then come out and you know made Warrior to get DQ'd in his match or something like that, right? Like sort of set up like what we saw him set up at the Rumble kind of thing. So uh, maybe they were still waiting a little bit as uh, they were building Slaughter and even the Slaughter booking I thought was kind of funny because um, we'll we'll talk about that when we when we get there. Let's talk about the opening match. We've got the Warriors versus the perfect team. And we uh we you know get the announced team. They set it they set everything up. I mentioned the the Piper talking about uh how this is gonna be streamed to the armed forces. And 
the perfect team comes out Mr. Perfect and the three members of Demolition is uh, Mr. Fuji was with them again. This was now back their back heel. Remember he he turned on them a few years ago. Now he's yeah. back with them. This, uh, is, here. this is the end of their run too. This is yeah, this is almost like the passing of the baton in front of you from Demolition to Legion of Doom. Because when they brought in Crush, it was because the uh, I think it was Axe who Ax. was just a little. It like, was Axe, yeah, yeah, a little past his prime, yeah. and he just couldn't do very much anymore. They still wanted him out there. He still wanted to go, but he, he they it kind of made him part of the 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 three man team. As um, we uh, we get the. Ultimate Warriors backstage getting interviewed by Mean Gene. And okay, uh, can I describe this here? Please um, do. What I what I have as my notes for this interview is they take turns screaming unintelligible gibberish at the camera. All four of these guys. And by the way, I don't think it's any coincidence that none of these four guys are with us anymore. Just saying. Yeah. At this point, too, you wonder like how much stuff these guys were doing. Uh, unfortunately. As the the warriors, um, yeah, I said you know, lots of yelling in the promo. Is is Hawks? Mean Gene asks him first. You know, what are your thoughts? And he says, "Quote: Well, I don't know what my thoughts are exactly, except I know that the four of us are gonna take the four of them, whatever it takes, Gene." I don't know what my thoughts are exactly. It just was, it's so funny. I, mean, I think really that's perfect, perfect talk. Perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. It, yeah. It, it, animal, I don't know where I am. I'm confused. Animal <laughs> jumps in and says, <laughs> for all the little warriors, the little tour. This is what they did on this show a few different times. And I love warrior. And these guys start using their character name to like create these followings of people that it's like what the the hell are you talking like the warriors the little tornadoes and the little doomers here uh we won't War- let you down warrior, warrior did it at wrestlemania warrior, six warrior did it yeah which is fine warriors and but the hulkamaniacs he does it later <laughs> and he says with the power of the hulkamaniacs the power of warrior wildness and the power of Ariva Durchi. yeah what he was says that? it he says it with Tito as yeah. if Ariva Durchi is this like thing yeah. that like I was dying. I yeah. it was so funny. So we got we we got the, that and then we, we get the warrior gibberish where he says we have become one. We have formed a bond like no other, and no one can break what we have created. Which that's okay. Right, that's that. You're a team. You're that might, be, that might be the most coherent sentence of his entire right? wrestling that's career. Totally fine. <laughs> but then he goes like, "There is no poison, no creation, there no medicine to yeah. cure what we have." Yeah. You're because uh, poison cures all ailments, right? And he, you know, Mister Perfect and Demolition will not survive. <laughs> and and then we are on. This was fun though. I I laughed at that quite a bit as a. We get to our first Survivor Series elimination match, Perfect Team versus the Ultimate Warriors. At the time, uh, Warrior is the champ. And what's interesting about this is actually Texas Tornado is the Intercontinental champ at this time, but he actually lost the match to uh, lost the belt to Mr. Perfect a few days earlier in a taped match that wouldn't uh, wouldn't air for a few weeks. 
So at this point, gotta love 1990, man. Right? Tornado is the IC champ, but he's already actually lost the belt. But nobody publicly knows he lost the belt, and there's no internet and stuff back there. It's so crazy. I was at I was at the MSG house show a couple of years back, or maybe three, four years back, when uh, AJ Styles beat Kevin Owens for the U.S. title, and like I took a picture or a video of him (laughs) with the belt on the turnbuckle, you know, with the N new as just the tweet, you know. And within like three minutes, I had like 16 replies. What? Did this actually happen? AJ's the new US champ. What? I know. And then and, and you talk about here where you could tape something in front of a crowd. I, I, can you imagine what the people in the crowd at that show were thinking when they turned on Survivor Series a few nights later and said, wait a minute, how did Tornado get the belt back? But it's like, oh, well, it was probably only 7,000 people. So who cares? <laughs> I know. It didn't even matter. So uh, that's such a funny dynamic, I thought, here. As uh, we get the Animal and Smash going at it early. I mean, Warrior was pumped up. He was bouncing off the ropes back and forth. He eliminates Axe early on. And that's, again, what we were sort of talking about. Axe is hurt. He can't get out there and do very much. So, hey, let's get him in there. Let's get him out of there early on. Warrior uh, uh, gets him. We get a weasel chant from the crowd. And we get a uh, let's see, Crush and Hawk going at it a little bit in here. This was fun because you know uh, the dem- demolition was created basically to kind of be the WWF's version of the Legion of Doom. Is fun to see these two teams go at it. Probably a few years later than what would have been cool. You'd, these two teams in about '88 would have been a lot of fun. Uh, demolition was 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 pretty good at that point too. I think a lot of people sort of underrate what they could do in a in a you know, in a good match with the right partner, they had some excellent stuff with the uh, uh, the Hard Foundation. Well, a couple yeah, of I mean, times. their wrestling style fit what they look like. They're not high mm-hmm. flyers. They're not. They're not going to be the best workers. But they went in the ring and and they worked to what their look looked like, and and it worked, and 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 it sold. And you know, people may have called them the poor man's Road Warriors at the time, but Demolition's one of the greatest tag teams of all time. I mean, they were over, no man. About it, yeah, man. They were over for, and a their long music time. was awesome, and still dun, is. Dun, dun, dun. They had a great look at the time. They were the music. Everybody knew what they were talking about, and they were yeah, baby faces and heels for a good four to five, you know, four year stretch yep. here. So uh, we get their, their stuff with the Heart Foundation was fantastic. Two, I think, two different SummerSlams, right? Yes, yes. Was it like eighty eight and ninety, or a little before this? I think tw- twice different, uh, a couple different years. I might, be, I might be wrong in the years, but mm-hmm. the um, so what ends up happening here? Hawk. Uh, we get a flying shoulder tackle, and then he gets a cl- he goes for a clothesline off the top rope. Looks like it's going to be a three count, but uh, we just get a two here. And then all of the the two the the four members of Demolition and LOD are all in the ring. They're going at it, and as an easy way to get these guys out of there, not make anybody look bad in their feud that they're kind of starting here. They have all four of them get disqualified. Which I don't norm. I don't like it when they do it and they and they have a whole team DQ'd or they do something that doesn't make sense with it. Some, you know, the one I think it's the next year in '91 when the Flair won and everybody except for Ric Flair. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Come on, you know. Yeah. But this one, at least, you got four guys who won't get out of the ring. They kind of shove the ref. They're not listening. So at least it kind of makes sense. But pretty quickly, DZ, we've already got, you know, half of this match eliminated. Right. No, you do. And, and one of the things I could, I could tell you about this match is that Mr. Perfect could put over Rick's natural star. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, Gee, we people... want to explain who Rick's natural star is for those that are listening for the wrestling part who might not be sure. horse racing people. We, sure. we'll, we'll we'll do it very quickly. Rick Rick's natural star was a horse who ran in the 1996 Breeders' Cup Turf, which is one of the premier turf races in the world. And before entering that race, he was basically a five thousand dollar claiming dirt sprinter who i believe ran one time in the previous maybe 18 months or something to that effect the horse obviously had no business being in the race and in the weeks and days leading up to the breeders cup race there was a great deal of concern and a lot of media and press surrounding the connections of the horse and running the horse in the race who lasted up near the early pace for maybe the first half a mile and then came plodding home about Oh, two minutes after the rest of the horse is finished. But by <laughs> saying that Mr. Perfect could put him over, if you watch some of the things that Perfect is doing in this match to try to sell for the Legion of Doom and, and, and the bumps that he's taking and the it's almost like the rock taking a stunner type yep. stuff, you know. All four of those guys um, for the Legion of Doom, for the yeah. warrior and for tornado. He yeah, just, and the and punches, you see, the flails, it's like Michael yeah. stuff, you know. And you could see, Andrew, that if you were a guy, if you were a face in WWE, you would absolutely love to be in the ring with perfect because you know that whatever it is that you're doing, he's gonna make it look as good as it possibly could be precisely and brett was the same way with either faces or heels you knew you were getting a guy who if you whipped him into the corner he was going to take that bump in the way nobody else could take it and it's the same with perfect if you were a big guy and you hit him with a clothesline he was going to flip before he hit the mat there were certain things that those gifted guys could do that put people over and made people take their opponents seriously. I mean, my goodness, if you haven't seen the Bret Hart-Tom McGee match, by all means, go seek that out. Mm-hmm. That's that's the gold standard of the thing that we're talking about here. None of us were able to see it until, what, was it about Recently. two years ago when they found yeah. it? Three years yeah. ago, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. on Peacock. I think they did transition that over to Peacock. Mm-hmm. I, you're going to need to take a look at that to, to make sure. But if that little mini documentary is there and you have not seen it, go watch it. So we're down to Warrior and Tornado against Mr. Perfect. We get a tornado. Yeah, great line. He looks at Heenan and goes, I'm not going in there with those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so he, Tornado and Perfect go at it as uh, Perfect heads down, uh, gets knocked to the floor. And then Warrior sends him into Heenan. And then he throws Heenan over the steel barricade. Um, so Tornado uh, goes to to like splash Perfect and Perfect moves. So uh Von Eric ends up hitting the ring post And here comes Mr. Perfect with that knee lift That was awesome And then he face first into the turnbuckle Which was exposed And then he hit the perfect plex to pin him So we're down to Mr. Perfect Versus the Ultimate Warrior one on one And I thought we got a really good little stretch with these two guys At the end like a little mini match With the two of them Is you know Perfect was in charge for a lot of it And that was what I, I thought in the first Two matches on, on the uh on this card what I really enjoyed About both of them and then I think the show Starts to slow down a little bit They booked them very well in that In this match It's a lot of perfect And then any of the guys that perfect is going to match up With on the other side is going to be a fun combo Any of the LOD guys Tornado or Warrior and Perfect's going to do a great job As Darren was saying of making those guys look good No matter what and then in the next match We have it's it's either 
Brett or DiBiase in almost the whole match one on one of the other sides. And so you're getting one guy here who's kind of working and then bridges it to the other guy, tags in, and then DiBiase comes in from the other side. So you're always getting like a really strong worker in for, I'd say, 80% of these first two matches. And that makes them pretty solid. And I, I really thought the last part of this was fun. What was cool is, um, Warrior comes in and he nails the turnbuckle And then Mr. Perfect hits the perfect plex And this this was the point where people didn't really kick out of finishers You know, somebody hits their finisher It's like, whoa I mean, Warrior and Hogan are on a little bit different level But Mr. Perfect was a, a pretty top heel at the time um, As close to, you know, the top as possible And, and they're actually, one of the problems for Warrior Was there weren't very many strong heels at this time you know, there just weren't very many good options for him. So perfect, you know, is is in control here for a little while. And uh he hits a nice drop kick, clothesline, and then here comes Warrior. The crowd's really getting into it. The, they're uh they're getting Warrior back in with a couple punches, a couple clotheslines, perfect's flopping around like a fish, and then we get the flying shoulder tackle and the running splash for the win. This thing went 14 minutes and 20 seconds. As uh, Ultimate Warrior eliminates Mr. Perfect And he is the sole survivor of the opening match And it was fun Like I said, a lot lot of cool stuff I don't think for 14 minutes It didn't really drag, I I thought, all that much Because Perfect was in a good amount of it And I did think the little stretch at the end With Warrior and Perfect was was a good time So, DZ, what would you think about the opener? I thought it was a solid match, solid opener You know, probably somewhere in like the Two and a half, two and three quarter type stars. Yep. You know, nothing yep. over the top spectacular from a wrestling standpoint, but got a lot of big names in the match. You get to see uh, the LOD. You got your your WWF champ. You got your Intercontinental champ. So you got perfect selling all over the place. Heenan doing good work outside. You talked about him getting thrown over the steel uh, barricade, which of course gets a crowd reaction. You get the champion going over at the end. So you're going to get to see him again at the end of the night. Nothing about it that's overly offensive. Some of the ring work is a little choppy and a little sloppy at times, but perfect is just flying all over the place like the lunatic bumper he is. It's a fun, it's a like we talked about the word fun before. It's a fun match. It's enjoyable. Nothing about it is is really that bad. Um, you know, and, and it's a good way to start the pay-per-view, knowing that you got the warrior coming back at the end. So this match is no great shakes if you're watching it on mute. I thought it was very kicky, punchy. You had seven guys in there that weren't necessarily renowned for their ring work. And you had one guy in there whose job was to make the other seven look as good as humanly possible. And for the most part, he did that. And that part was fine. The crowd added a lot to this match. You can tell there's a Mm -hmm. lot of kids in the building and the baby faces are over. The crowd Mm -hmm. was going nuts. And they went nuts most of the evening. In this case, it really helped. I'm going to play contrarian, at least for a moment. I don't think your world champion should be jerking the curtain. I think they should have found something else to potentially Mm -hmm. open the show with. But Mm -hmm. for what it was, it was fine. I've got no complaints with the actual match. It's just the match order is a little bit strange for me. The only reason why it doesn't bother me is because he's coming back. Fair. At the end of the night, at the end of the night, and because he's he actually is the guy at the end of the night, which is interesting, who has his music played when they're standing there posing, which I did think was intriguing because a couple of the other times, even when he was champion, or even when Macho was champion, other other guys, we'd usually get the Hogan music and the Hogan posing. So I did think that was kind of intriguing at the end. But no, you are right; it did feel weird to, for him to be starting. And this team, 
compared to Hogan's team, I mean, this team by far was like the most over baby faces in the company at the time. Hogan was still, you know, a big deal, but you got Warrior, who's the very over baby face champion. You've got the LOD, who's a real, like, probably the most over baby face tag team. And as the Hart Foundation starting to turn now, but LOD was by far more over uh, as a team. They always get those big pops. And then you have, uh, you know, Texas Tornado, who was always going to get a great response there. So this team was very popular and well received. And the Warrior is on to the match. Of survival as we go backstage For another promo And this one uh, is Ted DiBiase Of the million dollar team He says the mystery partner is here And in a matter of minutes everyone will know his identity As always the million dollar man Has done things in grand fashion And I promise this is a big a very big surprise And as for you Coco beware you're one bird who needs to be Plucked and stuffed this Thanksgiving day The Heart Foundation you're on the way To Heartbreak Hotel via Rhythm and Blues And last but not least Dusty Rhodes you will be where I always Said you'll be on your hands and your Knees begging humble before the Million dollar man but there will be no Mercy tonight because only the Strong survive <laughs> That was a pretty good promo there good promo. Decent good promo, promo. Yeah. yeah, he hit on everybody. A little, little over know. the top rehearsed and a little bit, you know, um, a little bit, you know, cue cardish, as you would yes. say. Uh, but it's fine. It, it's it's a it's it's a typical, well put together, well, you know, just just an articulate promo as you would expect from DiBiase. Check. It's like a you get you could sort of see the the bullet points in his head, right? Yep. As he hit each. As he hit on each wrestler, Coco beware, boom, like what he was going to say about him. And then to the next one, you know, all the way down. So, um, yeah, good. He it may not be one. punk MJF AEW, but it's, it's, good. yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> As uh, Hulk, um, or no, 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 we, uh, this wasn't quite yet, right? We don't get the, the Hulk promo, I don't think yet. That was a little bit later on. So we get uh, the babyface team of Dusty Rhodes making their entrance. And uh, this is where Piper actually, Mentions um, as Andrew was alluding to earlier that Bret Hart's brother Dean died a day earlier and that Piper asked uh, Piper was asked by Bret to mention uh, that he was dedicating this match to Dean and he Piper knows Bret and you I think this was probably a talking point I'd imagine for you know in their pre-show meeting or whatever the notes that that Vince was going to give to Piper or whatever the notes he was giving to Piper on the headset during the during the show was probably, hey Brett's we're getting ready to push Brett, you know, like let's get Brett, let's keep Brett, put him over. We want him because and you could tell the way that they they booked this match, there was a lot of Brett and a lot of DiBiase because both of these two guys had something big coming up. DiBiase had a match coming up with the Ultimate Warrior the next night on uh, NBC for the title on the main event, so they wanted to keep DiBiase looking good. And Brett was going to get ready for an icy title run We would see him uh, Break off into a singles And within a year So actually think about this for Brett um, In less than a year he's the IC champ In two years he's main eventing this show As the WWF champ So things start to move very quickly For him right now As uh, we get to The million dollar team Versus the Dream team And to start things off uh, the heels come out And Gorilla says that Ted DiBiase uh, offered extra Prize money for anyone on his team that makes The grand survival um, And DiBiase comes out As uh, he introduces The final team member Led to the ring by his manager Brother Love From Death Valley 
He is the Undertaker. And here he is, guys, for the first time ever. We Can see I say it? Please. Look at the size of that ham hock. <laughs> okay, that made me laugh. That was a you know, <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good piper line. And we get him. The Undertaker. No Paul Bear yet. With uh with Brother Love. People kind of forget that early Undertaker didn't have Paul Bear yet with him. But I think, you know, when when people talk about the Rushmore stuff and Let's leave, I guess, politics aside nowadays, right? But uh, when you talk about um, the, the the all-time greats, I don't think Undertaker is brought up all that much. Uh, but when you talk about the best ever of WWE, WWF wrestlers, I think the 30, you know, it wasn't a quite 30 full years, but the reign that The Undertaker had, he, to me, was the, the greatest creation. And I think what he did in the WWE, WWF, was even more valuable then uh then probably the run that Hogan or Austin or Brett or Sean or anybody rock or any of those guys really for, for like his longevity and and yeah. how long he was there kind of being a top guy and what he meant to WrestleMania year in year out probably all the merch and all the things that he sold through the years and uh, and here he is for the first yeah. time the I, undertaker I, I mean when you, when you talk about uh I, I by the way I remember sitting in um the den in my house uh my parents house watching this with uh my friend kevin we always watch the pay-per-views together and when he goes into the ring and he takes the hat off my buddy kevin and i who also watched wcw looked at each other and went oh, mean mark <laughs> nice nice um, see like but, i wouldn't have known like i, yeah, I wouldn't you have known, known at the point. time yeah no way um and... but yeah but, but back to what you were saying just quickly about about the mount rushmore stuff look wrestling is different than other quote-unquote sports right like baseball you know your mount rushmore you're talking about best players to play the game same thing in things like basketball when you're talking about you know jordan lebron kobe guys like that you're talking about just the best players with wrestling it's not just the best ring workers or the best athletes there are other intangibles that have to be factored into the equation and the Undertaker, for my money, is the single greatest character in the history of professional wrestling. He he sold the character that originally was meant to be dead to the point where he tells stories where people actually were asking, like Paul Bearer, you know, or him when they would see them out, is he really dead? Like that's how good he sold yeah. this, as ridiculous as that sounds. But it's true. And me. He's scary. Yeah. And not only that, but okay. You look back and you say a guy playing a dead guy, a dead undertaker in 1990, was able to adapt and evolve and mold that character based on what society and what the wrestling audience at the time was demanding from its wrestlers. And to be able to continue that, whether it was, you know, American Badass or Dead Man Inc. or, or whatever it may have been, to be able to evolve that character and make, keep it relevant. And not only that, but keep it one of the greatest attractions in professional wrestling for three decades, that automatically puts you on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. Is he the greatest ring worker of all time? No. But is he damn good, especially for a guy his size? Being able to do things that guys that size shouldn't be able to do, of course. And listen, what? While I love the fact that we had the Undertaker as long as we did, 
maybe you can make the argument that he hung around a little bit too long for some of the big matches because obviously some of them are not great. But Andrew, when it comes to overall wrestling, overall wrestling character, he's he has to be in anybody's top five. The guy didn't just bring that character to life, wordplay intended. He reinvented that character several times Mm -hmm. in several ways, some of them subtle, some of them a complete overhaul. When I first saw The Undertaker coming out on a motorcycle, I went, huh, I'm supposed to take that seriously now? Uh, But he made it work. Even the infamous booger red phase, which might be one of the few things Jim Ross tried to get over that didn't get over. Even that sort of worked. And then you get his complete resurrection as an in-ring worker in the mid to late 2000s, where all of a sudden, this guy who had never had his in-ring work be the calling card is suddenly having four-star matches with every main eventer on the roster. It's funny, it kind of happened twice. It, It seemed like in 97, he had a few with Brett and Sean. Like then yep. it, it was, it was, it, it was like, I think when he started working with Mick in 96, yep. he was like excited that he wasn't getting saddled with all these just miserable workers. And he seemed like he got a little jolt to show what he had. And then you're right. It wasn't that he kind of got lazy again or anything. He would just, he would give you fine matches with guys through the years, but you're right. You hit what Batista edge and then Sean are guys that well, I think about the SummerSlam, the, the SummerSlam 97 match with him and Brett with Sean as a referee is fantastic. Excellent. It's and then very right good. you get yeah. the bad blood hell in yep. a cell with Sean. So that's a good little stretch. And, for and him. by, and by the way, not only is he one of the greatest characters of all time, but stemming off of his character, it's Kane. Cre- it created another phenomenal character and one of the best storylines in the history of wrestling. It was amazing. It's amazing. And yeah, this is, there's a lot to like. A lot to like with The Undertaker. This is early Undertaker here. And uh, again, you know, it's it's fun to put a timeline on things like this. The next year at this show, he wins the title. He beats... Walking, uh, walking much slower to the ring a year later yep. than he did here. Because he this is probably the fastest you've ever seen him make a wrestling entrance in your life. And then afterwards, I'm sure he was getting critiqued little things here and there by Vince. We got to slow you down. Well, he would say he said himself like he would have to slow himself down because he was a guy that was agile and could move. And you could see it in the ring. He takes deep breaths. Hang on a second here, Darren. Darren, you just said it. Big guy that can move. Everybody drink. Drink, drink, drink. As uh, here we go. Gorilla says he's six foot ten, 320 pounds. And says he's only supposed there's only supposed to be four per team. But he makes this four and a half or five on their team. And uh, we get, how cool is this? Just like Undertaker and Bret Hart starting out. You know, it's like, oh, that's great. And yeah, they, how great was that, right? It's how great uh, was that? Yeah. cool. Just right off the bat as uh, Undertaker just knocks him down with the choke right away. And then Jim the Anvil Nyhard comes in. You get a shoulder tackle there um, on Undertaker, but he doesn't even move him. So Undertaker picks him up, slams him. Coco comes in. And uh, Undertaker uh, Throat first just kind of pushes Coco into the middle ropes and then he picks him up He hits a tombstone and his early Tombstones they were he kind of spiked You and he he set him up a little Goofy with his arm you could tell he was Still sort of figuring out how to do him He kind of had it was like a three Quarter 
tombstone that he had with with the way his arms were. He spikes Coco beware. He's out of this match pretty quickly. And you could tell he's still new because he he hits this move away from the hard cam. Back to the hard cam. He's just like, uh-oh, you know, right off the bat, his first pin, and we can't even really see, you know, see it like he's supposed to. But he looks good here. And it this this actually reminds me, and, and Andrew said it a couple times, it reminds me a little bit of that Lucha Underground with Matanza in just wow, this guy came out. And nowadays, if you know if you're if you're you know selling a mystery partner and you're building up someone like that. We have to know who that person is. It can't. It, it's so. If, if you bring out somebody that nobody knows, it it becomes like, who the hell is this? And if you do that, you better hit with it, which they did in Lucha Underground, and they kind of had been at least teasing the story of of a brother of Cueto, and so you kind of at least had heard that maybe Cueto would bring someone in. With this, this was just a brand new character. We didn't know anything about. He came in and immediately. The people in the crowd were scared They were terrified and he didn't get He didn't win this match but he did well, not Look weak they, you know? the, uh, they Interestingly enough They they booked themselves into a corner With the with the last match Of the night with they the did. Undertaker They did because if he's not Winning the last match of the night He can't be in it He can't unless, be in he it. Get, unless he gets there and you do what you did Here in the last match of the night Which was I was thinking they would have done Which I with Slaughter too Right. See, I thought I figured, and we'll get to that match in a little bit. But they they made Slaughter. They were wanted to make Slaughter look strong. They were having mm-hmm. him set up to be the next heel. Why don't you just have him beat Tito, win that match, and then he's in the next match and he does something cheap to Hogan yeah. or Warrior? Why do you and need? You, I mean, not to disrespect Tito. No, not at you, all. Why did you need Tito with it's, with the Warrior and Hogan? I can right? I, I can answer that because somebody on that side needed Had to, to work the pin. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was you wanted to at least have somebody get eliminated over there, which you yep. know, but but yeah, you 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 wonder with a couple of them if they maybe could have tweaked a few things to to make the you know make it look a little better. But it did. I don't think they did much wrong with the Undertaker here at the beginning. I mean, he was no. And really quick before we go, go too much further, yeah. Vince's instructions to everybody prior to this match were very simple. He does not leave his feet. And that's precisely what happened. If you want to get a guy over strong while telling this kind of story, mission accomplished. As far as a storytelling perspective, we can nitpick certain things all we want. But if the goal was, okay, we need to get Undertaker over even though he's green. We need to give Brett a showcase. And we want to make sure that the people that have a chance to work, that can work, get a chance to. Mission accomplished for me personally. This was far and away the match of the night. It was not 100%. close. Yeah, it was really well booked. Just really, really well booked. I thought. Um, you know, you get uh, so Coco's out of there, and we uh, we get back to Greg the Hammer Valentine, and or we're yeah, Greg the Hammer Valentine's going at it. No, excuse me, sorry, I skipped. I skipped a little. Yeah, Val- Valentine and Dusty. There we go. They're they're going at it at this point. Then Brett tags in him and uh, and Valentine go at it for a little bit. Honky Tonk gets in there with Brett, and then Jim the Anvil Nyhart comes back in. He gets the power slam on uh, the Honky Tonk Man, and he pins him. Honky Tonk Man is eliminated, and the uh, Nyhart gains the advantage on DiBiase as DiBiase comes in after Honky Tonk gets eliminated and then Dusty gets tagged in and the crowd went nuts 
for Dusty Dusty and Ted DiBiase had a feud uh, for a while And they were really, really into this As Dusty goes at Ted um, We get a, a drop kick And then uh, we get Jim the Anvil tags in He hits a suplex Virgil's grabbing at him But uh, DiBiase hits a clothesline And that's it You know, uh, Nyhart eliminated by a, a clothesline by Ted DiBiase here. Sometimes in a Survivor Series match, you're going to have eliminations like that. You know? I know, I know. And I, they were kind of trying to sell it with the distraction thing there. But why not just have you know Virgil hold his foot down or something a little sure. bit and make just make a little bit stronger? I just they weren't quite thinking that it mattered at that point. And honestly, now when we watch back, we kind of roll our eyes and go, "That was it." But at the time, when somebody got eliminated like that, you didn't think of like they they did such a great job of making these matches seem sort of unique and different that it was like if you got eliminated in this match, it didn't seem like you were a Joe because you it was a different style match. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there were like built in excuses. It just felt it just felt a little different. As uh, quickly we get a uh, yeah honky tonks out. And then the Anvil Nyhart is out. DiBiase gets him. The Undertaker hits a jumping kick to the top of Dusty's head. This was kind of goofy, but it was kind of funny to see him kind of jump up. You can just—he's just green, sort of just trying to figure out what he should be doing. I think that was one of those where it's like, oh my goodness, I jumped like Andrew said, and I probably shouldn't have. So he tried to like come down real quickly and just like hit Anvil on the or hit Dusty, I think, on the top of the head. He ends up. Uh, Eliminating Dusty Rhodes uh, Undertaker goes up to the top rope And walks across the top a little bit And he hits a double axe handle And out goes Dusty Rhodes So he then throws him over the top rope to the floor And it's Bret Hart alone against three guys So Bret goes at it against the Undertaker Outside the ring, Brother Love goes after Dusty Rhodes And that distracts the Undertaker He follows and the Undertaker ends up getting counted out, even though he's not the legal man. They uh, they count him out. They just they needed to get him out of there and not get him pinned. So as he leaves, Piper says he's scary, he's big, but he's dumb, and he's <laughs> just making fun of uh, the stupidity of the Undertaker. So that's why he's with Brother Love and why Brother Love's around because he doesn't think. And so that gets the uh, Undertaker out of there. So there there takes care of one and. We uh, we have Brett still in the ring, and Brett and Valentine are going at it. Figure four leg lock, but Brett counters, rolls him up in a small package, and pins him. So all of a sudden, it just went from three to one down to one on one. This and this was a really big moment for Brett. You could tell he was flying around. He was all out here, and and this like the the. Big opportunity for him as in like a single spot like this. And him and Ted had a really fun last few minutes of this match. Uh, Gorilla's kind of praising Brett all over, saying that most men would have been eliminated at this point. And Piper says, Most men would be dead at this point. <laughs> at this <laughs> point. And uh, we get a slingshot over the top rope by Brett. Um, they're outside. He, he sends Ted into the steel steps. And there's a point where Brett trips over Ted. It kind of looks goofy and he's holding his knee But he's just He's tricking Ted, he's playing possum there He tries to roll him up, he gets a two count Virgil's distracting Brett on the apron And uh, and then uh, Brett ends up knocking uh, Virgil and DiBiase Off the apron, he, he gets another roll up For just two 
And we get a backbreaker He starts going through some of those logical Bret Hart moves that we see Those uh, later on uh, The elbow drop off the middle rope Cross body block But DiBiase rolls him up Hooks him for the pin that Match of the night uh, I thought it was above three stars It's not a five star match or anything But th- most of this match is pretty well done Plus you get the debut of The Undertaker so uh, yeah, I thought guys, this was the the highlight of the night right here. And uh, as uh, you're a Bret Hart fan, you like to see the the you know the the growth of Bret and the transition here from uh, the you know tag star to he's about to become a singles guy. Yeah, I mean this match, I, what I took away from it was obviously they 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 really made Taker look strong for all the reasons that we said. Bret did the vast majority of the in ring work. Um, you know, it tells a good story and moves DiBiase forward the way we want that to happen in terms of being the heel. And you could kind of see the way that they set this match up at the end that they're starting to say Brett is going to be one of the guys. And uh, and obviously he would become the guy for quite some time in the next five, six years. But uh, it, it's a it's a, a fine Survivor Series match. I think you have it right somewhere around three and a quarter, three and a half stars. Um, you know, I always thought that the the rhythm and blues gimmick was a little, you know, somewhat ridiculous, and that Valentine just looks so awkward carrying that guitar around. But uh, other than that, you know, it's it's exciting, and it's one of those moments in wrestling where you know you think back and you like to watch it when uh, when Taker, you know, comes out for the first time at, at the introduction uh, from the Million Dollar Man, who would do this again five years later when he introduces the fake, uh, or four years later when he introduces the fake. Uh, Undertaker at uh, at SummerSlam. I once again yeah. give you the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what you're saying with the whole rhythm and blues thing is that that gimmick had you all shook up. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well Thank done. you. Thank you. That is a Cesaro dad joke, if ever there was one. Um. Anyway, so. I love the way this match was booked. The babyface team can handle almost everything else. But when Taker comes in, uh-oh. Uh, that's how you make a new guy. And they booked it perfectly when Dusty was out because he runs out Brother Love. Well, that's Undertaker's manager. So Undertaker's going to go try to protect him. He gets counted out. And then we wind up with the five-minute segment at the end with Brett and DiBiase. And this is what frustrates me a little bit about DiBiase's WWF run. Tremendous character. Cut these amazing promos. When it came time to deliver in the ring, he wouldn't embarrass you, but he'd always leave you thinking he was holding back just a little bit. This sequence was excellent here. They gave Brett every near fall in the book, Mm -hmm. and the crowd bit on several of them. Brett got a roll-up for two off a reverse victory roll thing. People thought that was the finish. Virgil gets knocked off the apron. Brett gets a roll-up. We thought that was the finish. And then Brett gets the body press, and DiBiase rolls through. It's the old slipping on the banana peel finish, and you see Brett cursing into the camera after he gets up at 3.1. And... I loved the way that was booked. It was a great little five-minute sequence. Probably some of DiBiase's best ever in-ring work. I agree. Uh, for WWF at that time. And that, by the way, is not saying Ted DiBiase was a bad worker. It's just at that point, 
the character was what put people in the seats, not necessarily his in-ring talent. And by the way, if you haven't seen some of his Mid-South stuff from the early to mid-80s, go check that out. It is absolutely worth your time. As far as this match goes, I had it at three and a half, mainly Mm -hmm. because of the booking. The in-ring action was good, but it was the booking that elevated it, I think, a good half star. The Undertaker is instantly an upper mid-card main, uh, you know, maybe main eventer prospect for the future. We see what he's made of. We see a lot of Brett for good reason. This was pretty good. It just stinks that after this, we wind up uh, going from third gear to struggling to get out yeah. of first gear for a little yeah, while. Yeah, this was a definite, because the first two matches were... Uh, were in my opinion probably you guys are the better to the better of the matches this was the best one i would have ranked the opener behind it and then the next three aren't spectacular honestly uh nothing like to really write home about some fun spots and some fun moments here and there but this was the highlight of the show right here as we head to the oh we head to the showers fellas and it's the jake the snake roberts team that was uh, back in the showers to keep Damien in a, a nice habitat. And this wasn't anything too crazy, you know, like all these promos. Jake just went through his team, talked about the Rockers, what they've been through, talked about how Jimmy Superfly Snuka is a man who's, you know, survived. And he uh, mentions that, you know, he's the snake and whatever the stuff that he's been through. And it, it wasn't anything. It was solid, like every Jake promo was, but it was kind of short and there wasn't anything too memorable. I thought uh, about it as we get to the visionaries versus the vipers. So this is Rick Martell, the warlord and power and glory Hercules and Paul Roma. I have one problem with this. Yes. The snake's not a viper. I know. <laughs> the viper. Uh, well, he's not, not a viper. The pythons uh, or the, the, the why can't, exactly. Or just I've got, the snakes. I've got, another, I've got another problem here. How did this get 18 minutes? I know. <laughs> it's a good question. Why was this the longest match on the card? When if you were going to give another 18 to anything, you would have done it in the match before like you thought with the, with some good workers there and give Brett and DiBiase a couple extra minutes or in there. Or give the main event an extra couple of minutes. Five, right? That wanted. was the one it felt like it was shortchanged. You're right. It's only 9 minutes you can have that match go a little longer and have there maybe be a little bit more of a oh, oh you know, it's a 5 on 2. Because they had that, they had Warlord get eliminated immediately, too, to where it wasn't like all of a sudden, okay, now you're down to four on three. So now the odds weren't really up against the baby faces all that much right off the bat. You're right. They by, could have done a little, little better. By the way, one of the things that you said early when talking about how storylines would develop over five, six months. So we already had the arrogance spray in the face before we got to this match. So talking about we're at the end of November. The arrogant spray thing happened. I don't remember if it was a month before or a few weeks before, whatever it was, with, with Rick Martell. The blow off of the Jake Roberts Rick Martell feud would oh, not God. happen until WrestleMania 7. And yeah. it was a train wreck. Yeah. yeah. The blind, but, but, ju- and it was, but just the point being that a Jake Roberts Rick Martell feud that started with Martell spraying the arrogance in his eye. Would not culminate for six months. <laughs> yep. Which, yeah. In my opinion, we could talk about this on another show, but having so much wrestling TV 
on a week to week basis. It hurts. You just can't do it anymore. No, yeah. You can't it, it's, drag can't. this stuff out anymore. It's impossible. No. The only it, time WWE has been able to do that over the last 10 years has been with Rock and Cena being the main event one year in advance. And it was because The Rock needed to go off and make movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's not on TV every week. Because then that's right. what ends up. Look, and the last time they tried to do it, kind of, even though it was it wasn't nearly this long, but they tried to do it with Becky and and Rousey mm-hmm. and they st- and it, and it got dumb and it got all convoluted and they added in they added in Charlotte and it mm-hmm. got, and it got wonky they could not do it because you can't keep sending the same people out without to build a few doing anything different yeah it's you just can't do it anymore and it's unfortunate but that's you know people look I'm one of the people that complain about it Me too. you don't get the long buildups but if you're going to be on television on Monday night on Wednesday night, on Friday night, week after week after week after week, you can't build a feud for six months. It's impossible. And uh, yeah, this match was really nothing special. Uh, War Warlord is just just roided out of his mind at this point. So is Snooker, by the way. Yeah, oh god, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, just huge. And we yeah, the. What the Piper calls the Rockers, the team of the '90s here. Um, yeah, that's not baby, gonna last that long. Yeah, not too much longer. <laughs> not too much longer. About what they I got told. another year or so out of yeah. it, and then uh, and then Marty Janetti met the barbershop window. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was a, a shelf life there of not much longer. Um, baby faces early, and then Rick Martell. He heads out. He he's trying to avoid Jake the Snake. He doesn't want anything to do with him. Warlord and Snooka going at it, and uh, we get the Warlord eliminating Marty Janetti. He comes flying off the middle rope, but Warlord catches him and then a power slam. So it's Marty, a cool spot. It's a nice yeah, it was slam. for yeah. for a guy who you don't think of being very athletic. This yep. was a this was a good spot for him. Yep. Um, Shawn Michaels comes in, Hurricane Rana, and then he tags in Jake. So you get kind of like a little uh. Two on one with Jake and Sean Which is just kind of fun yep. You know just like thinking of like from history Like these two guys sort of teaming up Doing some uh, some some tandem offense here Sean tries to uh, There's a clothesline And after the Hurricane Rana And then Sean tries to go for a pin Warlord kicks Does a kick out and he kicks out With so much strength that he sends Sean Outside of the ring reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, Yokozuna Macho Man uh, Rumble 93 there with Worst, worst Royal Rumble finish of terrible. all time Just all, so all bad um, So Sean's getting worked on for a while by the heels uh, Warlord and Hercules uh, Back wide drop Clothesline we get uh, Whip into the corner and Sean does his Up and over flip that he uh, That he would always do and uh, Martel, uh, Martel and Sean go at it We would see these guys What this is uh, two years away Three years away right Like was it 93 92 into 93 When those guys feuded I think about, uh, uh, You said Sean and Martel Yeah SummerSlam 92 was their blow off Right yeah that was their uh, That was their match there So we see them uh, Coming up uh, Kind of a little thing A sign of things to come Snuka Some chops there But we get a back body drop uh, And then a uh, A forearm he goes for a crossbody, but Martel rolls him through and grabs the tights for the pin. So Snuka gets eliminated by Martel. So we're on, uh, um, yeah, we're down to four on two here, and we get the uh, Hercules comes in 
after Rick leaves the ring again because he doesn't want anything to do with Jake. They keep talking about Jake's bad left eye due to the uh, the Martell stuff. We get a clothesline, and then Roma misses a, a punch, and Sean tikes, uh, tags in flying elbow, suplex, elbow drop off the middle. He he looks good, and you could tell he's starting to get Piper pumped up. I was reading uh, one other person's recap too. Just I always like to see what some of the other people think of these shows and sort of what the the general consensus is. And one of them says, "I don't think Shawn, uh, Piper knows Shawn Michaels' name because he keeps calling him the Rocker or just Rocker throughout the match." <laughs> so when you listen, to, when you listen to it, it's like you're it's a you good know call. what? He might it's a good not. Call. He's like Rocker, the Rocker over there. Those Rockers. He just keeps saying it over and over. And uh, we get a uh, Hercules with the Gorilla Press. And then I gotta say, like him or not, that power and glory finisher is. I money. love that finish. Love it that is finish. Money where yep. you get the suplex, the yep. superplex, and then a top rope splash. So I mean, Roman's like not the prettiest off the top. You know, the no. splash is not always the prettiest, but it's a sick. It, it, it's a for 1990. Combo. You like that? Like, here's how you know it's a good finish. That could be a tag finish in 2021. Absolutely. So that's how you know it's a good finish. It's great. And boom, uh, Shawn Michaels is eliminated. So we're we're at four on one here. And again, Shawn Michaels, two years later, he's in the main event with Bret Hart in the uh, uh, WWF champion yeah. versus uh, IC champion match, which we've uh, which we've recapped here before. A match on, that is uh, not talked about enough. That's a very no, good match. very very good. And with the with that fun tag match in the middle of the show, with uh, where Perfect makes the the babyface turn, and he teams yep. up with Macho yep. against uh, Ric Flair and Razor. So we were down to four on one crowd trying to get Jake all pumped up. Um, Warlord and Jake go at it. I mean, this is where things got just a little too slow. Um, he's trying. He, he hits the DDT, but the ref's distracted. And Martell goes to spray the perfume. Jake block uh, the arrogance again. Jake ends up blocking it. And uh, Jake's got the snake around there with him. Roberts uh, chases after Martell, and then he gets counted out. And as Andrew mentioned, it went almost 18 minutes, which was just a little too long. It wasn't if you look at the workers, the the Sean stuff is pretty fun when when Sean's in there. And there are some some Sean Jake things that are fun, you know, a couple of the interactions, but this just went too long. And yep. it wasn't I actually think that it was probably better than the next two matches, uh, or probably at least the the final one, but it wasn't anything spectacular. It definitely wasn't anything great. DZ, what'd you think on this one? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it, it definitely goes a little bit longer than you need it to. There's a couple of cool spots in there. Obviously, Sean can go. The work in the ring when he's in there is good. You know, the Jake Roberts storyline with the blind eye. Gorilla's doing a good job selling that over and pushing, saying he's, you know, how tough he is for being in there and yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, you get the you get the snake spot, of course, you know, and picking up Damien and chasing Martell away and you can kind of see where this is going. But uh, yeah, I mean, from a ring work standpoint, it kind of drags. It's a little bit slow. And uh, aside from a few spots, the warlord power slam, the power and glory finisher and a couple of others, it's not a lot to write home about from my standpoint. And I thought it went probably went a good three, four, five minutes longer than it had to. If you want a fun juxtaposition, just watch the first couple minutes of the match where Warlord is trying to sell for the Rockers. Bless Warlord's heart. He's trying. But when you're 6'7", 
300 pounds of solid muscle. You can tell that at least some of the muscle is not the product of anything that happened in the gym, but instead the product of something that comes out of a needle. It's not pretty. Then he tags in Rick Martell, whose work I am a big fan of. This is a guy that Ric Flair has put over as when he was on his game, he was almost as good as Ricky Steamboat was in terms of what he was able to do from bell to bell. And Martell is selling his butt off trying to make the Rockers look good. That's pretty fun. Problem was, once the Rockers are out of the match, the match takes a decided downward turn. Mm -hmm. And one thing I do want to mention, Warlord throws this big backdrop and Michaels looks like he's in the Raptors before he comes down. (laughs) That was the type of thing that the Rockers were doing that nobody else was doing at the time Mm -hmm. to try to stand out. And they had to because they were the little guys in the land of the Giants. And obviously for Sean, it worked. Yeah, nothing too special here. You'll, You'll actually see Warlord later completely botched the selling of the ma- the move that's supposed to eliminate him by Tito. <laughs> it's just his just not not great when he's supposed to be on the receiving end of anything. As uh we go backstage to Hulk Hogan with the big boss man Tugboat, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. Hulk says the uh I've assembled the baddest team, brother, with Hacksaw, with the two by four, with the big tugboat. Like the USS Missouri Watching uh, the Hulkster's back And uh, the Hulkster Sometimes there are no rules But this time the big boss man's gonna be laying down All the law brothers brothers. So then boss man, tugboat, and hacksaw Each say a few words And we get back to Hulk First thing in our sights is winning the Survivor Series And proving that the Hulk uh, uh, The Hulkamaniacs Can survive but the reason we're also here is we're dedicating this match to all the men and women all over the world, brothers, who are the Hulkamaniacs fighting for our country, especially the men and the women serving in the Middle East right now, brothers. They're hanging on and they're fighting flawless, brother. As far as I'm concerned, President Bush, as soon as the Survivor Series is over and me and my Hulkamaniacs prove that we are really survivors, if you need a little extra heavy artillery or any kind of help, we volunteer our services, man. As far as I'm concerned, Saddam Hussein, what you gonna do when me and my team of survivors run wild on you? You think the Iraqi National Guard would have put Hogan over? <laughs> I don't know what I was gonna say, Hogan. I don't they're not gonna fall down for you, man. They're not gonna uh, lay down you, for you. You, you know who you know who wasn't putting Hogan over that night? Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh And what's what's great is that you can sort of tell By the end Of the night He's a little worn out You know he's got to wrestle this match He's got another match he's got to cut multiple promos And he does seem a little bit lower energy Than normal So maybe that was he, Maybe he needed a little freshen up right afterwards Andrew it was mine like, a little too soon brother Pick me up brother didn't time it right brother Damn as uh we get set for the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Big Boss Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Tugboat versus the Natural Disasters, the Barbarian, Dino Bravo, Earthquake, and Haku. With really Bob quick, Hogan really and Jimmy quick. Hart. Yes, sir. How weird is it that Tugboat, aka Typhoon, is mm-hmm. not on a team called, called the Natural Disasters? Right. 
it's it's hilarious. Don't forget, and, aka Shockmaster. Yes, yes, the yes. Shockmaster. We're going to shock the world. Yes, yeah, and yeah, here yeah. he comes through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Poor this Fred was, Ottman, man. <laughs> this was actually supposed to be Rick Rude on this team in the spot of Haku. Rick Rude left the WWE right before this. So Rick Rude and Jesse the body you're going to see show up in WCW in not too long And uh, I mean this match is nothing special at all I mean Dino Bravo was one of the worst wrestlers Was (laughs) one of the worst wrestlers too at this time period Very sad what happened to him afterwards But he was never going to be one that was going to give you a great um, You know a a great match It was really... uh, all four baby faces did get the individual uh, entrances, which they normally didn't when they were on a Hogan kind of team. Normally, it would just be like everybody comes out to Hogan's music. I just made that made a note out of that. And the crowd is chanting, and Rowdy Roddy Piper says, "Gorilla, I can't make out what they're chanting. What are they saying?" And Gorilla says, "Hogan." And, and Rowdy says, "Well, that might have been the dumbest question I've asked in 1990. I thought that was pretty funny. At me. least he's self-aware. Oh yeah, it was. Holy, I, it made me laugh. He's like, they good because Gorilla's just kind of like Hogan. Like they're just cheering. Hogan's in the ring, moving around, and it's obvious they're chanting Hogan. And he, and it just that popped me for sure. Um, early on, it is so." Yeah, it's uh, Hacksaw and Haku going at it. Uh, that was a uh, uh, king, a king of the ring thing, I believe. At uh, at one point there, and uh, we get Haku with a drop kick on Big Boss Man. Big Boss Man comes with the uh, the Boss Man slam to eliminate Haku. Just a couple minutes in, I think it was about three minutes in, when Haku gets eliminated. Boss Man and Barbarian go at it uh, for a bit. We get. Uh, that was a, also a singles feud at one point Bobby the brains outside he's trying to distract Boss man so uh, Bobby Tosses him into the ring post like we're saying Bobby's just getting beat up all night long Tonight oh, yeah. uh, Suplex barbarian they were feel Seemed like they were getting behind him a little Bit in this match too he's the final guy on the heel Side they they wanted to make him Look pretty strong I thought um, Jim uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Barbarian go at it a little bit uh, Dino Bravo comes in then Earthquake Tags in it's a big double clothesline And with the big boss man um, Hacksaw goes To try to slam Earthquake but it doesn't work um, He ends up running The ropes but Jimmy Hart pulls them down And he ends up going up and over He's chasing Jimmy around the ring and Hacksaw always did this which is like He just gets the two by four Comes right in the ring and he just hits Earthquake right in front of the ref Yep. It's like if but then if, he swung at the ref. I know it's like if you're on my team, Hacksaw, I'm looking at you like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Why would you do that? You just eliminated yourself and now we're down. Come on, man. So that's uh that's Hacksaw. Oh, for you. As uh we get Hogan comes in and uh, he goes after all uh, everybody slam for Bob Dino, slam on Barbarian, he goes after Earthquake, he slams Earthquake, uh big clothesline, Hogan house of fire. He eliminates Dino Bravo Big Boss Man comes in And uh, him and Earthquake are going at it And uh, we get Barbarian and Big Boss Man And then Earthquake A couple elbow drops to the Big Boss Man And he has been eliminated by Earthquake So we're down to two on two here at this point It is Hogan and the Tugboat Versus Earthquake and the Barbarian Hogan and Earthquake go at it for a little while Remember they had the, a big feud for quite a while It was 1990 SummerSlam That was part of that double main event and um, Tugboat 
comes in Him and Earthquake go at it for a little bit Hogan and Earthquake are uh, are outside the ring And Tugboat heads out there So Tugboat and Earthquake, future partners End up fighting outside the ring They're brawling on the floor And both men get counted out So double count out Earthquake, Tugboat are both eliminated So we're down to just Hulk Hogan And the Barbarian They would, uh, yeah, these guys would be tag team partners Pretty soon and have a, a, a pretty good run For uh, a while as a, a you know, tag team title and always a top tag team contender. We get Hogan Barbarian, and uh, I mean nothing special here. Pile driver actually for a two count double clothesline. Hogan's head is about four feet above the mat at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't close. Um, Barbarian hits the top rope clothesline, and then we get the hulking up. Hogan he wags the finger, blocks the punch. One. Two, three punches, the boot, the leg drop. This thing got finished uh, just under 15 minutes. It was about 14. very, very surprising that Hogan it, actually went over there. Really? I mean, I couldn't, I didn't see this one coming. I thought this was barbarian all the way. Felt like it was his night, really. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. going to say, that, what, what is, uh, is the, the movie Dirty Work, which shout out to Norm MacDonald, Chevy Chase talks about how. He said, you know, it's like one of the, that one time you bet against Rocky and or you bet against what do you bet against Rocky? He's talking about him. It's like this is what it's like. Yep. Bet against uh I bet against Hogan here. You know, I had Barbarian in the uh, in the future, so so sue me. You bet against Hogan? Um what'd you think of this one overall, DZ? Yeah, it's you know, is it offensive? No, is it spectacular? No, it's kind of middle of the road, two and a quarter, two and a half type star match. Uh there's a period in the middle where it feels like someone's getting eliminated like every 30 seconds almost. Um, the ending is obviously rather predictable. The Duggan stuff is a little bit wonky. Um, you know, you get a couple of pinfalls. It's like, really? That, that you know, that got him out of there? But, I mean, it's it's fine. The whole purpose, obviously, is to get Hogan to the end, so it does what it accomplishes. Uh, I don't really have anything over-the-top sensational to talk about. So... Even the most ardent Hogan hater on the planet at this point would need to acknowledge something. Warrior comes out in the first match of the show. He gets a good reaction. Hogan comes out and the roof comes off the place. Anybody that had two functioning ears would have had to say, yeah, we need to get the belt back on Hogan at some point. How are we going to do this? What's going to happen? now?" And and I will say, just to give a little, I think they... It was, I'm not saying they sabotaged it, right? I don't think Vince was like trying to hurt his product or anything. Oh, no, but, no. But I, I do think that just that, you know, Hogan obviously had these epic feuds and battles through the years that we had seen him and, and the Andre stuff and the, the macho stuff at this point. He'd been yep. through literally back to back the most important, biggest storylines. And then what was crazy was. Hogan after the warrior stuff He loses and he still comes off Looking like the good guy because After yep. the match he raises his hand And everything Um, I, I, I listened to again I can't remember I think it was lapsed fan who said Wouldn't after the the Grand survival match Wouldn't it have been great if warrior would have turned On Hogan right there Gino you just officially Ruined my big end oh, the show There we go Because but in, I, in in 2021, that's absolutely what would have happened. 
Warrior and Hogan celebrate in the middle of the ring and Warrior hits the big lariat and the three clotheslines and the splash and the crowd starts booing going, why, Warrior, why? Why, Warrior, why? Why, Warrior, why? And boom, we're on to WrestleMania. I don't know if it would have worked back then, though. It would have. You you think so? You think think that, you think, I don't know, because you would have still had people like me that would have cheered Warrior anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and, while and, that's true, weren't there still people who were cheering Randy Savage? That still yeah. worked. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think Warrior would have been able to cut a really easy promo there too, and just and say also. Wait, Warrior wait. Say, in say that again. <laughs> you would have been able. Yeah, I think you, you just it just would have had some purpose. You know what? I was supposed to be the man, and you tried to hold me down all the time, Hulk Hogan. You never wanted me to beat you never I was I beat you remember and everybody cheered for you afterwards it would it would just be kind of simple um it would be yep now I don't, also I don't, I don't know because that guy never like said anything that made sense and all of a sudden and he's an intellect that's describing well, his feelings here's the thing that would work the one thing warrior always nailed was his presentation now after he came back after WrestleMania 8 the rumblings were that he was going to turn heel after SummerSlam when he faced off against Randy Savage. There are prototypes out there. They're rare, but they exist of action figures with the ultimate warrior in all black from head to toe. And he looks like a merchant of death. It absolutely would have worked. It's a fun, yeah, it's a fun game to play with the fantasy booking as a, uh... We get a Royal Rumble ad shown, and Mean Gene uh, brings out the Macho King, Randy Savage, for an interview. And really quickly here, I must bring this up because I'm not going to get any of my big lines and hypotheses mixed, messed up again after that. Uh, Randy Savage's attire, straight out of the Bobby Knight Indiana basketball collection. <laughs> uh, the the all red and white stripes. You yeah. feel like he's going to just rip the pants off and go press somebody for, you know, 80 feet. Yeah. It's funny. As me, Gene mentions Thanksgiving food. He said that Macho Man was able to kick back at home and eat and, and relax. And Macho Man says, you don't know anything about me, Mean Gene. He calls him a turkey. Says uh, he's going to be the next world heavyweight champion. He's going to get his belt back. He calls Ultimate Warrior the ultimate chicken, the ultimate loser. And says that he has proven he is number one. Dig it. So, yeah, nothing too crazy. Those are a lot of the, the kind of the bullet points. There and uh, Macho Man always gave you a pretty good presence there. We had wondered why he wasn't on the show from a wrestling capacity, but you did at least get him to to pop in here as uh, he was not able to win the world title at Royal Rumble, uh, or he was not able to win the the world title. So he ends up screwing him out of the title at ninety in ninety one. So and uh, Sl- uh, Slaughter wins it, and then they have that awesome WrestleMania match. Career uh, career match for uh, Savage at WrestleMania Seven, which leads to uh, you know Macho Man retiring and being out for a while. But yeah, good good uh, you know fine promo, good start for what was a re- those guys had incredible chemistry, Macho and Rand. Uh, well, how Macho could they not? I mean, the two of them like you know with the way they talk and their promos, they're nuts. And, yeah, they're, they're nuts. all they're both psychotic. How could they not? And the mot and Macho, for as much of, of Crap as Warrior gets He did a pretty good job in a lot of his Big matches 
He was a really oh. good big match wrestler. You know, the Hogan stuff, the Warrior matches. You think of that were really good. Are they six, the uh, six, Savage? Rick Rude. Rude. His, the Savage. Yeah. yeah. Savage Rick and Rude. Rude. Yeah. yeah. All three of those guys, which were you know probably his big his biggest opponents through the years, they were all. I think solid. I think the biggest complaint that that the other wrestlers would give about Warrior was more was not necessarily the pay per views, but the other shows that he would work stiff and stuff yep. like that, and not and, care, yeah, not yeah. sell, just let me get my stuff in the, and get the, the out story of here. with him and Andre the Giant is one of the greatest things I have ever heard in my life. Is that the one where he st- where Andre just stuck his hand out and Warrior ran into yeah, his face and knocked I, himself I, out? I'll, yeah, I'll retell this story very quickly. So yep. there was a spot with the Warrior and Andre at house shows when Warrior was on his way up, and Andre was finishing up as a full-timer on the house show circuit before he only did special events. And there would be a spot where he would get clotheslined into the ropes. And Andre really liked doing that spot. Well, when the warrior hit the ring and did it, he would hit Andre at about 217 miles an hour. And Andre would look down at Heenan and go, and Heenan's going, something's going to happen here. Couple nights after doing that, Warrior comes off the ropes and Andre puts his big fist up, hits Warrior right between the eyes, cracks the paint, blood starts flying. The next night, here comes the Warrior on the clothesline. Ka-ding, ka-ding, ka-ding. He'll learn. <laughs> Barely hits Andre, goes into the ropes. Andre <laughs> looks at Heenan and the, the story aired wasn't he'll learn, but he looked at Heenan and went, He's learning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great story. Heenan has a bunch of those. Bobby Heenan was never all that fond of the Ultimate Warrior. No. And uh, there were a lot of reasons for that. But yeah, the, the stuff with Warrior wasn't necessarily that he didn't deliver on pay-per-views or that he wasn't a draw. It's that he was stiff. There are some who said that he was unsafe. And it was, was kind of like he didn't pay a, his He thought dues. a lot of himself. Yeah, well, and the stuff, the stuff after SummerSlam 91 destroyed him. Yeah, yes. that, that yeah. killed any of perception of him. Because I think at this time, he was actually doing a pretty good job of, like, with his image, right? This was, he was given the ball. He was running with it. He, he and for, for all the times that he actually screwed up and made mistakes, when he got this title, he didn't do anything wrong. It well, wasn't. This, this was the problem at the time. Like, they, they said the same thing with Savage. When it was like when Savage had the title, it's like, all right, well, it's not the same as Hogan. We got to put the belt on Hogan. Well, I mean, if that's your, if that's your bar, you know, of course, if, it's if never going to be. If everything, if everything is just going to be, well, it's not as good as Hogan. I mean, look, but you think about it. They did it with Savage. They did it with Warrior. They did it with Brett. Well, the thing with Savage was a little bit different because that was a planned storyline of those two coming together and coming apart. The problem with Warrior wasn't anything Warrior did. It was the fact that they didn't have any main event heels that were ready for him, Mm -hmm. and they couldn't do what they did with Hogan, which was get somebody on the house show circuit warmed up, have a monster of the month kind of thing. The business model was starting to change at that point. And as a result, you wound up with Warrior Rude 9000, which was still fine, but a lot of the luster was lost because it was a rivalry that wasn't really a rivalry because Rude never beat Warrior clean. Then you had Warrior going against DiBiase, who we talked a little bit about earlier. DiBiase, yeah, perfect, car- Andre. They were all Hogan retreads. Exactly, yes. And then you wound up with a spot where Hogan had to come back 
and you heard the reactions Hogan was getting. And while I understand that the whole Hogan being the bar thing is unrealistic, just listening to the reactions those two got, there, there was no choice. Hogan had to get the belt back at some mm-hmm. point, as unfortunate as that was. And we can differ about the ways in which it was done. They needed to find a heel. They found Sergeant Slaughter. And if that's not the best segue for the next match on the show, I don't know what is. Well, yeah. I'll, I'm going to jump in front of the segue real quick. Go ahead. Because, oh, go ahead. Because they, unfortunately for Warrior, they gave him a good heel in a in a feud, but they did it after he lost the belt. Yeah. When they had with, they with Macho, the, right? If well, they were to go to Macho with the belt, then that that would have worked. Like you said, that probably works. Yep. Yep. And, and then and then they gave him then they gave him Undertaker too. It, it, oh they, yeah. They had those exactly. body bag and that was matches. When Jake and then they turned Jake again and was he really had Warrior Jake. And they were yeah. actually supposed to. That was what Jake talks about where he was actually supposed to get a, a run with the belt. Where yeah. if the belt was supposed to go to Warrior and then it was going to go to Jake as just sort of like a transitional champ for yeah. a little bit. But that was um yeah, that that was you wonder because my, my I guess my major was point was that you think about a guy who he messed up a lot of times, right? But the time in his life where there was probably the most pressure on him to succeed, he actually did pretty well. It was just I don't think he could have done much better than than what he was asked. It was just a tough, like we said, you, you need some dance partners. And he unfortunately didn't have the right guy. So I do give him credit for his run in that he showed up to work for a guy who had a lot of inner demons. He didn't let the pressure get to him. It seemed like it was after losing the belt that that kind of broke him because he maybe felt like he, that was where he sort of felt like he screwed up his opportunity, you know, and then and then things changed for him. But at this point, he feels like he's Vince's guy, you know. And he's doing everything that he can, and we we hear the stories about him and Vince, and he 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 stayed at the house with them. He was like really close to Shane O'Mac, who we see Shane's the outside referee um, in some of these matches, these Survivor Series matches. That there have two are reps. times where he called Linda McMahon mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does that tell you? Really, really close with the family there. So at this point, he is, you know, he's happy to be uh, having the ball and, and and running with it. As we get to the next match, the Alliance versus the Mercenaries, this match only ended up going ten uh, fifty, and it felt like a lot longer because the match just isn't very good. And Sergeant Slaughter c- cuts a promo before the match where he tells Mean Gene to stand at attention, tells everyone out there to listen up. He calls them all maggots. What's indespicable is that the is the red, white, and blue. Or what's despicable is the red, white, and blue. He serves the flag of one nation. That's the flag of the great Iraqi nation. Today, the mercenaries and him sat down to a beautiful, hot, delicious turkey dinner. Uh, didn't have to swat any flies away from the table and smell any camel dung like the soldiers. We didn't have to have any sand in our pumpkin pie like the U.S. soldiers. He mocked them. He told President Bush to take some advice from Sergeant Slaughter before you send your troops into battle against President Saddam Hussein. Always think twice because the Iraqi army soldiers are just like the mercenaries and Sergeant Slaughter. They take no prisoners and their survivor. And that's in order. Eesh. Yeah. What the hell? Gosh. Wild. Gosh. See, it's easy to see why he was getting like, you know, death, death threats. threats and stuff. Oh, like yeah. That. Yep. This is really, this is not just pushing the envelope. This is, no, this this is is tearing the envelope in half and throwing it in the trash can. Yep. And there's, you know, there's, uh, 
uh, being a heel and being you know saying kind of generic heel things or uh, you you us you you Americans or this or that, but this is like getting ripping the soldiers. Yep. That's where it gets a little too much for me Like rip the fans kind of a thing But like getting into the soldiers And like mocking the food they're eating And the sand's gonna get in it That was like yeah Just why why I uh, yeah I mean and the thing was As bad as this was And it was horrible It could have been a lot worse Yeah no you're right Sergeant Slaughter not held his ground on one principle they wanted him to burn an American flag. Mm-hmm. He would not do it. What he did say is, look, if you want me to burn something, I'll burn Hogan's T-shirt. And that actually wound up kind of working. But uh, my goodness, the fact that this made air, you look back 30 years ago and what was acceptable then versus what was ex- what is acceptable now. I mean, my goodness, yeah. look at Mustafa Ali and the character that wound up needing to get shelved completely because it was ruled the introductory promo was too controversial. I mean, that stuff is tame compared to the stuff that Sergeant Slaughter was doing 30 years ago. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's cringy to watch and see some of this. And then Piper is just going nuts. Like Piper and Gorilla both. You know, Piper is going crazy. He said he wants to uh, take them over and let the soldier let our soldiers have their way with them. So he's nothing but a pig. So that he he'd rather eat rations with them than eat turkey with you, you pig. And he's going nuts. Gorilla's calling him despicable, and then Gorilla's got to calm Rowdy down. Okay, calm down a little bit, Rowdy. Okay, settle down, settle down. <laughs> Tells him as uh, Gorilla mentions that at this point it's five on two in the match of survival. So uh, it, this is kind of where I got the feeling that. And maybe maybe the promos took a little long or whatever, but it sort of felt like they were trying to rush. Um, even with the way they were booking this match, I think they wanted Slaughter to come off strong. This match goes less than eleven. Final match goes nine. So, I mean, quickly we get Tito. I mean, the, the problem with a match like this is like all of the matches, even the Visionaries Vipers match that the Vipers that's not that good. You got Jake. You got Snuka, you got the Rockers, who are there's some star power in that match on the babyface side at least. There's some people that the crowd are into. This match is just so lackluster. I mean, you got the Bushwhackers. Tito's fine, but he's not like a crazy crowd favorite. He's just like a solid babyface that the crowd likes. And in certain spots, Tito's really over when you you know when you're in the more like. Hispanic areas where Rowdy mentions Latin about 50 times later when he's talking about Tito. Um, this is just a really, you know, really lackluster match. Boris Zukov, Sato, and Tanaka, and Sergeant Slaughter with uh, Fuji and General Adnan. We get Tito to hit the flying forearm and he eliminates Zukov. I mean, right off the bat, he's out. And, uh, and then Don't we get. Yeah, none, none <laughs> whatsoever. We get uh, uh, Tanaka and and then Sato in, and then they kick each other, and then here comes Butch with the uh, the running shoulder, and they do the battering ram, and the Bushwhackers uh, end up pinning Butch ends up pinning Sato. So, which is funny, he wasn't even like the legal guy, but they just get him out of there quickly. Nobody says anything. None of the commentators say anything. Nobody. We get Tanaka back in is uh. 
He misses a splash And then here comes Tito Another flying forearm And, and to knock us out So we're <laughs> down to uh, We're down to four on one Slaughter versus the four And when Slaughter's in He slows things down The announcers say Well you know he has to He's got to pace himself He has nobody to tag But he's going at a slow pace That was just a problem with his matches I know he's a heel And he's trying to get heat and stuff but his big matches were so slow and dragged. He would he would get better at WrestleMania against Hogan. Yeah, I didn't think that one was no, that it wasn't bad, as bad. But as he the was Rumble clearly one. trying to work himself back into shape. This was not too long after the infamous Team Challenge series debacle aired, where he <laughs> legitimately right. looked about three hundred and forty pounds, was gassed after the match, and tried to say he was in the best shape of his life. Um, thankfully, he would wind up getting into better condition later to at least have passable matches with the Warrior at the Rumble and with Hogan at Mania. This, though, oh boy, this was not pretty. We got uh, so the Bushwhackers with a double body slam and double clothesline. And then uh, Luke, I think, goes up top. He goes for a splash, and uh, so- uh, Sergeant Slaughter gets the knees up. He hits the gut buster and eliminates Luke. And then Butch comes in with a couple punches, but Slaughter uh, tosses him in uh, the turnbuckle, hits a clothesline, quick pin there, eliminates Butch. Is uh, oh he I missed the Volkov. He hit the Volkov one earlier. That was on the uh, the elbow drop. So Volkov was the first elimination, then Luke, then Butch. So now we're down to one on one with Tito versus Slaughter, and uh, Tito he goes up top. He hits the uh, flying forearm, and uh, Sarger, uh, Slaughter blocks it. Uh, blocks a monkey flip attempt And we get a neck breaker there Back breaker by the Sarge And uh, he tosses uh, Tito into the ropes and then uh, the referee There's a ref bump there So Tito hits the flying forearm But then General Adnan comes into the ring He nails Tito in the back with the Iraqi flag and Sergeant Slaughter Puts the camel clutch on And I will say one of the things That Sarge does really well Is you know the ref would come up and tap him And Sarge drops the, the submission And he starts celebrating like he wins And he kind of he, He's like really all in on the celebration He's like yeah I got it I got this thing and so everyone starts booing Because it, it looks like Sergeant Slaughter Wins this match by uh, You know by a submission But the ref ends up Actually the, the star of this Whole thing was uh was The Fink with the fake out here He goes um Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Slaughter has been disqualified. He totally fakes the crowd out. It's great. And the crowd goes nuts. Yeah, they're going crazy. Um, one of the things I missed too was the, yeah, this is where Tito starts talking, or Rowdy starts talking about how Tito's Latin, <laughs> he's never met a Latin person that can't take it all the way. And he's just going on about Latin stuff and just like really. Stereotypical not racist stuff But just like very bad Latin Stereotype stuff but uh, I, I really did laugh With, with the, uh, the Fink announcement there At the end so Tito Santana Big moment for Teats here This was a really Really bad match though I mean this just there, I, I didn't like this one DZ of all this was my least favorite Match on the card and I think probably You know rightly so I was gonna say What's to like uh yeah, there's it's boring. The finish is dumb. Um, you know, hitting Tito with the Iraqi flag and 
you know, forgetting that there's another referee outside that sees the whole thing. I mean, it's just kind of wonky. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the participants that are in this match, you're looking at and going, oh, like I thought Slaughter was going to win and they were going to do like a six on two, you know, in the last thing. But like you said, they have Tito, I guess, to go on to just take a pin in the in the last thing. I don't have anything really to say about it from a wrestling standpoint. Um, you know, it, it just gets more heat on slaughter, which I guess is what the purpose of this match is and what they're going for. But other than that, bring on the giant egg. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing that I will add is, uh, like Gino, I read a lot of recaps of shows that we do just to see what people thought at the time. And one of the writers that I read a lot of Scott Keith noted that slaughter was drawing heat at this point. The problem is it was mid-card heel heat, not eventual top guy heat. And he wound up getting pushed pretty far beyond his station. If it was a case where he was the guy that knocked off Kerry Von Erich to win the Intercontinental title and he stayed around there, maybe this goes down a little bit easier. But as it stands now, no buys. My goodness, this show can't get worse, can it? Can it? (laughs) Oh, here, that, here that, he the comes. egg is moving. The egg is moving. Got a quick little heel promo from the team of heels. Uh, the first, I actually thought they made sense saying, this is a great team. We're the first ever team that survived intact, which they were pushing. No other Survivor t- Series team in the previous years had had all of the members of the team survive. And they said they put them together with the money and the resources of the million dollar man. It's like, okay, this is pretty basic, but yeah, I guess you're right. You got a team here that nobody got eliminated and you got a backer. So makes sense if you're trying to, you know, uh, set yourself up to uh, the, the, the bad guys to make it seem like the baby faces, you know, don't have as great of a chance. You put them in the spot where they're, uh, they're down a couple and they've got the, uh, uh, DiBiase who they're trying to build up for his match With the Warrior the next night too So they want to make sure he doesn't look too too weak In this spot And the gobbledygooker Here he comes So we get the big egg by the entrance arena Me and Gene goes over there And uh, he lets us know that This is the shank of the evening He says these fans are hot And uh, when it's been hot for so long That means the incubation is over And we're all ready to see this gigantic egg And it's going to hatch here tonight and he's making puns. This cracks me up. You know, anybody's been speculating what's in the egg? A dinosaur? A wrestler? Is it the playmate of the month? Oh, and you can see the egg starting to crack a little bit. It's going to blow. And here comes the gobbledygooker. And we get a person uh, in a chicken suit. It was Hector Turkey. Guerrero. Hector Guerrero, it? the brother of uh, Eddie Guerrero, in a chicken suit. And for weeks, the build up to this. Was huge in fact People were speculating on who This was going to be people thought This was Ric Flair was going to pop out of this egg um, <laughs> Could you imagine right? if I Rick mean Flair my goodness out of an egg? The, the Undertaker is, was a, was a, they were, This is how they thought they were going to debut The Undertaker popping well, out of the egg and the thing well, he was, that. If, Even yeah, if yeah, it he, was Even if it was Flair That was only the second worst Creative thought it, of Ric Flair's career remember They wanted to cut his hair and make him Spartacus Yeah yeah uh, This I mean I, I really one day Would love to have Vince actually You know truth serum What, what like what, what What were you thinking What was this you know were you just trying to Pop the guys like did you have a different idea And then for some reason you you pulled A like an audible Late 
because what the hell was this? And the the crowd doesn't know how they're supposed to react to this. Yeah. They're not. It's like, is this a joke? Is somebody gonna come out of that next chicken suit now and like take their like somebody's in the suit? So are we like gonna see who that is? What is? I mean, the crowd's got no clue what to do, and. Me, Gene says, "Oh, you got a little rooster tail on top. You got a pair of legs like my mother-in-law, pal," which I thought was kind of funny. But he says, "What's and poor Mean Gene? It's like this is this is back in the time when nothing was scripted, and now everything is scripted and way over. And the night would only get worse for him. And poor Mean Gene is in there trying to like, what are you saying?" Gobbledy like mean gene is just Vince is like oh hey go out there gene And just do this whole Awful segment and like You gotta basically do two parts of this You gotta pretend like this chicken dude is talking To you gene's like <laughs> Listening back and playing off I mean he, What's that gobbledy Gobbledy goot oh don't tell me it's... you're the Gobbledy gooker what the hell Was that like you know like poor me Gene what a line you have to say And he gets dragged into the ring by his hand by the gobbledygooker, and they're running crisscrosses. And Piper's, oh, the kids are going nuts, man. Piper just when when the gobbledygooker initially pops out of the egg, Piper can't even contain himself. He just starts laughing. He's just like, what? Yeah, and and then Piper decides to just <laughs> ham it up like crazy. He does. And while they're in the ring, they do the crisscross thing, and Gene Okerlund falls down. Now. I don't know if the WWE countdown shows that they did on the network got migrated over to Peacock, but they did an episode on WWE blunders and the gobbledygooker was either second or third on the list. And Gene, who this was not long before he passed away, talked about it. He screamed that he broke three ribs. I don't know if that's true or not, but judging by the way that he fell, he there's bad. a chance that it was. And Gene Okerlund is not a professionally trained wrestler. He does not know how to fall. And he was got yeah, it was weird. He kind of got caught up. You could tell he kind of it was like he was trying to fall and he tripped over himself. It just I mean, this was awful. This was so bad. It, you know, Piper's the kids are going nuts. They love him. Nobody's going nuts. Nobody's saying like they don't. Well, they They're booed like, the minute he came out of the egg. Everybody was booing. You hear it. I did think that the funny one line Piper and Gorilla are joking about taking him home, the gobbledygooker. And Piper's like, Can you imagine pulling up through the drive through window in the car and he's in the car with you? Which I just I thought was funny. But uh, oh man. This was... I remember I, I I was trying to while I'm watching this I was trying to think back to when I watched it for the first time to try to remember what I thought it was actually going to be and yeah. I, and I and I don't remember what I was thinking I don't I, yeah. I, I don't remember I, I was my friend and I were trying to figure well what the hell are they bringing out of an egg like what what could it possibly be is it going to be some new you know, some new wrestler, or is it going to be somebody from WCW with a new character? You know, and, and I just we, we were we were going through guys, and it was just like I, I we had no clue. And then when that thing came out, we looked at each other like, "What? <laughs> what?" <laughs> and we were seven years old. You know, we were supposed to be the mark for the gog, the gobbly gooker. Not so much. <laughs> this was, this was awful. As uh, we get to the grand finale. Match of survival 
So it's Ted DiBiase, Rick Martel, the Warlord, and Power and Glory. Five on the heel side um, versus Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and Tito Santana. So <laughs> we get uh, this this promo before uh, before the match. And it's backstage with Tito, with Hulk, and with the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, so Hulk starts it out. This is what it's all about, brother. I've been around the WWF for quite some time, and the Hulkster has always ruled. But never before have I seen such intensity before, like a man with the Ultimate Warrior. He rises to the top so fast, so many little warriors following him. As far as Tito is concerned, me and the Ariba man have been around since day one. So as far as I'm concerned, me and Tito, the Ultimate Warrior, we're going to survive. So we go to Tito, who, uh, this is what it's all about, baby! The grand finale! He's just screaming. Million dollars! This is the biggest moment of his life. He's just right in the back with, with Piper and, and Hogan. You know, he's an IC champ and a tag team champ, but this is honestly, like, the biggest spot he's ever been in. And it's not even close. And, um, he, he uh, we are here for one reason, or the... Million Dollar Man, the visionaries, they all turn out against us, but we are here for one reason, to survive uh, the grand finale. Then, then Warrior. <sighs> we have taken many footsteps to get this far. The Hulkamaniacs who have made the sacrifice and the warriors that follow me that fell like skeletons and made their sacrifices. They walk with us into this battle and we take all of those that believe with one purpose to do uh, with those people who believe in one purpose to do combat with those who believe they are the greatest. Yeah, that's right. I checked it three times. You <laughs> so, so to you, be clear, she's talking about his fans that have died that have so died. that the warrior can work a three on five elimination match <laughs> in Hartford. Yep. You power and glory are a reminder that we feed off such things. And you Rick Martel are no competition to the powers that we possess in Hulkamania and warrior wildness and Arriva Durchi. What the hell? The Arriva Durchi line gets me every freaking time. <laughs> but of course, the best part of this whole thing is you got to go back to Hulk just so he can get the last word. Always. Back to Hulk as Hulk, as Warrior's can, doing his... Can I, can I say one thing with the Arriva Durchi? Yeah. Did he think that Arriva Durchi was Spanish? I, I don't like... <laughs> Absolutely. I'm serious. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Is that what he was going for with Tito Arriva Durchi? Breaking news if you're listening, folks. Arriva Durchi is from the Italian to mean goodbye. A thousand percent. That was exactly what he thinks. He thinks he's he thinks he's saying something. And I mean He's, he's doing his he's doing his like call to the god to finish this like his whiz. I can't stop laughing. I'm I know sorry. because it gets me every time. It's like <laughs> the power of Ariva Durchi. Not only first off, if he the was power Spanish, of goodbye. The spin if if he, if it was a Spanish <laughs> thing or if it was if he was Italian and you were saying that, it still was it wouldn't even make like. It doesn't make any sense to say, or it, it's not like something that Tito's ever said. So you're just saying, like, I mean, this I, gonna, was. I, wait, wait, listen. Here's, here's what I honestly think. 
I think he was trying to say, I think he was thinking about saying Adios. Arriba. Or Arriba. Well, I think he was say Arriba. Arriba. And he went <laughs> to Arriba. Hey, Arriba right. He might have meant to say Arriba Virtue. <laughs> Arriba. I, I, listen, I have to tell you, the only thing is that I was shocked that Ultimate Warrior knew the word Arriba Dirty. Yeah. I um you know nobody told him to say that. That's no, no, I can say and that's the he just pulled that. I mean, wow, this one was one of my favorites to watch back a few different times because uh that that the, that promo part here as the Hulk finishes up and uh you know just says we're gonna get out there and Warriors doing his <laughs> snarls and uh we get to the grand finale match of survival. Now Warrior did come out last for the team, so he did get the uh the final entrance. How many and different colored belts did Warrior have? He had what? A lot white, of the, them. The, Three I remember or four, the white, right? I remember white, yellow. I remember purple, I remember powder blue. There's a yellow. What, what, did he do yellow for the for the big title or was that the or only the IC? Title? That might have just been the IC, but yeah, he had at least 3 is uh so the very beginning of this match was a little goofy. So they're kind of trying to the bell rings and they're trying to figure out you sort of like who's going to start the match and what's going to happen. And there's 20 seconds of guys just sort of standing. And then Tito and Warlord look like they're going to start. But for some reason, Hulk is just standing in the ring. And, and he just punches Warlord like a total cheap shot. And then Tito with the flying forearm. But he doesn't even connect. He completely misses because the Warlord is already trying to like fall backwards on the cell before Tito's flying. He doesn't even hit him at all. And we get the warlord eliminated immediately. This guy got eliminated in 25 seconds here. Uh, Arriba Dirty Warlord. Arriba Dirty to the Warlord. <laughs> As, uh, he, had the, he had the three second for a while in the rumble, I think, too, right? He he had he was the record holder uh, for uh yes. for one point for a while. Um gosh, this yeah. I mean this match is not great, and warlord's eliminated quickly. Here comes uh, Paul Roma in. He hits a power slam, and then DiBiase and Tito go at it for a little bit. We, they had a, a, a kind of a fun little back and forth. And then I thought DiBiase he uh, he hits the stun gun. That was sort of one of his big moves that, that he would hit uh, sometimes to get a pin if he wasn't going to get like a cheap roll up or if he was going to get like clean pin. It would usually be because of a stun gun. That was something that he hit a lot of times. And then uh, Tito's out. So now we're down to four on two, Hogan and Warrior, and they're trying to. Push the fact that remember Hogan and Warrior They faced each other at Wrestlemania earlier We don't know if they're gonna Will they get along won't they get along uh, Can they coexist Is uh we get uh, Double axe handle for DiBiase uh, Hercules Sets up Hulk Hogan on the top for a superplex He nails it and then Roma hits the top rope splash But Hogan kicks out of their Oh no arriba dirty for Hogan Finisher (laughs) that we love No arriba dirty for Hogan As uh, we get uh, Paul Roma Who ends up getting eliminated Hogan hits Arriba dirty Roma (laughs) Arriba dirty With a clothesline Again another It works for Roma That works I was going to say With Paul Roma it does work It does work I will. This is that's one of my favorite one, the Arriva Dirty. I, I remembered this from from years back, and I'm so glad we got to discuss that that promo. Oh my gosh! Um, so here comes uh, Martel, and then uh, Hogan tags in Warrior. 
So Warrior and Martell are going at it A couple of body slams, back body drop Hogan comes in, he hits a boot to the face And a clothesline, Martell gets sent to the floor And then uh, Martell just leaves He's like, I'm out of here oh, I'm done with this I don't even <laughs> Let's just start selling t-shirts right now Old wrestling we watch I don't even there, gee <laughs> As Piper at this point is like getting crazy again, and this is what Gorilla's got to tell him to settle down to. As uh, we um, we uh, yeah, I mean, this is what Rick the model would have done. This this fits his his character to to walk away like this. And uh, so we got Hogan and Warrior against DiBiase and Hercules. We're down to two on two. Um, Hogan and DiBiase going at it. And uh, we get a pretty quick elimination on DiBiase. We get the boot to the face and the leg drop, which I guess I thought was weird. Like maybe you have him get eliminated by a DQ or some other way if you got, you know, the warrior against him the next night. But I guess they didn't really I mean, I think that much into it. He'd already made it to this final survival match. You're losing to Hogan. It's not like it's it's not like it's a bad loss or anything. It just figured you would have maybe had him be the last guy around or maybe eliminated in a slightly uh, stronger way. But we're down to two on one And uh, we got an ugly sloppy looking slam From Hulk Hogan onto Hercules Warrior tags in Couple clotheslines Shoulder block Splash 907 He gets the win They get the win And uh, so Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior Are the ultimate survivors Warriors music ends up playing And they uh, they celebrate after the match and the crowd's going crazy. Gorilla says, "These are the greatest too." The 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 Hulk Hogan line that he always would say, "This is the greatest athlete in all of sports." He would he said, "These are the greatest two professional athletes in the world today." And, and that's where you have Warrior make the turn right there. That was where I would have loved to see it. That's not yeah. That wasn't quite what they were doing at that point, but it just for both of these guys where they would end up going in the next few months. Where you know Warrior goes to slaughter for a little while Hogan ends up winning the Rumble And then he goes to slaughter If you just put either these two guys together And maybe Warrior's the heel Or like Darren said It feels like you've got two really good options With a heel turn for Warrior Or you just go to Macho early for the title And instead you know You, you, you throw the slaughter thing in there And that was not great for either Warrior or Hogan Like neither of those matches were fantastic And I do agree with you Andrew that the The Slaughter-Hogan match is probably Better than it gets kind of credit for When people just think of Slaughter and stuff It's not as bad as you would think But it, they just were better options I kind of feel the way I did with I think you might feel with uh, with Yokozuna later It's just we just could have got better options Wouldn't it have been better to have a per uh, and, and So many other people in that spot Instead Um and I did read one thing that I thought was kind of interesting So I, I, I was wondering Why they never did the Survivor the, the match again, the grand finale match And when you look at In the early, and this was on uh, TJR Wrestling, I think the John Report um, the, When you looked at The buy rates for some of the Early Survivor Series matches uh, Survivor Series shows This one, 1990 Was by far The highest of the first five 87, 88, 89, 90, 91 And I think it might have been because people would, Just didn't know Or maybe would have were excited with the idea Of the grand match of survival Probably didn't know what it oh, was the egg, come on Oh, it's the egg <laughs> It's the egg You know, just maybe that added incentive of what 
What does that mean? I, I think people at this point were not sure if it was going to be another match or maybe a battle royal or some sort of something. And mm-hmm. this ended up being a, a pretty well, I think, a pretty well received show, even for the ring work not being great, because there are some memorable moments on this show. Obviously, the debut of the Undertaker. We we have this being that that one grand finale match that we will always remember. We see. Things you know like these fun combinations Early on we get Brett right about To break out on his singles run You get Slaughter getting warmed up for the Title run he's about to get A a lot of fun things on this show And I have to give Andrew I have to give Andrew what he's waiting For with my Hogan Rant in this here we go Last match Warrior gets the last Pinfall he's your WWF champion Hogan can't let it just be Warrior in the ring getting the pinfall. He's got to come flying through the ropes to count the three with the referee. Because it's got to be Hogan in the middle. Can't just be Warrior getting the pin. No, sir. Hogan's got to be the second referee in the ring. What was the point of that? I know. It's all him. That was him. If I'm not the guy getting the pin... You bet your ass I'm going to be in the shot counting the three. One, two, three, yeah. Give me a break. That's the shit that drives me crazy with this. And you hear the way the provost, because, you know, now when we do these rewatches a lot of times, I'll flip the captions on or I'll literally recap them and and just – I will verbatim read the promo and the the voice to talk so I have it printed out right there. And when you hear his his promos and you just kind of see the wording of them – He's such a dick. Like just like the way he says everything. Like he's got to always word it so he's the top guy and this is this and this is how it's been and I've always been this and it's always me me even at the time where it's not really supposed to be about him. Um yeah, I I it, I do like the show. I do. I think it's fun. It's not a it's not a show that like you say if you're looking for the greatest ring work in the world, but I I think you guys have mentioned that a lot of us nerdy wrestling fans Whenever it's the time of the year That the particular shows are are coming up I'll always go back and throw on old ones In the background while I'm doing my work And go through around this time The old Survivor Series shows And this is one of the first ones I fire up It's really fun background noise The first part of the show uh, The first two, even three matches I guess are are fine And then it, it definitely has a noticeable downturn But even the worst of the stuff, I think the only one there's only one that's really long, and, and that one match. The other ones, the Sergeant Slaughter stuff, it feels like it's a little bit longer, but it is. It's not even 11 minutes. The final match ends up pretty quick. So all in all, you know, one of these ones that I, I wanted to hit at some point because I've always liked this show. This is one of I remember going to Super Duper Video and running this thing over and over and over again. It was one um, of the that I would go and get all the time. One one rebuttal. Here before before we move on, um, you guys were talking about you know Hogan making everything about himself and how he was the guy even when he wasn't the guy. Listen to the crowd reactions. He was. No, you're and you're and they knew what they were doing in how to present him too. You know, I think at this point we were all a lot more simple minded and we were able to be manipulated a little bit more by the well, stories. In my that... case, I was too. So. <laughs> Me too. I was going to say I was, <laughs> but just, you, just you as little, a new little brains, silly, Andrew. <laughs> but yeah. as just a whole, as a wrestling audience, we weren't nearly as smart or we weren't picking up on, 
things like that. Like nowadays, everybody would be like, oh man, because that th- th- everybody would have given Hogan the same crap that a Triple H or a John Cena or all the top guys through the years ended up getting that they were holding people down and pushing them down. And they were, he was getting it at that point, but there just wasn't as much internet wrestling or community and there wasn't as much buzz about it there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're right though, Andrew. The, the the crowd was 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 Hogan, and it was till till about '92, you know, maybe at the Rumble, and then on when they when they started, like maybe late '91, even when they started uh, kind of veering in a different direction. Undertaker and some crowds would get good responses. Sid would end up getting good responses, and we, yeah, we hit the 1990 Survivor Series. So, Andrew, you have the next show. Um, let us know where are we going to be headed for the next old wrestling rewatch? Are you two sitting down? Oh goodness. Oh goodness. (laughs) Okay. I am going to use my platform to make a point. A couple of weeks ago, WWE held survivor series, 2021. There were reputable people on reputable wrestling websites that tried to get away with calling it. And I'm quoting here. The worst pay-per-view of the year And how things were terrible And all this stuff First of all If you think that show was terrible Which was bookended by Four-star matches Wait till you see what I've got in store for you tonight (laughs) I wasn't going to go there quite yet But what I was going to say is Look, if you think that is a terrible show you must have been a real joy to be around during the Attitude Era of and that of late-day WCW and ECW after everybody left. Just stop with the prisoner-of-the-moment nonsense. I understand there are certain parts of the internet wrestling community that are pro-WWE or pro-AEW, etc., 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 whatever. Everyone is entitled to their own opinions. But if you're going to try to tell me that that was the worst pay-per-view you've ever seen, cue the Bad News Barrett voice. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. I just, people have confused opinions with facts like so much over the last few years in everything, in everything. It's like, yeah, you're entitled to say what you want, but when your opinion is wrong, we're going to call you out on it being wrong and and we're going to think you're stupid. Well, so that's, that's, that's like the like the MJF Punk promo. Somebody there was a a thing coming out where people were agreeing. They were saying, "Oh, it was too much like a Monday Night Raw back and forth promo." Are you kidding me? You're telling me you actually watched that and didn't enjoy it? Yeah, come on, come on. I mean, let's and come on. Let's be serious it, now. The, seriously, the, the head nod, the the head nods to the Cena stuff, and 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 the thing about Tony Khan. Having to have a daughter, daughter. that you marry. I mean, come on, that was fantastic. You, you cannot like AEW, or you cannot like the AEW fan base that wants to kind of crap on WWE. But that's what you have to be able to look and watch those things and take, like Andrew was saying. It's not always what just happened is the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And everybody wants to just yell from a rooftop that it is, and it's just not. It's, it's not. Were there a couple crowd. awful things throughout the show? Absolutely. 
I hate when they do the stupid product placement stuff like that. I hate when they're throwing pizza around, especially in New York. You're throwing of Pizza course. Hut pizza. Like, come on, man. Seriously. Oh, it that, just that, that that actually, I'm not even kidding you. I was sitting there watching that, and I said, I can't let this stand. I have to order a real Staten Island pizza now. And, like, offended you so much into ordering the real I pizza did. there. Yeah. Uh, I had you know, my Macaulay Culkin moment where I said, mmm, cheese pizza just for me. Cheese, okay. You know, so I don't. Yeah. Andrew, continue. Right. So we all agree on that. We are all yep. in universal agreement. I have built up goodwill just to piss it all away by showing everybody out there what a horrible pay-per-view actually looks like. Thank gentlemen, you. gentlemen, I hope you all had Novembers to remember because next week we will be recapping December to Dismember 2006. Now, before anybody says anything else, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There's historical significance to this show, and we were going to hit it at some point regardless because this was the show that drove Paul Heyman out of professional wrestling for five, six, seven years, whatever it was, because he was one of the creative types at the head of WWE's version of ECW. Now, there was never any expectation that WWE's version of ECW was going to tap into the cultural zeitgeist that the original ECW tapped into. What we wound up getting, however, was pure unmitigated garbage. And this was the culmination of the build to that garbage. If you're unfamiliar with this show, it was headlined by an elimination chamber match that featured a heck of a lineup. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, had Hardcore Holly and Test in there, but the other four guys, CM Punk, Rob Van Dam, Big Show, Bobby Lashley. Off the top of your head, this doesn't sound bad. Nope, not at all. It is the worst version of all six guys in this match. The entire show is booked terribly, and less than 24 hours after this show, Paul Heyman was sent home. He was pissed because he wanted— Doesn't this sound like fun? He wanted Punk to go over in this match. He wanted yes, Punk he to did. go over like a real strong new guy, and he was he was really upset with it. DZ, we get to talk about our our boys, the FBI, Guido and uh, Tony Mamaluke. Uh, Arrivederci. They got, they got Arrivederci. <laughs> Tony Mamaluke, I believe he's a, an early relative to uh, Tony D'Angelo, who's making waves over uh, over on uh, NXT. And, and you guys know who else we get to talk about? Kelly Kelly as a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got uh, Kelly Kelly in a mixed tag a with mixed Mike tag, Knox. Right? Yeah. Kelly yeah. Kelly and Mike Knox versus you Kevin guys are gonna kill me. And Ariel. Oh my god! I'm, I'm gonna be party. honest with you. I don't think I've watched this show. I don't either. In probably 10, 11 years. I watched it. I think Happy holidays, I, one and all. And I don't remember it. Balls Mahoney against Matt Striker in a Strikers <laughs> match. I forgot Balls Mahoney's. Balls Mahoney. Um, we do actually get a tag match that I, I'd imagine. The Hard- is don't the Hardys have a decent match in here somewhere? I think the Hardys. They do. It's the opener. Uh, right. yeah. Mercury and and Nitro. So yeah, yeah we yeah. get we get we get a uh, Morrison and uh, and Joey Mercury versus uh Hardy the Hardys. So. That that's Talk okay. about a lump of coal, man. <laughs> Mitch, Andrew Champagne coming to you early this Christmas. Andrew Champagne and uh, Darren Zocali. <laughs> and I uh, will head next week in our next 
old wrestling rewatch to December to dismember 2006. You can give Andrew a follow at Andrew Champagne. Follow uh, and check out his website, andrewchampagne.com. All sorts of really good horse racing content, sports content from Andrew all over the place. DZ. Darren Zocali, he's pumped um, We're recording this right around the time that uh, Turfway Park's opening up, you'll probably end up hearing it in About like a week or two after But uh, throughout the Turfway Park meet You really want to check out Darren's social media At the Track 7 Because Darren is excellent when it comes to Turfway He's keying in on that meet He had a great, great season last year over there So DZ will be uh, be uh, Focusing in on uh, Turfway If you need selections for him So Andrew, so Darren Arrivederci Arrivederci! Arrivederci. (laughs) We get get out of here, folks, and we'll see you again soon for the next Old Wrestling Rewatch. Ciao! (laughs) And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to all of the awesome sponsors of That's What G Said, Better Than Dot Vegas, DRF Sports, DRF.com, Daily Racing Form, Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play, race, win, and SarahCandles.com. Don't forget about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Really excited. Coming soon on That's What G Said podcast, we're going to have Santa Anita every day. They race at Santa Anita when, once they start on December 26th. We are going to be there uh, bringing you coverage. Be there, be here on this podcast every day, day they race. We're going to have uh, some plays for you, and the same for Sam Houston. When they open up in January, we're going to be bringing you coverage every day of Sam Houston for the third consecutive year here on That's What G Said Podcast. Really excited for what's coming up with those two tracks. Later this week, we'll get you all of our NFL previews. We'll get you this week in wrestling. And we'll get you set up for some big weekend racing. Uh, Thank you to the guests on this episode. Thank you so much to Andrew and to DZ for helping us out. And to Tim Kelly Helping us with Hawkeye. We'll have episode five for you coming up just next week. Good luck in the next few days, folks. We'll talk to you again real soon.